Welcome to Savvy Sabs Podcast on Call-In. This is episode 114, RFK Jr. Town Hall, Reparations, and more. What is your opinion on the RFK Jr. Town Hall and Dr. Darity and Mullen's discussion on reparations? I'd like to hear from you guys tonight. Looks like we have Zach already lined up waiting in the queue. I'm going to go ahead and bring you in. What's up, Zach? Hey, Savvy. How are you doing? It's been a, it's been a minute. Hey, how have you been? I've been all right. Uh, moving and shaking, trying to get some activism done, uh, make myself feel better about the world. I hear you. I thought you were about to say that you were moving. I was going to say, man, everybody's <laughs> moving right now. <laughs> it's a lot of people moving right now. Um, yeah, I've been wanting to call in uh, since you did the video or stream on the uh, – I'm sorry – if I remember, remember wrong, but when uh, you did the thing on the uh, RFK video and him shirtless, I, th- I think uh, <laughs> you might, might remember that. I um, I had some, I have a beef with RFK and some of these so-called, well, he, I don't know if he calls himself progressive. Uh, they will take on the moniker, but um, they, they they they'll they'll label themselves as like uh radically independent and then enter the democratic party i I, it might be childish of me but when they do that i i automatically get turned off like marianne williamson kind of went that way and even without all of her um you know baggage when when you enter the duopoly um that that signaled to me that whatever radical change that you're talking about, he, he has been um, pressing on the, the vein of uh, my father, my uncle. Um, they, they, they liked to do radical things. And I want to, without saying, make America great again. Um, he, he's, that's what I see from him. Um, and it, I, it makes me very, it makes me a little upset when I see that, like, I definitely won't don't take him as a serious candidate now that well since the beginning, but now that he is in the Democratic uh, running for the Democratic Party. So that's a good I think that's a good point that you bring up there. And I think there's a question that we need to ask ourselves, like when he says that he does want to bring it back to, I guess, that sort of like, you know, radicalism, I think one thing we should think about is the fact that maybe, you know, during that time, what JFK and RFK were pushing for, I think that at that time it was considered radical. But for me, I don't think those topics are radical today. Like just, just my personal opinion. And I think, so that's a question that I think that we should ask. I mean, do people consider RFK Jr. to be radical? Because I really don't. I, I think it's great that he's calling out like government agencies and things like that. But I don't know if I would go as far as calling him radical. Like he doesn't even really agree with Medicare for all, which I consider to be interesting considering the fact that he was an environmental lawyer and he saw how uh, these environmental disasters have actually harmed the communities that he actually helped out legally, uh, how they harmed them medically, Right. So these are people like people in like East Palestine, Ohio, people in Flint, people in, you know, Jackson, Mississippi. Those are just a few. Those aren't all of them. 
those people will have to deal with medical issues for a long time. I mean, there's people in East Palestine, Ohio, that are coughing up blood. You know, so my thing is, if if you know that these environmental disasters affect people's health, then why wouldn't you be pushing for Medicare for all? Because everybody's gonna would need to have that. Like I think we saw this with Libby Montana, where they were able to actually push for that under Barack Obama. We need Medicare for all because of the asbestos situation uh, that happened here. And they were grant, they were able to get Medicare for everybody in Libby Montana. And a lot of people don't talk about that. And that's another thing I think that when people are trying to make that case for Medicare for all, they need to bring up that example of Libby Montana. And a lot of people I feel either don't know about it or they do know about it, but they forget to mention it. And I think that's a good example to point to. But I think we need to ask this question. Did RFK Jr. ever consider himself to be radical? Did he say he was radical? When I covered his announcement on the ground, he didn't even refer to himself as a progressive. He said that he was a Kennedy Democrat. That's how he identified himself. So I think that this might be part of the problem. Like just because someone is primary challenging Joe Biden doesn't mean that they consider themselves to be a progressive. And I don't think that he does. At least that's not what he said in his announcement. Like Eric, do you remember when we covered his announcement in Boston? Remember he said that he was a, a, a Democrat. He's a Kennedy Democrat. He never once said that he was progressive. No, I don't think he would identify as that. I, I think they sometimes tag him with that because he's not towing the line on on vaccines and on um, and on the war stuff. But um, right. yeah, he's. I mean, you know, these labels get kind of questionable too. Yeah, but I think that's part of the problem. Is I think that some people are calling him like progressive, and I've, I'm like, why are we? Why are people calling him progressive? And I've never once heard him call himself progressive. You know? I mean, nobody he knows needs Medicare for all, <laughs> you know, he hangs around with rich people, you know, it's like, like his ancestors didn't have to climb over a wall to get here. Yes. Or they're at an age where, uh, Jimmy Dorsch says this, they're at an age where they have Medicare, so they don't need to. Yeah. You get that too, with the older voters. That's a good point too. I didn't think about that, but I mean, he does work with these groups. Like I saw him post pictures of himself working with kids in Compton and stuff like that. He works with groups of people that do need uh, universal health care. So I, I just, I guess I just, you know, for me, it's, um, it's just, uh, he, he's, he understands that there's an issue with big pharma, right? Like he called out like how they made money off of the vaccines and stuff like that. I totally get all of that. But if you understand that and you understand the issue with big pharma, then why would you not be for Medicare for all, which is something that would help cripple big pharma? Does that make sense? Well, she's a capitalist. There's that, that big thing is that capitalists yes, hate that whole thing because it's bad for profits. Right. So that's my thing. That's how I feel about that. Like, how are you going to criticize big pharma and criticize the fact that they're making a profit off of these vaccines, but you're not willing to cripple big pharma and prevent them from continuing to make the profit. That's the problem that I have. And if I interviewed him, I would ask him about that. I would say, look, you know, Bobby Kennedy, I think you're doing a really good job of calling out how big pharma, you know, profited off of these things. But at the same time, I don't hear you trying to cripple the profit. <laughs> Does that make sense? 
Go ahead, Neil. Hey, besties. A hundred percent, it makes sense, Abby. And what doesn't make sense to me, like, here's the other thing. Like, it's not that hard to be for Medicare for all, like, politically speaking. Like, Pramila Jayapal tweets about it every 20 minutes. Like, her intern just tweets it, you know? Like, so what is even, you know what I mean? Like, even if he was like, I want to shill for Big Pharma, I want to... Like, we have so many Democrats who do that. Ro Khanna, he pretends to be for Medicare for All, and he sh- all he does is shill. So even his reluctance to, like, just say that it's possible is, like, weird. Like, I don't, I, I don't know what, it, what it's about, really. Um, to do the bare but, but like, right? Like, like, you would think if they were good politicians, like, um, to, to play the game, they would be doing the... Right. And he even said something like, well, I see it as like, uh, you know, like maybe in like 300. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Um, like he said something like, you know, it's just not politically feasible. But Sabi, you're right. Like I think about Libby Montana all the time. There's you can literally pass Medicare for all by executive order. There's like a stipulation in Obamacare that if there's a, you know, like a national emergency, you can you can give people Medicare for all by executive order like it just it doesn't take congress it takes political will that's what that's what's missing and he has political will in all of these other areas that it actually makes no sense and i'm just so like i'm trying to like basically i feel like marianne and rfk are competing to be like who's the worst (laughs) like this that's what it feels like to me obviously biden is the worst but between the two of them they're pissing me off like they're <laughs> like both of them so honestly i'm not sure so you're saying like if I got... so you're saying you don't agree with rfk about building a wall like israel has oh yeah we need ground detectors to like identify this like what is even going on there i mean jesus Ooh. but like you know and marianne i mean her nonsense of like you know two states are like you know you know, like, uh, that's that we really need justice for both, for both, because all lives matter. Like, Marianne triggers me all the time. I mean, we, and I agree with Savvy that her campaign is fucking done. But like, if I'm in a primary and there's a gun to my head, I don't know who I'm picking because they're both awful. Obviously, West, we all agree. I mean, in the general, that's like, of course. But if you, what do you guys think about, like, if you have to pick, in the primary, what do you do? I won't be voting in the primary, so there's I don't that. vote. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's that's my take. Oh, but you're throwing your vote away. You could influence the Democratic Party by sticking it to Biden. Don't you want to vote against Biden? Hashtag hashtag. Like, I mean, I'm kidding, but like, I, I think you call RFK lesser to evil. I, I I will when I vote third party. I think that's where I'm at, because at this point, they're just, I mean, for a while, I was like, you know, maybe one of them, like, you know, just to stick it to Biden, I would, you know, like to show the disaffected uh, voter or like to influence the primary in some way. But honestly, they're both terrible, like in it's it's in their own ways, their own creative ways. I wonder if there'll be a Green Party primary. I mean, I wonder if we'll be going able to like go to the polls on those days and select our favorite green candidate well for right now um what i found out recently it turns out howie hawkins is not running after all so unless someone else decides to run against dr west 
Because it'd be bad that you have a fight, but I guess it could be good in that you get press coverage and, you know, everybody likes a contest. But I guess no matter what happens, like, we, they, they should do, like, events and big rallies or something on those days. Have to, Eric. I, something like that. Yep, they have to to get the word out. Um, I'll just um, try to buttress my second and last point. You, you guys led me into it. Um, me and a friend of mine on here... Um, she actually did the work for me. I, I appreciate you, Amanda. We, uh, she looked up the, the amount of voting that the Green Party has. And at best, for, for a layman like me, uh, it is very unclear. Um, she found out it was something like they only have ballot access in 15 states. And all the um, uh, leftist slash progressive uh, YouTubers, their, their line has been, oh, we can vote for them because they have access in 48 states, which, you know, 48 almost equals 50. That gives them a shot to, if everybody voted for them, the presidency, right? But 15, that is very, that is a very different number than 48. I, I really think someone needs to do a deep dive into uh, that. Neither one of those numbers are correct. Okay. The Green, the Green Party has access, ballot access, last I checked, in 28 states. Okay. However, they always get more than that. So, for example, Jill Stein was on the ballot in over 40 states. So just just keep that in mind. They have that they have permanent ballot access in 28 states, but they always get more than that. And if Jill Stein was able to get ballot access in over 40 states, then Cornell West will definitely be able to get ballot access in over 40 states. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, and I think we talked about that too. That there's the the drives to um, uh, get on the ballot, and they they it pushes that forty to fifty number, which is um, admirable. We could have a discussion for a long time because I consider myself a cynic to American public or uh, American um, elections. I, I don't even think it matters, but that that's a whole other thing. I appreciate you um, clearing that up a little bit. I think it does still need. Uh, some more looking into because um, a, a Jimmy Dore type, I don't know if it was Jimmy Dore, but I think you can get that a, a progressive on YouTube um, or that has been the narrative since 2016 that the Greens have access because they have so many states. I think that is a, a detriment to the story because that could turn off drives to get people to, to do um, – not fundraising, what is the word? Uh, but, but to get people to sign the petition, um, we really need to be serious about that if we are considering uh, Cornell West. Yeah, for... he'll, get, he'll get it, no problem. Because the thing wow. is, is like, what people have to understand is at that point in time, like Jill Stein was not well known before she ran for president. She mm. became popular after that. Cornell West is already well known. So he's, he's, he'll get that, like those 40, the, over the 40 states. I don't think that's going to be a, a big issue, a big struggle for him. But I think what people may be doing is they are looking at Jill Stein's run okay. and they're assuming that that's how much access the Green Party has. That's not true. This is, you can look up the, um, you can Google this actually and look up the information and you'll see how much they have. But what people have to go a step further is to see you know, which ones were permanent and which ones did Jill Stein add on. And that's the piece I think they're missing. The Libertarian Party, however, has ballot access in all 50 states. 
Right on. I wish they would do a team up. You know, we talk about democracy and um, voting against the duopoly. If, if the independent parties, and this is what I'll leave you on. If we were serious about as independents, leftists, even right-wingers, libertarians, whatever, we would throw away our labels and um, come together and drop our differences and say, let's work this out to capture that office. Thank you, Sabby. All right, Zach. Well, it also kind of okay. sounds like, Zach, you're talking about a movement, you know, and and I think, you know, one of the things we should be challenging the Cornell West campaign to be doing is to have this not just be a campaign, but to have this be a real, a real movement. But it's going to need, you know, it, I mean, my version of a movement that I've been thinking about is is having a clear set of demands and this demand space, demand space movement and demand space campaign. But it, it this needs to be more than just electing Cornell West. I mean, this needs to be a whole movement that's there before we vote, that's there during and that's there after the election, whether he gets in or not. And, you know, I'm still waiting to hear how, you know, what their vision of that is. Yeah. Well, when Jill Stein comes back on, I got to touch back base with her. When Jill comes back on, we can talk to her about that as well because she is the campaign manager and I think she understands the importance of having a, a movement, the importance of that, because the thing is, is that after this is all said and done, people need something to go back to. That's what the Bernie Sanders movement lacked. There was nothing for people to return back to after he lost in 2020. By design, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And you guys saw that form I showed you tonight, that Bernie Sanders signed, which made it very clear that the DNC is the one who decides. So... That's, people are you know, so hungry for this. People are so ready. I mean, it, it's like a spark that needs to be to be lit up. Yeah. Let me bring in um, uh, Jared, and then I'll go back to neoliberal tears. What's up, Jared? Just got to hit the unmute button there. Hey, what's up, Savvy? What's up, Eric? Hello. How y'all doing? Um, I definitely agree with Eric that um, – I, and I, I think that it would play to Cornell West's strength. <laughs> Um, if he made this um, into a movement, well, not him specifically, but if there was a movement, you know, around what he's doing, I think that would definitely play into his strength. And the way that he talks too, I think is more suited for that uh, rather than like campaign speeches and things like that, even though he does, I think need to like have a good writer and sort of brush up on those things um, so that he's, um, he's like concise. I think he's getting a little better at it too from the last couple of, um, interviews that I've seen of him that he's like having concise making concise statements um but yeah as as far as RK Jr. goes um ah, man I just I feel like one day he says one thing and then the other day he says another thing he just he's he gives me he's someone who I think would fold under pressure and um as far as like him not being for um for Palestine if you're against that, and someone else said it on your show too, but if you're against that, it makes it very hard for me to believe that you're going to even try and stand up to the military industrial complex. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm unwavering on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that makes me very, very wary of him. But I think, I think he's ultimately going to lose. And I think honestly, Joe Biden being the, um, the person that's going to be the general that's going to be in a general election would play way better for Cornell West. I think that would be amazing. Um, 
I think what's interesting is that RFK Jr. said that he didn't think that Medicare for all would be feasible, but he thinks that dismantling the CIA is going to be feasible. Yeah, that's that's one of those things where it's like (laughs) he's just saying stuff. So people were like, nah, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds that sounds good. And, you know, that's just yeah, that's just uh, it's it's just he's just throwing out things. He's a like one of my cousins. uh, He says like um, he'll call people like that, like a flim flam. Like he's he's a flim flammer, you know, and I think that. Yeah, if if you you don't think like you say you brought up a very good point that he's an environmental lawyer but he's not for universal healthcare. To me that's contradictory. And that's just that's insane. That's that's borderline insanity. Um but I didn't hear the piece that was um that was on your show tonight about reparations. I just want to know if you could brief me real quick. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Sandy Darity and Kirsten uh, Mullen, they wrote the book From Here to Equality, right? And uh, they did a lot of research in reference to reparations. And um, they went through like their four pillars that they have. They went through like why reparations is needed. And I had some some questions for them in reference to like, you know, how would it be done? And like, how do people trace their lineage? Because some people just don't have a clue. I mean, like my family, I didn't want to make it all about me, but like I mentioned, like, for example, I don't know anyone before my great grandmother. Like, I just, I just don't. And, you know, records were lost and like my family has moved all over the place. So it, it makes it even harder. And then, um, it's, it's just not easy for those who are not aware. It's not as easy for African-Americans to trace our, our ancestry because, uh, during slavery, records weren't recorded for some people their names were changed birthdays weren't kept for some people so it's, it makes it very difficult to find now alex haley was able to find his roots and more power to him mm. but most of us <laughs> have not been so lucky um so i asked about that and I, and we talked about um the fact that why they feel that the u.s government should not pay reparations to uh immigrants that have come to this country like people who are haitian jamaican and i asked them who should pay those reparations and i brought up examples like basically should haiti get it from france from jamaica get it from the uk and like they said like yeah they should get it from those countries and stuff like that um and another thing that they made very clear which i hope people really grasp is that they're not against universal policies those programs like they're for medicare for all they're for all those things but what they made very clear tonight And if you read the book and you see the research, you'll see this as well. Even with those universal programs, black people will still be at the bottom. We all we still won't be equal economically. And that's the point that they're trying to get across to people. So, I mean, there there were some agreements. There were some disagreements like um, one thing that they brought to my attention, which I was not aware of, but I'm going to start asking more questions about the the groups that are trying to do like a reparations task force in the states like california um they're trying to do one here in boston and stuff like that dr darity made it very clear to me tonight that there's no way the states are going to be able to even pay for those programs he said they don't have the funding to do so so he was just he said he don't and he said they need to call it something else because he said he don't understand how they're going to be able to do those things when they don't even have the funding and he said the funding needs to come from the federal government. It does not come from tax dollars. That's another thing, another myth that people believe that it comes from tax dollars. And they made it very clear, like, no, it doesn't. 
Um, I asked him, I said, why shouldn't corporations pay towards this since they profited off of like slave labor and stuff like that? And he said, well, they can if they want to. But basically the way it came across to me was that um, they're not going to I basic, basically like they're not going to to push them to. They pretty much feel like it should come from the federal government. Yeah, because, it's not um, like all these corporations are going to bankrupt themselves to you know to for, to do reparations. I think right. the way you, you you get value out of the corporations is to tax them properly, and then, and right. then you, you just like generate the money and do your represent. Yeah, but it's well, yeah, it's, it's a red gonna... herring as a solution. Right, they're not going to volunteer to pay reparations and so stuff like that. So they, I, I did learn a lot. Um, well, they're great. Them. Yeah, they're they're really good. Yeah, I, I think um, what you said, Eric, is very. I, that's a great point um, to tax them properly and for those funds to be um, to be for those causes. Um, it's on uh, reparations and try. I'm. I was somebody who was very, 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 very pro reparations. Um, I'm just, I'm just so wary. I'm just so wary of the government. That I'm just like, oh man, I don't even know if I, if I particularly. Um, not that I wouldn't receive the money. I mean, of course I would, but I don't know if you know. I just, I'm not sure how that would be worked out because it would have to pass through so many, um, so many hands before it's even approved. That I'm like, I, I almost don't, I almost, not that I don't want it, but I, I just don't want it to be muddied, you know, because it is such a big deal. But I heard Cornel West say something today. He was on this um, podcast called, the, I think it's called the Black Paramedia Podcast, even though I'm not like a super fan of like how they um, treated him on there um, personally. What um, do you mean by that? Oh, we'll come back to that. Finish what you were saying. Sorry. Oh, no, no, you're fine. Um. But what Cornell West said, he said he thinks that reparations isn't the, and I'm not saying that anyone um thinks this on here, but um, he said that it's not the answer, that it's just a step, you know, towards like um, I guess like grow, not growing ourselves as a people, but it's a step towards um, I wouldn't even say being, it it is a step towards being righted, um, but it's a step towards us being able to be like to catch up in a wealth race, to be more self-sufficient, in a wealth race, to be more self-sufficient. Um, I think those things are very important. Um, I was looking this up today and I was looking up um, what is a mono-ethnic society and, you know, a society where people are generally um, of the same ethnicity or like same cultures and things like that. And that's why I believe that America um, has always been like a very, like a very, um, like a, a state that's like just built, you know, for the 1% because you have so many people coming here. It's, you know, it's advertises, you know, for people to come here to work and, you know, move themselves up and stuff like that. Um, you know, but many who come here find that that's not, you know, that's not the case, you know, when you get mm -hmm. here. And it's built on all these different ethnicities. So it's so divided. It's like, you know, it's like it was, it was built for this particular purpose almost. Um, so I think that in mono-ethnic societies, you would have like a, it would be it would be easier, like I guess, if black people existed in a mono ethnic society. And I'm someone who is I I am I'm becoming like even more of an advocate. I feel like for repatriation, like to Africa. I'm not saying to like live there permanently, like if you don't want to, but at least to go back and forth to have property. And it is very I think it's very hard to do that in some states in Africa because like 
a lot of land when you go there. It's like it's like lease. It's like leaseholder land. So you can have it for 99 years. You know what I mean? Unless you're like a citizen, you naturalize yourself, you become a citizen or you get dual citizenship. Um, but I think that I think that being in that mono ethnic society gives you more of a um, more of a foothold. I think it gives you a little more strength in order to in order to build up um uh, momentum like around a movement that is particularly for black people um mm-hmm. the ultimate answer that this is what we're gonna do this is gonna work it's just a thought and that you know those countries still definitely need um reparations particularly from like multinational corporations and from and from european powers who you know who got a lot of wealth from these countries i think that it's like a really big i mean it's, it's a really big topic um yeah. but i thank you for having that on your show and for bringing that up. So I just want to say thank you. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think Dr. West is right. Like it's not it's not the end all be all. It's not it's it's a step, but it doesn't fix everything. There are still other things that need to be done. There was a gentleman that came on my show way back in the day. I, I need to try to find him again on Facebook because that's how he reached out to me. Uh, he's from Ohio and he moved to uh, Africa. And I think he's I think he might be still living there. I have to double check. But he was talking about his experience living there and he said it was nothing like what he thought it was going to be. And he was talking about how he felt even more empowered once he, he said he lived in a place where he said like almost everybody looked like him. And most of us in this country have not experienced this. And when I seen everybody, he said, like you get on the airline in Africa, he said, everybody is, is black. You, you go to the hotels, all the people that work at the hotels are black. Everybody is, he said, it's the complete opposite of what you see in the United States. And he said it just did something to him um, and, and kind of motivated him. He wrote a whole book about it, like really smart guy. So young too, young guy, very smart, very intelligent. Um, and he was talking about that. Um, but I think that a lot of us just don't know what that experience is like. And even for people who grew up in the US and you grew up in an all black neighborhood or all black community, that's still not the same as living in a country where everybody is that way. And a lot of the other countries in in the world tend to be more, um, I I guess more monolithic, like for example, like Korea, South Korea is like that. When my dad was stationed in South Korea, my dad was just like, it was the weirdest thing to him to not, the only place where he saw like people that were not Korean was on base. And once he left base, it was just like he was in another world and he had never had that experience before. He said like South Korea, I think is the most, I think South Korea is the most monolithic country in the world, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. I think South Korea is the most, um, let me see. Let me see. Our, I th- yeah, I think South Korea is. So I think, so my dad was like, when he went to South Korea, he was like, the looks he would get from people and the, the things people would say to him, like they just weren't see- used to seeing a black person. But the same thing would happen with his his fellow soldiers, even those soldiers that were white. Like he said, like people would just be in awe of like, whoa, because they just weren't used to seeing a white person. Now keep in mind this many years ago. But uh, yeah, it was very different. Whereas like when when we were stationed in Germany, like 
I didn't really have that experience because there's so many military bases in Germany that you do see a lot of Americans unless you're in like some remote German village somewhere. But if you're in the cities, like if you're in Berlin, you're in Munich and stuff like that, it's not hard for you to find an American because of all the the bases over there. But um, but yeah, it is a different experience. But what 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 did what did he say on Black Power Media? Like, what, what do you mean you didn't you weren't too fond of the treatment? How did that go? I'm curious. I know some of those those guys. Um, well, I definitely, you know, I respect a lot of the questions that they asked him. Um, but I felt like a lot of it and trust me, look, I'm definitely look, I'm blackity black, black, black to quote to quote um Alan Payne, but nah, but mm-hmm. I um you know, so I definitely respect them. Um, but I feel like a lot of their um well, one thing that I do agree with them with is that um I think that he should have a black agenda. Um, you know, yes. but I I think a lot of their questions were centered on like what it is the black power media network. So of course, you know, were centered on, on blackness and they wanted him to focus on it so much. I think to the point of almost like um, sort of ignoring like some more like left leaning things. And, you know, I, I, I get it. I definitely understand it. You know what I'm saying? I sympathize with, with that, but, I, I still think it's like it's still electoral politics, you know what I mean? And he still does have to like appeal to a wide range of people and a lot of independence. So I'm never saying to put those like, um, uh, what do you call it? To put those issues on a back burner. No, you should definitely have them mm-hmm. um, on what you're talking about. But you should not ignore the masses of people that are also out there too, because I think you know, like how Breaking Points um, always says, oh, corporate media is breaking us all apart. Even our Breaking Points is moder- uh, moderates and stuff like that. And they, I think they're like also more so like kind of conservative meaning. Um, but I don't, I, the country is uh, in kind of bad shape, but I really don't think that people are that like ignorant. Like, I don't feel like the masses of people like are that like malicious to the point where they're like, I'm not going to hear anything you're talking about if you know how to talk to them correctly. You know, people that, of course, don't want anything to do with people, you know. Um, but there are people that, you know, if you ask them things, like if you meet them in the middle, you know, on topics that you both can agree on, I think that something can come from that. You know, like you don't necessarily have to like me in order to like hear what I'm saying. If you agree with me on one particular topic, you don't have to like me, but you know, you can res- you can respect what I'm saying particular topic and that's enough for people to start to grow in a direction where they can start to work together because there's clearly enough division out there it's like i don't i don't think that you know we should we should promote um i'm gonna promote my belief and you know f your belief or whatever it's like unless your belief is like definitely about like, like killing me or something like that then i'm like okay dude rock out <laughs> what you're doing but it's like hear- yeah there- yeah I hear where you're coming from. I think, you know, part of the problem, like to keep it real with you, I think part of the problem is that when it came to black issues, I think Barack Obama was such a disappointment that now people are, uh, you know, some black people are just like, nah, like you got to come with us at with us with a, a black agenda because Obama did not have one. Let's just be real. Let's keep it real, guys. He really didn't. Obama catered to, you know, like. He, that's why he picked Joe Biden as vice president, so he could appeal to white moderates. Like, Joe, Obama knew exactly what he was doing. So the thing is, is, like, he didn't have a black agenda. So now some people are just like, the next black politician that emerges, 
on a national level, you're going to have to give us like a black agenda. And I, I totally understand where they're coming from with that. Like, I, I can't, you know, fault them for that. At the same time, I understand where you're coming from as well. When you say that, like, hey, like as a presidential candidate, he's he can't just like alienate people like he's going to have to, you know, uh, agree with 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 policies that are going to benefit everyone yes he still should have a black agenda but he's also going to have to root policies that benefit the masses um um as well and i think what has happened is that after barack obama you know a lot of us just kind of felt like we had a black president and he didn't do anything for black people and let's just be real he didn't and for you to go to a, like a pretty much all black community in Flint, Michigan and pretend to drink the dirty water when those people were like getting sick and shit off the dirty water. Like, let's keep it real. He, he really didn't, you know? So it's like people were just, I think people are willing to just be like, look, man, like we're not going to settle for the little stuff anymore. Like you're going to have to come full with it. And I think they're also being, I need to watch that interview with Black Power Media, but there also needs to be maybe this opinion of people where they're like, listen, if you really want Black people to leave the Democratic Party, you're going to have to come correct and you're going to have to come correct on Black issues. And if you're not willing to do that, the people going to look at you, a lot of Black people going to look at you just like they looked at Obama and going to become like, okay, so once again, we're not brought to the front of the conversation we're brought to the back of the conversation. We're not at the top of the list. We're at the bottom of the list. We're at the middle of the list. And I think a lot of people feel like we need to be at the top of the list for once. And so I think that's where like some of that, you know, energy is maybe coming from. Go ahead, Noel. I saw you. Oh, on. I saw a portion of that interview and I understand what Jared is speaking about. Um, but what I feel like is that, you know, Dr. West has well, first of all, he's a professor and a public intellectual. So he has gotten into this vernacular of talking about, you know, I'm a jazz man and improvisation and this and that. And those concepts are very nebulous. And when people are considering a run for presidency, they're looking for a more discreet policy-based discourse. And so it's like, you know, at a certain point, the um he is heavily on the empathy thing you know my you know my dear brother this my dear sister that and blah 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 but when you're looking for specifics around policy treatments you know all this jazz man and my dear brother and stuff almost seems like a deflection from dealing with the more specific issues that would interrogate where you stand with respect to specific policies. And so as they were attempting to respect him, you know, as a candidate, they were really trying to tease out some of those more specific positions. And I think, you know, he was not quite prepared to respond to some of those questions with the degree of specificity that it would require. And so, you know, to Jared's point and to your point, you know, as a candidate for president, he will have to speak to the broader and more universal issues. But the reality is we have a segmented um, electorate and some segments need a different thing than others. So he has to be able to you know, with a certain degree of finesse, be able to speak to the broader issues and not neglect or abandon those um, 
ethnic specific issues like reparations. And so, and there was also an invitation, so to speak, to antagonize the ADOS group because of their position on reparations. And it does not sit well with some of the people on Black Power Media um, because- antagonize, what, what do you mean to an antagonize? From, from what do you mean? They perceive that the ADOS group and platform is, um, is xenophobic because yeah, they're saying- he said that. He said that on my show. He did say that he will not. He said he will not tolerate the xenophobia. And but here's the thing. Some of them were in the chat. The ADOS platform is not necessarily, it's being mis misconstrued as xenophobic. What they're saying is essentially what Dr. Darity and Chris, Kirsten Mullen were saying in that reparations for immigrant blacks would be based or those types of um requests or petitions would be made to the um, countries where they were oppressed. And so if you are an immigrant here from Haiti or this and that, then, you know, your um, repair would come from, like you say, France for Haiti and the UK for um, the Jamaicans. But that has been construed when it comes to ADOS as them being xenophobic. Now, well, I, I'm just going to chime in real quick and say, based on some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter and they've, they've come after me for random shit. Okay. Some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter from ADOS and from FBA, it's not everybody, but the problem is it's the loudest voices. So that's what people see. Some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter has been xenophobic making fun of the way African people look. I've seen some of that shit on Twitter, making fun of people's teeth and stuff like that. And they're like, see, this is not a black American. Look at where they come from. I don't know if you're on Twitter, Noel, but on no, social I'm not. media, that, that may be where some of that stuff is coming from because that's part of the problem. Like what Dr. Sandy Darity and Kirsten Mullen said tonight, to me, that made sense. The problem is some of the members on on Twitter have not been phrasing it that way. Instead, they've been making fun of people who are immigrants in a really nasty way. And but I this think is, that could be where it's coming from. And that may be where it's coming from, but that is the classic situation of if you have a movement, you're attracting people based on what the tenor of the movement purports to be, but you have people who are affiliated, who say they support it and this and that, and they're all over social media saying all diff different types of things. That's just like in, with the Bernie campaign, you know, the Bernie bros may have said certain things and everybody wants to attach it to Bernie Sanders and make him apologize and this and that. Now, there is a need for the leadership of any movement to disavow of certain things that are being said that are misrepresentative of what the movement stands for. But we have to be careful not to attribute everything that followers and participants say to attribute that to the movement proper and then, you know, go from there. But now, you know, I have watched Yvette Carnell and Antonio Moore for some some episodes early on and in their presentation they can be fast and loose sometimes and it gets 
you know, less formal that I'm, than I was comfortable with, but I have never misconstrued them as being xenophobic. And I have heard Yvette attempt to address that issue. But again, you know, once you have people who take it and run with it and they're all over social media, they're saying anything and they're putting it out there like they see it. And so, but but I've seen, I actually had a conversation recently with Yvette Carmel because she lied on me on Twitter and I had to let her know. I was like, first of all, someone put up a clip from the interview that I had with, with Jimmy Dore where I was talking to him about reparations. Of course, they didn't clip the whole piece about reparations. They only clicked part of it and basically said, Sabrina, you need to have um, Ados on to have this conversation. Sabrina, you and Jimmy need to talk to Ados about this conversation. She responded and said, they, um, they, specifically they, she said, they said they would have me on a while back and then they canceled last minute and I never heard back. So that tells you about them. So I responded to her and I said, who the hell is they? I said, first of all, I never told you that. And then she goes, oh, well, you know, um, I don't know about your, your, your association, but you're the Jimmy Dore show and I see you here. And I said, I'm not a part of the Jimmy Dore show. So that right there, let me know. And you couldn't take the time to click on my profile, which my profile on Twitter tells you exactly who I am. You couldn't click on my profile that says host of Savvy Savvy Podcast, co-host of Revolution of Black. Why would you think I'm a part of the Jimmy Dore show? Nobody hosts Jimmy Dore, but Jimmy Dore. So that was the weird shit to me. But for you to tell a blatant lie and just be like, they said, I said, I never told you anything. And then she finally come back and goes, oh, after I said, I'm not a part of the Jimmy Dore show. Then she said, oh, my apologies. I thought you were a part of the, really? Come on now. You've done research and things like this on reparations. You couldn't click on my profile and see that I wasn't part of Jimmy. You really think somebody co-hosting with Jimmy Dore? She was like, I don't watch the show, but, and then that was another thing to give me the people to say they don't watch the show. You don't watch the show, but you know what's happening. Get out of here and miss me with all of that. So she she pissed me off on that point. When she said that, I was like, oh, no, fuck that. I definitely ain't trying to invite your ass on now. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. And this is the point that um, I would hope that the people in Black Power Media and this whole Black um, segment of the electorate would come to terms with. You know, there are potential fault lines all over the place. Because everybody is coming at things from different angles. They have different perspectives. But I know in specific, in terms of the podcasters and people in independent media, some of these people's um, podcasts um, are monetized in different ways to different levels. And so they say and do things to further that investiture. And it may not be in the best interest of what they consider the movement, but when we go back full circle to um, Dr. West as a candidate, I think he has to be particularly careful as he negotiate these spaces because appearing on all these platforms, you are going to inevitably appear on platforms that have some type of minor or major discrepancies amongst each other. And I don't want to see him unwittingly get drugged into some of these you know, podcaster wars and podcaster fights, because if he is to be a, a successful candidate for president and build a coalition 
around and including, you know, different aspects of the black electorate. He will need to walk in all of these spaces, hear the things that they have to say, but not delve into all this division stuff that that is actually dividing some of these platforms. And so and my hope is that these people who these platform moderators and podcasters would understand that and not necessarily be burdensome to him or his campaign and understand that he is he has to walk a very tight rope because you also consider if he has to deal with these type of conversations and and potential pitfalls in tra community you can only imagine what that's going to translate to when he tries to go to as he says the trump voters because you know some of them have very deep interests in things that are counter to what would be his black constituents. So in terms of trying to draw that universal structure and like Eric says, make it on demands, make sure the demands meet the the people's needs and push it from there. But as you attempt to cultivate support, you have to be careful with some of the cultivation because you don't want to unwittingly step into quagmires of subcultural stuff that's going on. And 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 I understood exactly what Jared was saying because it almost seemed to be a um unkosher space for him because some of the questions seemed as if they were coming from some place that was not necessarily savory. But Ooh. again, I understood it to be them trying to tease out those more specific responses to some of their concerns and questions, but Every time he goes into this, you know, my good brother, my good sister, I'm a jazz man and this and that, it kind of allows him to escape the specificity of the questions being posed, which means that somebody is going to redress it. And, you know, one of the podcasters on that program, I think his name is Kamal Bell or whatever, he seemed to have less tolerance for that. And, you know, because, you know, and, you know, it's a growing process. But Dr. West can be long winded. And <laughs> it seemed like Kamal would cut right in there and be like, but what ABC? And he was definitely driving specific questions. And it was like, Dr. And then the, on the other part, I would like to bring out Dr. West is using his appearances on all these platforms to help people give him the idea so that he can better understand in a more specific way what this community is asking for. And, you know, my final point on this is when we talk about Dr. West versus um, uh, President Obama in terms of their potential candidacies, Dr. West has a long track record in history. And he's been out there and where he stands on, you know, capitalism, imperialism, hegemony and all these things. He's clear about that. And I think some of the, you know, independent medias are concerned that when you move to, you know, redress the Trump voters and and the other portions of white America, that you do not, you know, fall into the... um, ideology of just my my good brother this you know my good sister that and end up saying things that may be contradictory to to promises or things you've said to the black constituency and i feel that that's the thing they're trying to get him concrete 
on what his positions are for this specific set of things so that when he broadens, he won't, you know, you know, stray away from those things. But, you know, and in time, I think, you know, they'll hopefully Chris Hedges will be a part of his writing team and, you know, they'll thrash out the platform and put more meat to it so that people can become more comfortable. And Dr. West will not have to rely on his lecture style so much because he really does need to become more specific, less, you know, less philosophical, less empathetic, not less empathetic in a, you know, a pure sense, but less empathetic in his language as he pivots to becoming more concrete and more specific. Yeah, I, to- I totally understand where you're coming from. I-, I will say one thing I think is cool about Dr. West is he's at least willing to listen because I know CJ and um, CJ and Nick gave him some tips too. And I think the other thing I will say too is I think that um, more people need to be focused on asking him questions about policy. I have noticed a lot of the interviews that Dr. West has done since mine they weren't bringing up issues. Like some of the interviews didn't bring up issues at all. Like I was kind of surprised by that, but um, I think that um, that is something that I think Jill will have to work with him on, uh, focusing on the the issue at hand. What's going on, Stephen? Um, this I think this is the second time I've been on your call, and I just want to tell you something. I watched your whole show tonight, and um. You were you were you were on your game, okay? I was like, going, I was? damn, I thought so. I felt off my game tonight because <sighs> the whole thing, the, the 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 you know the the news I found out about Brittany last night, it really knocked yeah. me. I felt off my game. Yeah, well, maybe I missed some of your better shows, but I got to tell you, um, when you, you tore up uh, uh, th- that Trump tape, you tore up pretty damn good. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sitting there going, damn, you know, it's like you 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 know how to read between the lines. And I'm like, damn. And then, uh, you know, and as for Kennedy, oh, by the way, just for uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, Full disclosure, I'll be walking in a parade wearing a Kennedy Democrat shirt on July 4th. So just to let you know that. You do Um, you, Stephen. Huh? You do you, Stephen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, here, let me let me tell you. Uh, God, I don't want to take a lot of your time, but I, here. The last election cycle, okay? Local races. I had people that I knew, they were conservative Christians, okay? They were supporting a candidate against, I'll call it, uh, the machine, on the Republican side, you follow me? And I knew I'd actually campaigned before for this, these other groups. They were progressive Democrats. Okay. And again, they were going up against the machine. Okay. So I'm, I'm helping out both sides. Okay. <laughs> I like, it's just, that's, I'm, I'm kind of like that way. If I like you, I like you. You know, if you do something stupid, I'm going to tell you and find a way to. But those two cats are working hard. Now, here's what they were up against. One was running for state rep. That's the conservative Republican. 
The other one, she was running for state senator, the progressive Democrat. Okay. They spent one. This is a state Senate race. They spent one million dollars against her. And she only had like 50, 60,000 and a group of volunteers. She won. Okay. They spent a million. Now that state rep race. Okay. They spent a half a million against this guy. But he had dedicated people. And what it comes down to is you have to. I don't like to use the term organize. But what it is is this. You got to get a bunch of people together locally. Okay. And you have to, you know, find a candidate or, you know, or, or invite candidates. Call it a candidate support committee. Okay. So you, so you pick a particular race that everybody focuses in on. Maybe it's a state rep race. Maybe in the off years, it's a mayoral race or something. A well-organized group of motivated people. I just witnessed it in both the Republican and the Democrat side. Okay. I was participating. If you want names, the guy was Jed Davis, Illinois state rep. Look at the race. Look at who, who his opponent was and look at the money they spent. And the gal, the progressive gal, her name is Rachel Ventura. She's a state senator now. And look at the money they spent against her. And these were these were in districts that if you won the primary, then you were elected, okay, because it was lopsided Republican district, lopsided Democrat district. So I'm telling you right now, it comes down to this. You have to start a, a campaign support committee group in this neighborhood or that neighborhood or this small town or this, you know, part of uh, wherever. But people have to take the initiative on their own because ain't nobody going to give it to you. It ain't going to happen. So, um, you know, and, and to be honest, um, <laughs> a lot of my Facebook friends don't even talk to me anymore because I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a Kennedy Democrat. <laughs> Uh, but like, anyway, like, well, I was about to say between me and you, but it's between me, me, you and everyone listening. Um, some of mine like stopped talking to me after I supported Bernie in 2020, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah that's stupid. Yeah, Some people were really mad at me, like really mad. Like I, I was kind of shocked. I was like, damn, like I had one friend tell me, don't be stupid. And then unfriended me. And I was like, OK, yeah, <laughs> then, then, you know, then, you know, they're mental. OK. I'm a, yeah, I'm, they, you they know, I'm an open, I'm an open-minded guy. Okay, I really am. No, and, Stephen, they had Trump derangement syndrome for real. They were like, "Don't be stupid. You're yeah. going to give us Trump." And I was like, "The fuck." And that's another thing. I I could go into issues of like I'll tell you right now. I voted for Trump against Hillary. Okay, not because I like Trump. It's because I hated Hillary. Okay, I I hadn't voted, I hadn't participated in the electoral process for years in 2008 because I was traveling the country. Okay, and but I decided, you know, I hated Hillary so much I took out a Democrat primary ballot. I happened to be living in uh, uh, North Carolina, and I was even a Democrat, uh, uh, you know, poll election judge, polling judge, got paid for it too, but. Um, 
you know, and I I voted in the Democratic primary one time because I hated Hillary. I hated her back then. So I voted for Obama in the in the primary. <laughs> so I voted against Hillary twice in two different ways. But when it came to uh, 2020, I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't vote for Biden. I didn't vote for anybody. Okay, I mean, I live in Illinois. It really doesn't matter if I vote for anybody or not. But just from, I just, I, I knew about Biden and his crookedness. Everybody knew about Biden and his crookedness back in the 80s and, and the 90s. Everybody knew. But um, so anyway, um, no, I think Cornell West wants to run, you know, bless his heart. If you, you know, I don't know what effect he's going to have, but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Um, you know, Kennedy, is he probably going to lose? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. If they want to go out and say, here, here I am, we need more people like that. But that's, that's, uh, that's my opinion. So anyway, um, you did a great job. Um, enjoyed the, um, uh, your RFK analysis too. And, um, I'm still haven't grasped, um, I have an idea for Medicare for all, but it has to do with the social security numbers. Now, again, if I'm boring you, um, just let me stop. But here, oh, no, do tell. I'm, I'm always up for ideas. <laughs> okay. Here's what it is. There's probably five, at least a half a dozen, maybe, you know, major uh, organizations in our country that handle health insurance. You know, like United Healthcare, like Kaiser Permanente, you know, uh, there, you know, there's, there's gotta be at least five, you know, big ones. Okay. And what my, what my, uh, thoughts were on this is, okay, everybody gets on to a health plan. Everybody. Okay. They got to chip in what they can. But the whole idea is you have these major organizations that have handled insurance, you know, claims and this and that. They've got, they've, they're the professionals. They know what to do. They know how to keep costs down because you treat it like a utility. Someone's going to get a little profit out of it. But what it is, is that you have competition. So let's say Kaiser Permanente, they get, Everybody who's got a social security number zero and one and Blue Cross Blue Shield nationwide, they get organized as a federal, not, not just a state organization. And they get uh, social securities ending in two and three and three and four and four and five. OK, so then what it is. Is you could create a, a bonus system for that utility. That if the consumers, you know, how they rate, how they're rated by a separate rating agency, you know, in other words, you go to a third party and rate your, your healthcare and whoever does the best gets the bigger bonus. You, you see, so what it is, is you've got five organizations dedicated to taking care of and, you know, and if the only thing I haven't figured out and maybe one, you know, it'll, my, my idea will never go, but, there's a way to sit there and go, okay, if one organization is so bad, there's got to be a way that you can prepare a new organization or maybe just say, hey, you take all these managers out and find new management, you know, new managers, something. But the point is, is using the Social Security system, there is a way 
that you don't have government employees doing this. You have private sector people doing it just like you would a utility. And so there's a, there's a, uh, you know, a profit motive, but there's not a, you know, gouge you out a profit motive. There's a motivation to get ahead a little bit. Um, you know, that, you know, that's along the same lines of, um, people, you know, they go against capitalism and then you got this communism, social Marxism. There's, it, this won't work. This doesn't work for major corporations and, and big stuff, but there's a lot of businesses like there's what they call, they're called co-op, co-ops in Spain that are just amazing. But it, it, again, there's a small organizations, but uh, maybe, you know, someone can develop, you know, the co-op system here in the United States, not a commune system, but a co-op system. They used to have co-ops here in our country, but the uh, bottom line is, um, I, I enjoy, we have worker co-ops. In fact, yeah, Marco, well, Marco, who's in the chat, he's a part of a, a worker co-op. Okay. Well, the thing is, is okay. So in the worker co-op, is there a, a, a manager co-op that's with that organization? You can't have a worker co-op and all workers and not have managers that have an interest in the co-op themselves. You see what I'm saying? Um, that all depends on how it, you set up your co-op. Well, the, the, they've got the models. They've got the models in Spain. They've been doing it for about uh, decades and uh, to, to success. And the people who work for the co-op, you know, and or manage the co-op, they're, they're happy. They like what they're doing. So, but I, you, you can't take it to scale, but you can certainly do it when it comes to uh, local businesses. You certainly can do that. It's, it sounds more like you were talking about an ESOP more than a co-op. Well, I don't know what an ESOP is, but... Um, it sounds a little bit more like what you was explaining with managers and so on and so forth, but a uh, worker co-op, the workers have a little bit more power, well, have all the power pretty much in, in uh, decisions. Well, the members of the co well, the members of the co-op, you know, they participated in voting who's going to run the thing, you know, who's going to be this manager, that manager. Yeah. So that, and they have that sounds more like an ESOP than a, than okay. a co-op. All right. A co-op, well. a co-op would be, you know, we're all bosses, so we all are going to decide on uh, this or that, or, you know, like what you, who should we contract with and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, I, I, I feel I feel where you're coming from, but me personally, I am not with having this uh, privatized healthcare system. It gotta go. No, this isn't. No, you're you're, you're totally I'm mistaken. I'm talking about when you was talking about healthcare and have it based on profit. The moment that you say let healthcare be based on profit and competition and so on and so forth, that's pretty much what we got now. No, no, good. we don't. No, we don't. Okay. What I'm trying to say, no, what I'm saying is the way they have the insurance companies now, their profits are unlimited. Okay. They can, they can sit there and squeeze everything out in a utility setting. Okay. You, it's highly regulated. Okay. You know, for instance, you know, who produces electricity? Your utility. Okay. Do they make a profit? Yes. Is it you know, outrageous? No. Is it highly regulated? Yes. Okay. 
So the reason I, the reason I say that, okay, is I'm not sold on I, I get it, I'm not sold on a lot of jobs that the government does because I worked in the government, and I'm I'm going to tell you this, within a month of working in the government, okay, federal government, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm not the originator of this phrase, but here's the phrase I came up with: If you think half your taxes are wasted. You're only half right. It was horrible. And I just, it just, you know, that, that convinced me that, you know, if there's a way to get a lot of, uh, uh, processes, you know, away from the government or computerize it, I don't care. Um, because basically 75% of the money that we put into the federal government, I'm telling you right now, it's that bad. And I'm not against government. Good God. <laughs> but, you know, our local governments, they're good people. They work hard. I know they do. Okay? I've been involved in the electoral process for 50 years outside of my travels and outside of my army. So the thing is, is that for whatever reason, when you get to the big government stuff, I got to tell you, the corporation a, – a corporation – could char could could uh, could make a widget, okay, and could sell it for th- four times of what they made it, three times for what they made it for, and they'd still be competitive with the government trying to produce the same widget. I mean, that's that's anyway. I'm again, I'm not an I'm not a, a pro corporatist. Good God. All the people I support, they're on the outside. I support people on the outside trying to knock knock down the doors. That's why I helped out those two campaigns and other campaigns before that. So, you know, I, I think uh, I, I've, I've talked too much. But uh, just uh, it's been a pleasure listening to you guys, to, to Sabby, um, you know, and uh, I just I like hearing new ideas. And um, the only thing is, uh, Kennedy, I, I will say this. He was on Glenn Greenwald's show. You you know who Glenn is, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh Glenn put it to he put it to Kennedy about um uh Israel and Palestine, okay? Cuz you know how Kennedy comes out, well, you know, I got my family's had a long history and this and that. And uh Greenwald cornered him. <laughs> he did a good job. I can't explain what he said, but when Kennedy said, well, you know, I'm open to ideas. And, and when you put it that way, um, and um, as for, I followed uh, Sabby um, when uh, that Norm Finkelstein was on. And he was so right. We're talking about Palestine. And Finkelstein was so right. The, the, the Hamas and the Palestinian Authority is so corrupt that you can't deal with them. And he's right. And it's not just the Palestinians. The whole damn region, okay? We're talking centuries of uh, cultures that the only thing these people know how to do, and I don't care if it's Jew, I don't care if it's Muslim, I don't care if it's like in my family, Assyrians, they're taught to lie, okay? If you don't know how to lie in the Middle East and Iran, and uh, what is it? Uh, uh, whatever. I forgot the Afghanistan. 
and Uzbekistan and Turkestan and Kazakhstan and Ukraine and Russia. Okay. That's all these people do. And it's not because they, you know, they're evil. It's that that's what they do. That's what they've been taught. And you can't stop it. Okay. You're, you're talking about you. It's just like the United States. Oh, yeah. We're going to go into Afghanistan and create a democracy. Are you fucking nuts? Or we're going to go into Iraq and create a democracy. You're really fucking stupid. Okay. So we need to stay the hell out of a lot of the stuff in this world and take care of ourselves first. Okay. And, you know, that's my thing about that. So. All right. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. Roger, I'm going to go ahead and bring you in and then I'll bring in Ashura. Um, so about what he was, what he was saying, I'm, I guess I'm going to go uh, backwards to rewind all, all the way back or whatever. The thing is, is whether it's government, whether it's business, if we do not control either of these, if we don't, if, if we don't control either of these entities, these two big institutions, government and business, through direct democracy, whether it's with competitive public financing of elections and ranked choice voting in elections, whether it's cooperative ownership in the workplace and in business, or whether it's citizen ballot initiatives, amendments, and I'm talking all the way up to what Mike Ravel's dream was to have a national ballot initiative amendment, then we are always guaranteed to get screwed by both. So that putting that aside, I wanted to um, address real quick, uh, going back to what Jared was talking about, and you and Noel kind of already addressed part of it already or whatever, but speaking about things like black agendas and so on and so forth, what's the politician's black agenda? It should be the other way around. We present the black agenda to them and they and they either commit to it or not, because a lot of times if you leave it up to politicians to 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 come up with a solution, you'll be like, oh, that's that's not what we that's not exactly what we wanted. A good example of that was when black people in the community was crying to was 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 crying out to the government for help for what was going on during the crack epidemic in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. They was like, help, 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 we need help, or whatever the case is, but we didn't present them with a solution. So then Joe Biden came in with his solution and Clinton came in with his solution and Reagan came in with his solution and it really didn't work out for us. So when you wanna approach these politicians, you come to them with your agenda and your demands, no matter what that agenda or that demand is. Now, also, I also wanted to address, we have to stop all lives mattering black issues, okay? Uh, what Jared was talking about before, because I, I didn't get a chance to speak to him, but um, what Jared was talking about before, I didn't see this interview with um, Black Power Media or whatever the case is, but the thing is, when you go on these shows, look, they're asking for certain things that are specific to them, to their community, so on and so forth. Every time, and then, and then on top of that, when I was looking in the chat, um, not this chat, but when um, you had uh, Dr. Mullen and um, Darity on, everyone was just like, oh, what about uh, the Native Americans? What about Japanese people? What about, wait a minute. When these other groups ask for their stuff, 
do any of y'all or does anybody say, hey, what about black people? What about, you know, like if you have Native Americans on, does, does anyone say, hey, what about black people's reparations? What about this? What about that? It only seems when we talk about our issues, people start all lives mattering the crap out of us. And we got to stop that. Yeah, yeah, let me let me jump in for just a second. Um, when I do interviews, I'm not looking at the chat, just FYI, for people who are yeah, not aware. Yeah, no, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. I, will, I will say um, I've gotten pretty tired of that as well. And I, and I have said this before, every time I would bring up, even on this platform, when I brought up like reparations, people say, what about the indigenous people? Let me tell you, my friends who are indigenous, when they are fighting for things like treaties and stuff like that, they are not asking what about black issues. My friends who are Asian, when they're fighting for certain things, my friends who are Latino, when they're fighting for certain like immigration rights and things like that, they're not asking about what about black issues. This is what people have to fully understand. It's only when we do it, then people are like, oh, well, you got to include other people. Where was the include other people when the U.S. government decided to give reparations to Japanese Americans who were part of the. With Dr. Darity uh, and, and, and Kirsten Mullen. That's why I brought that up, because the thing is, I brought that up to show you that the U.S. government has paid reparations to certain people. You're going in and out. Huh? Okay. All right. I can hear you now. So oh, I was saying you went out. when I brought up the issue about the Japanese American um, reparations, what I was saying is that when I brought that up tonight is that it was done to show you that the U.S. government has paid reparations to certain groups, just not us. Yeah. And, yeah, that's, and that's, what, that's what people really have to understand. So the thing is, is that I do get really sick and tired of every time I bring up an issue that's particular to black people. Here come people like, what about this group? What about that group? When those groups are talking about issues that are particular to their community, do you go into their chat and ask them what are black people? No. Exactly. And is, okay. oh, go ahead. I was just going to say to add context to that and, and help understand where that comes from. You know, America has made the descendant of slave the baseline of the socioeconomic structure in this country. So think of it this way. If you are the very bottom, everybody above you understands the social order. So if we talk about the Japanese, and by the way, when the Japanese were given reparations, by the U.S. government, it was not made a big public discourse and, oh, we got to put it on the ballot and everybody got to weigh in. That is a part of the white supremacy that is woven in this country, that if you talk about any measure that says anything for the descendants of slaves, everybody gets alarmed because they know if you do something specific to better their plight, you begin to threaten the whole socioeconomic order. That's why there's this push 
to make everything that is spoken for about the descendants of slaves, there's this attempt to make it universal. So what they're saying is, if you do anything for the base, you got to do it for everybody else. And that maintains the structure so that instead of us moving up from the basement, the entire social structure shifts based on what's made universal through us. And that's why there is this attempt that every time you say descendants of slaves, everybody is saying, well, what about so-and-so? What about so Because they're saying, what about the social strata above them? If you move them and not make it universal, you're going to upset the social order. And that's the subtext of where those questions come from. But that also demonstrates to you how deeply and profoundly white supremacy is woven into the American subconscious. And they can't fathom doing anything. And when they say, oh, we got to run this by and everybody... When you say to a white majority country that you know is still having issues with white supremacy, oh, we're talking about reparations for the descendants of slaves, you know they're all going to jump right in and be like, no, 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 because they're seeing themselves being displaced in some kind of way. But by the same token, when you talk about the things that you've done for the indigenous people or the Japanese in turn during World War II, no one is saying, oh, we got to take this to the people. They just say we're going to do the right thing by that group. And that's why when those groups are in those processes, they're not saying, what about the descendants? Because they understand us to be the bottom too. Nobody cares about the bottom. Yeah. And that's, that's where philosophically and psychologically those lines of questioning come from. It's that deep understanding that this is the bottom of the pyramid and if you move it without moving the entire pyramid, you're going to destroy the social order. And I'll also add too, I want to give you an example in reference to class. Something that I always point out to you guys, notice when politicians speak, most of them, most of the time, when they talk about the class issue, they always mention the middle class. We have to strengthen the middle class. We have to rebuild the middle class. We need a vibrant middle class. You never hear them mention poor people. You don't hear them mention working class people. That's another example to show you they don't care about the people at the bottom. So apply that same ideology, apply that same rhetoric when it comes to race. This is, should be an eye-opening moment, I hope, for some people, the fact that even when we talk about class, kind of a lot of people say they were they were they're white, but they were born poor. Well, okay, to to those of you who are white and were born poor, or born working class, I'm here to let you know they don't care about you either. That's why they don't mention you. That's why they don't mention working class. That's why they don't mention poor people. So you see what I'm saying? They don't care about people at the bottom. I'll go back to you, Roger. Sorry. So. Um, also, we do it to ourselves. I saw, and uh, Jared, I'm not picking on you, I swear. But when you were speaking, when he went on um, Black Power Media, okay, you were saying, oh, he needs to be uh, uh, universal. And no, 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 he's on a specific show. This is the same thing that Black people did with, and I was, I was guilty of it myself, during Obama. He's not the president of black people. He's the president of everybody. And we, we, we talked ourselves into getting nothing from him. Meanwhile, all these other groups got something because they demanded something specific for them.
So we have to stop doing that to each other ourselves, okay? He went on Black Power Media. They will want to know about specific issues. Speaking of that, now, I was I was thinking my same thought process, Noel, that you were talking about is that he needs policies specifics. He is a politician now, okay? You got to put that, all this talk about John Coltrane aside and all, all that philosophical, esoteric stuff, blah, 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 whatever the case is. Hey, don't okay? be hating on Coltrane. <laughs> <laughs> so we love Coltrane, but you're a politician now. You know what I mean? And it sounds like what Noel was saying was that, I guess you watched the interview. I didn't watch the interview, but he, but one of the guys was trying to pin him down is, was just like he was getting tired and he was just like, okay, can, can we just get to the specific things that you would do and so on and so forth? Because I'm feeling that way myself. Now, let me attach that to why I said, if anybody watched Hardlands Media today and I was chatting it up with Pasta, who just dismissed what um, he, he said, made a comment about, because I said, listen, before he goes running off into Trump country and starts talking to them folks over there, he needs to come home first and speak to us and, 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 and get the base here. And he was, no, no, absolutely no, no. Look, they're, they're going to vote for him anyway. I'm like, uh, now, just like, Noel just said, or Jared, or just said when he was getting interviewed by Black Power Media, and I guess these guys are under 50 or whatever the case is, you know what I'm saying? The black people under 50 are like, uh, yo, we're we not falling for that okie doke stuff no more. You see what I'm saying? Don't assume that just because he's black and they're black that, oh, they're going to vote for him anyway. You know what I mean? It's, it's these subtle things that you hear from, from white leftists that assume that our our votes and our voice is taken for granted that oh no they they gonna be down like since when since when blacks have voted uh, green anyway you know what I mean so obviously he was talking about black people okay so like no don't do not do that Bernie did that when he said no to reparations and look what happened okay so that has to stop as well now let me just say this. Um, no, Dr. Darity didn't know that much about public banks. While you guys was talking, me and him was DMing each other, and I was telling him about public banks and so on and so forth. And I gave him some stuff to read, a, a, you know, a book or whatever. I said, okay, listen, thank you, know you for doing that, because I was like, am I losing <laughs> it or what? Am I losing you, my yeah. mind? No, no, but the, it, it, was, it was, you know, there, there was some things that we saying respectfully back and forth to each other because he was just like oh this sounds interesting i never really heard of it before but well how can it do this and blah 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 so on and so forth but about this and and then you know he said um i was talking about california public banking alliance and he was saying well what about in cal he started giving me like numbers and stuff and i was just like well listen i said ellen hogstons brown who is the founder of the public banking institute lives in california i guess dr Derry lives in california i don't i'm not sure but um, I was just like, you should, I, I, matter of fact, I sent him some links like for the Public Banking Institute to come on our monthly Zoom so he could ask more questions. Um, he already knows and is a colleague of Dr. Derek Hamilton. And okay, I'm going to try to pronounce this woman's name, but she wrote the book, The Color of Money, Maharazin, something like that, right? Anyway, she wrote the book, The Color of Money, right? And she talks about public banks. 
he knows both of them. So I was just like, you know, like hit them up, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, like, so, so, you know, like he, he's, he's just really learning about, cause when he was talking about before, he's thinking we're talking about like a private bank, like a, like a bank that you do your mortgage at and so on and so forth. So he just didn't, he just never heard of it. He didn't know whatever. So, he, you know, I put him on a journey to, to, to look up public banking pretty much. Um, now here's another thing. How about Sabrina? I got an idea. Hold on. Can I How be quick? Go ahead. I realized I'm starting to realize not everyone yeah. that is an economist knows a lot about public banking. This is true. Um, I would like to, how about we do this? How about we invite Dr. Cornell West on call it so we can ask him questions? What do you think about that? I could try to do that. Okay. Let's hook that up. Or even Joel Stein, you know, because I feel like, you know, they're, they're both, I think, really receptive to feedback, um, which is a great sign. Like, they are engaged. I mean, Marianne, when she came on your uh, fabulous, iconic interview, it was like, well, if you don't want to vote for me, don't vote for me. Cornell is the opposite. <laughs> Cornell, I, I like, you. he knows how but to, I like, want... love people into. to... Uh, I feel you, but I want specifically Cornell West because I want to pin him down on some certain And he'll let you. He'll let you on like some, I think I genuinely, I get the criticism of him and I, and I think the left should hold him to account and all of that. But I mean, Pasta might have, I've seen this interview with Cornell. Uh, I thought it was great, but also Pasta, I think might prefer JFK in this scenario. And I just want to be clear, uh, sorry, RFK. He is. Uh, oh, like he, RFK said, he's for RFK. He's coming on tomorrow night to talk to me about his, RFK. Here's the thing. RFK he's still standing him. RFK even after the, the uh, Israel comments. Look, Jesus. And look, RFK said, he said, the superdelegates are all going to vote against me. He admitted it. So, you know, it really takes me back. I, I remember it was, a, it was a week ago, I think. There was a segment on CNN. It was Dana Bash and Aaron Burnett. And Aaron asked Dana, like, you know, should Democrats be worried about Cornell West or RFK? And like, I, I want to, I need to clip this and find it because that's kind of like what I do. But, you know, but, but I, they haven't posted it and, and I, but I have the transcript and Dana, like Dana Bash said, the Democrats, they're not really worried about Kennedy. They, they know that they, they're pretty confident that, you know, with the primaries designed as they are, they can overtake him in the primary. They're not really worried about it in the long term. Because also Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, he might win those, but they're very small delegate numbers. They're not concerned about him. Cornell is different. Like Dana Bash literally said, Cornell is different because he because he's running third party. He could literally pull votes that we need to win. And, you know, there was the poll that Sabi mentioned from Emerson polling that showed Cornell at 6%, Biden at 40%, and Trump at 41%. That's That means Democratic strategists should be shitting their pants right now. And I think we should support him and we should encourage him. And I get the whole like wanting specifics, but also he's the best candidate we've had in, in a hundred years of any party, Cornell specifically, because he's, uh, you know, he's been for reparations. He's been awesome on, he's been such a clear moral compass. 
and he's like Teflon. You can't really criticize him without looking like an asshole. It's amazing. Like he's the best candidate we could have ever dreamed of. I, I genuinely believe that. We should, regardless, we should be putting that energy toward seeing what we could get done in the state because here's the thing, ballot initiatives and all that. You don't know what's going to happen. Even if he gets elected, there's going to be a, 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 a machine that he's going to be going up against. Um, but, but also what we should, um, not, not only is there going to be a machine that he's going up, it's, it's still going to be up in the air if we get what it is that we're looking for. You well, know, I don't even think he's going to win, but I think that's a – here's the thing that really bothers me. Like when this – him running is a ballot access plan because, you know, when Matthew Ho was, was running in North Carolina, um, he wasn't running to win the U.S. Senate. He was running because if you get a certain percentage point in North Carolina uh, running for a federal office, like I think it's something like – either five or 10 percent you get to be on the ballot as a party he was running so the green party gets on the ballot because if he got enough percentage points he would stay on the ballot so mm -hmm. you know the whole thing of like you know oh but does the green party have enough ballot access he's running so that because if he did get six percent in the elections he would have ballot they would have ballot access next time but, you know so that is sort of him thinking long term yeah but at the same time you walked right into my point, which says when we're not going to get anything. But, but, but no, we are getting time. something. That's the thing. It's 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 building the third party movement that we need. But but what policy are we getting? People need health care now. You feel what I'm saying? People. Need He's for Medicare for all, but I think also you have to think. Remember but, that. But you just said, but, but Neil Lib, you just said there's no way he's going to win. Okay, but he gets all this ballot access. He gets all of this. I'm looking at the policy. Okay, I'm not looking at a politician. So in the meantime, what I'm saying is we need to be getting these initiatives on the ballot in 2024 when he, let's say, if he does get the nomination or whatever the case in Green Party nomination, okay, oh, he doesn't have win. have to vote on a platform but first. Uh, and I think that's going to be in 2024. You know, I don't think he can nail himself to specific policy plans like an Elizabeth Warren. Until yeah, but you're they not here, platform. Right. But again, you're still concentrating on the politician. What I'm saying is we could get, let's say if he does get the nomination and he appears on the ballot in 2024, at that same time, we can have some initiatives state by state on, on um, the ballot in 2024 also. But let's say if he, oh man, he doesn't win but we get those initiatives passed, we still got the thing that we was hoping that we were gonna get, but we got it, you know, where, where we're at. You see what I'm saying? Um, also, just to, just, to, uh, just to look at something, you know, the more different, even, you know, even though I'm a party abolitionist, you know, the more, um, we, we're used to looking at things from a 50% plus perspective because of two parties. But, you know, like understand, if there's three candidates, if there's three different parties in the race, you only need 34, the minimum you need is 34%. If there's four candidates, if there's four parties in a race, you need a minimum of 25% uh, plus to win. If there's five candidates in a race, five different parties in a race, you need a minimum of 20% plus to win. So it's like, really don't need that much. You know what I mean? So. At the same time, going back to, hey, there's no way he could win. He would only need less to win. You know what I mean? So that's just also something that, you know, to consider. But regardless, 
we need to be putting this 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 energy because I'm seeing everybody come alive again. Everyone's like, all right, the election season is on. Let's get behind the let's get behind another human being who maybe he will do this, maybe he won't, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. We said the same thing about Obama, AOC, the squad, Bernie, all that stuff, just for it to drop. Right. You and and I mean? you're so you're always here Roger. to remind us, Roger, about, you know, ballot initiatives and working yeah, locally. I, I was just gonna say to Roger's point regardless of who's running and what they're running on, we should never lose sight of the ground game. Exactly. Because yeah. at the end of the day, because Dr. West, we, we know they're not going to, we know Dr. West is, isn't going to win, right? But this is the... the I'm not ready to say to, that. Huh? <laughs> I'm not ready to say that. I, I think well, we need okay. to start thinking well, bigger. Well, well, what I'm going to say is that look at it this way like this is the start of a real third party like movement right because we have someone big that's running third party but what i will say is this if dr west does not win we have to have something to go back to and we did not have that with bernie sanders we had nothing to go back to and then people just felt hopeless so that's why what roger is saying is important like in what you said too earlier eric we have it has to be a movement it can't just be a movement for a campaign like Bernie had. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking in terms of a movement that that both encompasses encompasses the West campaign and encompasses what Roger's talking about in ballot initiatives. You know, a real, you know, clear demand space movement that's calling and demanding for all these things. And the one other thing I want to say is that with with the Dr. West candidacy, unfortunately, it's kind of a human nature type of thing, in that people gravitate to leaders and you know as much as it's you know difficult and dangerous to you know with the bernie experience i i think it it, it may just be what's needed to to make this thing happen it is to have that part of it the strong inspirational leader and luckily you know maybe we have our guy we lucked out check this out open here's um right oh sorry no, I just wanted to interject and say we're, we have to remain conscious of the fact that we're talking about one man who has come forward to say he would seek the nomination for the Green Party to be the, a third party candidate. That said, we go back to the fundamentals of this whole movement stuff, which is going to be organized and mobilized. And in this case, if we are saying we are supporting him running through the Green Party. We have to give consideration to what it means to join that Green Party and work through their infrastructure and look at the platform they have and make, you know, um, policy changes or recommendations to the platform because you're going to have this group, that group, third group, fifth group, everybody's coming. and. You know, they need to be able to channel this energy. They need to be able to hear the ideas. And that's why one of the things I was hoping, and I still hope Dr. West and his team would do, is as you appear on these platforms and you hear voices who have the experience and the wherewithal to build out that platform, get those people on your team behind the scene, and then have them working on building out that piece because what Sabrina is saying is once, if he does not win, 
we will have to go back to the Green Party and build it out. And to what you're saying, Roger, if those ideas and things that we have are being run through the Green Party infrastructure as we build it out, that will become the vehicle through which we achieve all these things. But, you know, my my concern is that we leave him enough space to do what a candidate has to do and then start getting involved with that Green Party behind the scenes infrastructure, beginning to or- help organize because the Green Party will ostensibly have an influx of members and this and that. And, you know, they probably would welcome the energy, but we do have to be mindful of how to organize that whole thing and manage the growth of this third party so that when the eventuality comes and he is the de facto head of the Green Party, he has the ideological framework by which we begin to move the entire party across all of the states and build that momentum. But um, it's and, and, you know, that's why I'm concerned when people talk about wanting to nail him down or pin him down with specifics, because this man is appearing all over the place and talking to all kind of people. And he doesn't have that team yet who can be his surrogates and things to, to receive this information on his behalf and began to process it. And like I say, I hope some of the voices that he is coming into contact with will say, I'm on board with this. Let me see how I can help. Because he is he's depending upon this momentum of all of these people being interested to get behind him and get in through the infrastructure, not just everybody hurling all of they wants at him. It's there are valid things to discuss, but there has to be an ideological and a form of procedure by which these things get filtered into what he's trying to achieve so that when if he loses, and I hope he wins, that he has the machinery built out that's, you know, putting these cogs and things into that's a good point to definitely consider. Um, now, You're also, in here. Oh, okay, go ahead. My bad. No worries. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I was just, okay, sorry. You talk. Go ahead. Maybe you better jump in now, Roger. I don't know. Okay. Now, I was just going to say, so as as everyone's talking about he needs ballot access, he needs ballot access, you got to get him ballot access. That's the same procedure that you have to, to, to get ballot access, I assume, Wait. means getting petitions. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Ashura was waiting to speak. Go ahead, Ashura. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, he was my bad. Just let him speak. I mean, if he was to finish, no, we, we, we couldn't hear you at first. But here you go. Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> about the RFK uh thing, uh, you, you spoke my mind on pasta, uh, Eric. Um, I, I commented on that shit too when uh, I think we had this podcast with yeah, it was four of them, and Jimmy was there, and I was like, "Come on, you're still on that whole uh <laughs> RFK shit." Like, even though he told you that Israel, he's not changed about it, you would think your heart would be, you know, ripped to shreds. I mean, like like a Shang Tsung fatality, just rip your heart out. I think it was Shang Tsung that did that shit. Uh, <laughs> you would think he'd be done with it. Apparently, it's not. Like, I guess COVID sticks. It sticks with you. Well, Fiorella, who's also part of Combo Couch, 
like you guys know, like Fiorella, Fiorella also disagrees with uh, Pasta on this point because she said, like, Pasta, like, you and I covered the elections on the ground. We saw that there were inconsistencies. We know that, you know, there's there's voter fraud. We know that, like, we don't have election integrity in this country. Why would you get duped back into thinking that the Democratic Party is going to let someone outside of, you know, who they've already chosen to win? Like, they've argued about this back and forth on Twitter and on Convo Couch. So I don't know what it is, man. I but can he's answer He's coming on tomorrow I night. I, I think it's uh, it's it, it's COVID. It's it's basically COVID. Like COVID and censorship that kind of broke him and Jimmy up. It, right, it broke but the he break. still knows he's. But Pasta still knows that the DNC is never going to let RFK Jr. get that nomination. I showed you guys the form tonight that Bernie Sanders signed in 2019, where it actually says on the form that the DNC actually has the right to decide. The DNC is a corporation. I don't know. Do I need to bring the Becks back on again? I don't know what I need to do. Uh, that, form looked, that form looked pretty binding, too. That looked like the kind of thing you get sued over, and and you better pay attention to it. I think we, we I, I said this to you last time. I think it was one time I said, why do people call themselves independent if they're basically going for voting red and blue again? You um, asking good questions that I can't really answer, but that is a really good well, question. You know, the whole system's set up to make it look like that's the only choice. You know, that's their game. Because Pasta calls himself an independent, but he would rather go back to the DNC because of RFK. I'm like, come on, it can't be just COVID and since it's because they broke you over that shit. And, and it wasn't even just that. Like he, like there was when the Roger Waters tweet happened. Like Pasta was out there really defending it. You know, like oh, it's just yeah. one issue. Like why are you doing litmus tests? He's such a great candidate on everything else. It was like, why can't you criticize a politician? Why, why are, why are we the problem for pointing out that his opinion was shit? Like he was out there just real, real defending it. I don't understand it. I see it from, from some, like Aaron Good has been like, you know, he's like a, a historian that, that has a YouTube show. Some uh, people I, have a thing for RFK. They're, I don't know if they have a crush. I, I, can answer, I can answer the, I can answer all those questions. It's the push-ups. It's, uh, it's, they want a leader, blah, 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 electoralism. I get it. But like. I don't like some people have it extra. Some people take it far. Like I don't. And so the, the, you know, the, no, I, can, I can answer that. Us, us Generation Xers. Some of us suffer suffer from Generation X sickness. That that's what it is. <laughs> okay. We 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 grew uh, up. No, no, no. no. Is it, can Medicare for all help? I mean, what do we need to do? Oh, I mean, so, so, the guy well, well, let me let me finish. Let me finish. So, oh, I thought so, we're done. No, I, I he he neoliberal started talking. No, no, this this is what it is, right? When we came up, we did not. A lot of us analyzed the problem, and we just said, "Man, it's messed up." But we said, "What else? What else can you do?" And we listened to our elders. Not that you shouldn't listen to your elders. Let me listen to you know. No, the, you're an elder. You're talking right now. So, so, so uh, may I finish? <laughs> um, so we, you know, we listen to we, you know, we listen to you know the silent, mature baby boomers because we were like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, okay, well, this is what it is, right? Then what happened is millennials come along, and you guys said, you know, we're not going to accept that. 
And a lot of us in the X generation say, oh, really? You, like, you don't have to accept that? You can actually do something about it? And then you guys started doing Occupy Wall Street and doing all, all of this protests. And I was like, oh, shoot. I'm rolling with them. Some of us still roll with the baby boomers. And some of us slide between the baby boomers and the millennials. One moment we're over here. And then we get pulled back over to the to the boomer thing. And then we get pulled back to the millennial thinking. So that's that's what that's what he's going through. So so, so I understand where he's coming from. But I'm with you guys. Let's let um, let's let Bashura back in and then I'll bring in um Seeley. So uh, there was the point where they asked him the question, would you vote Joe Biden? You know he's going to vote Joe Biden. He's going to get pressured. He looks like somebody who, who can, you just, if you shake him right, very good against the wall, he will, he will, he will basically keel over. Because I don't think he's not going to do it. I'd be surprised. Even Jimmy knows it's not, not going to happen. I mean, Jimmy says he's waiting for him to basically say they all bend the knee to Joe Biden, him and Marianne. Although I still think Jimmy would probably vote for him <laughs> behind the scenes if he was the nominee. Nah, Jimmy is supporting Cornell West. Mm, I mean, the way he's going pro RFK every now and then. There's a video of RFK every RFK every week. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't pass him, but if he wants to vote him, I, I got, I'm not going to shame him for that. But yeah, I mean, I have videos of RFK too, but I'm not supporting RFK Junior. Mm. You know. Well, there's an energy behind that for RFK for Jimmy and pasta. Uh, on the last thing I'll say, that black woman, how the fuck do you get money from a pedophile? <laughs> like, <Yo. laughs> and not oh. know who this guy is. I mean, wasn't he convicted before he, he gave her the money? Yes. So how the fuck do you not know that? Are you just telling me it's a... You oh, just she knew. Turn your head around. She knew. Her head around and just take the fucking money. I mean, these Democrats, man, they're money, just money, as money. scummy as Republicans. When Republicans listen, get... listen, Ashura, I spoke to someone from the Virgin Islands. I was trying to get him to come on. He told me they had offer. He warned people in the Virgin Islands not to support, not to take money from Jeffrey Epstein. He warned me. He reached out to me on calling, and I tried to. I was trying to get him to come on. I think he might be afraid, but. She knew. I don't. I don't buy that shit. Yeah, just like Kamala knew about uh, what was it? Was it Mike Pence or was it that guy, Steve Mnuchin? Steve yeah, against that guy. Like she, he paid, he gave her money and boop, her investigations went away. Hmm. I, I mean, these Democrats—they're just like Republicans: corrupt, dirty, stink, stinky. Like they, they ain't clean. They pretend that they're clean. That's the image they want to do, but they're fucking dirty too. They got dirty rags. They're just half clean. So, one of the, th I think, yeah, one of the things I was saying is um, the, for ballot access, to fight for ballot access um, to get a politician on the ballot, it's the same procedure that you do to get a ballot initiative on the ballot. So, I say those who are, are want to get involved in the in the campaign and try to fight for ballot access in 50 states or whatever, boom, that can be your army to be like, okay, at the same time, let's get a petition for these particular 
initiatives to get on the ballot as well, preferably as amendments, not as laws. Sounds like a movement to me. Because mm-hmm. because I see the end, I say, hey, let's do get the uh, the you know the, do the petition drive for the ballot initiative, and I'm like, oh, it's too much work. Oh, I don't know. And then Cornell West comes along. Oh yeah, let's get ballot access. Let's go. So That's a good there. point. That's a good point, Roger. Mm-hmm. It's there. You got the energy. That's what you call a checkmate, Sabby. When are we going to play chess? <laughs> I told you I played one time. I you am not an that. expert. Okay, I, you will, you're going to beat me. You're going to beat my butt. That's how you get good. Well, let's hear Let's hear what Seeley has to say. Seeley, you just got to unmute. Yeah. Hi. I see a little puppy there. Yeah. What's up? Hi, Sabrina. Uh, well, I was going to ask a question, but like comments on what people were saying keep adding so sorry if I go back to something but one thing was about uh, what you were talking about a corner west and if you won or not like when you have coming from a region that has more than one party more than two parties I've seen parties appeared and seen parties very big parties collapse and being or being absorbed by others, and it's usually the case that m- many times you don't win the first time, and that and as you said, right, like many times the thing with Bernie was you didn't like even if he lose he lost he you didn't had anything to go back to, but the thing is to keep that and then present you again, and the the leaders uh, that of is usually the case of my experience, right? Like that people go behind one leader, right? Like someone as charismatic and smart and, and loved as, as, as Dr. West. And then it's, it's not up to him, but it's a big responsibility for him to allow other leaders to grow around him, right? Because there will be other people in this building of a party, of a system, of a movement, of whatever you want to call it. And it's going to be him, the one who could crush them or allow him to to flourish, right? So I think I just wanted to put that out. It's usually the case that many times they don't win the first time, but that doesn't mean they're done, right, at all. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I-, I totally get where you're coming from. That makes sense. Yes, yes. Like I, I've seen up here in uh, like uh, parties getting big or maybe making an alliance and ended up absorbing a big one in maybe two elections, right? Like eight years. I, I know it seems a lot right now because, right, like things are very bad and you want it right now. But, but yeah, like, and on the other hand, the thing about policies, right? Like he would maybe have more influence, right? Like you, you will be doing stuff meanwhile. The other thing that I wanted to mention was about co-ops. I, this guy that was talking about co-ops, thing is that co-ops, I don't think they're the same or understood the same way or formed the same way in in different countries. Um, in Argentina, there's a lot of co-ops. Um, the biggest ones, if anyone wants to see, there's a documentary by Naomi Klein, 
Right? The like Take. He did the Take. That's the movie I was trying to get you to see, Sabrina, that Marco sent me. It was. Dope. I know. It's on my list. You got to check it <laughs> okay. out. Sorry. So okay. No, no, it's fine. That that was the movie that I was going to like. That 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 the biggest ones, right? That still exist because there's a lot of co-ops uh, were formed uh, after a big collapse in the economy, and and some of them are very big companies. And the thing is, of course, they have an an structure where someone decides who, if it's a big company who sells, right? Like they make they make big decisions all together, but. Yeah, there's uh, an administration and there, there's different roles. Not everybody can be. But to me, that is, I see co-ops as the next step uh, from unions, right? Like unions here are very strong and working class and middle class, even now there is none of them, but it's usually the same. Right, like if you have a job that is in a union and it's an, a, a formal job that is recognized by the government, right? Like not gig jobs, but a job that would mean that you are not right now because we have a hundred and twenty percent inflation. But usually, when things are not bad, that would mean that you are middle class, right? So, but in order to have a union, you have to have a, a, a patronal, right? Like a, a, an owner, as somebody the, that owns the things that you fabricate and then commerce and pays a salary and stuff like that. So to me, it's like a more perfect way, a better way, right? Like the next step to go after unions. And if you can skip and go to the co-ops, better, right? Like co-ops are very good. That's exactly what I've been saying. Just straight. <laughs> good there. point. That's a good point, they, Celie. Well, and the last thing I'm going to say is that there is this woman, this French writer. Is she's called Leila Slimani, and she's French, right? And this is you said something that remind me of her. You you talk about someone going the someone that was a black person in Europe going for the first time to Africa. And I, I like she writes very controversial books. She has uh, she writes fiction. She she has awards. She's very well known. She's great. I know her because she's a feminist, right? So I know more her side. But I I won't quote her because being from a different society, different culture, uh, like politically correct doesn't. That's, I never can pull that up and I'm going to misconstruct something. But she she talks about the first time she she went to to visit her family uh, in in Africa, right? Like after living from maybe since being kind of a baby until she was a teenager in France in France. And the 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 transformation from the first time she stepped into the pla the airplane that was from an African airline. I don't remember. She thinks she's from Marruecos. And like she figured out, okay, there's all black stewardess and black, uh, right? Like the, I don't know the name in English and the black pilots. And and it's she's amazing when she speaks about that. And it reminds me of what you said. And I just wanted to recommend it. And to finish, I wanted to ask you something. Today in the international news, which is always very, very short. They mentioned that the Supreme Court uh, was tackling affirmative actions in in universities. Mm -hmm. 
I'm covering uh, that. I'm covering that uh, tomorrow night. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Then I, I, I will, I will listen to you tomorrow night, and, and I because I'm very worried. I we we are seeing here a lot of the the rights that we achieved, right? Like maybe it's different, right? But for instance, quotas is is something in in many different groups that we achieved and and made a very big change. And. Well, I'm just, gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna tell you guys right now. Some of you are not gonna like what I have to say tomorrow night. Like, I'm, I'm, because I'm gonna give you both sides of this perspective. And keep in mind, like, the Supreme Court decision was in reference to higher education, and that's where I come from. So, as someone who has been a part of admissions committees for over ten years, I'm gonna keep it real with you guys and tell you some things that some of you are not gonna want to hear in reference to how people are selected and who's selected and things like that. And I think that, you know, because I've already seen some of the people's comments like on Twitter and I was like, it's interesting to me, like it, coming from people who, who I, some of these people I know personally who do not work in that profession have never been a part of admission committees. And I have, and I'm just going to tell you the facts like tomorrow night about how people are selected and et cetera, et cetera. And yes, of course, there is affirmative action. But I think that I've seen some comments from people on Twitter saying, well, this applies more to uh, immigrant students than da da da. I've seen some of those comments and I'm like, none of these people have been on admission committees. They don't know what happens. And I think a lot of people have to understand that at the end of the day, it's not even just so much about race as it is about money. And mm. so what people have to understand is, the international students do not qualify for financial aid. Okay. So international students, at least at the, all the schools I've worked at, they actually, their parents actually had to prove and show that they had income to pay for tuition for all four years. Okay. okay. So what people have to understand is that when they complain about the international students being at these universities, you have to understand these international students are not getting financial aid. Now, when it comes to certain programs like uh, the PhD programs, et cetera, where they're giving out like stipends and things like that. Again, it depends on the university and how much, how large their endowment is. And those stipends pretty much go to the PhD students that are selected, obviously, because you're doing that full time and you can't have a job at the same time. But mm -hmm. again, some people aren't going to like what I have to say tomorrow night. And, and part of it has to do with test scores. Okay. Okay, okay. I, I I really understand you. I understand that sometimes like things and laws have nuances, right? And they seem very good and sometimes they are not effectively. And I have no idea, no idea about affirmative action, right? Like my view was more for more in a way that uh, we are losing, right? Because maybe as you say, affirmative action is not a, a, a very, right? Like it's not accomplishing anything or is even, right? Like being... So it's not about that in itself, uh, or just one thing. But what we are seeing is this emergence of this very right wing that are pushing back many of the rights. Some of them might be <laughs> with the nuances useless, but they are the, like you have, for instance, Roe v. Wade pushback, right? Like uh, that that's maybe something I, I know more, but we are seeing the same thing. So I, I'm very interested in in this pushing back of 
of what we were talking. I think one day we were talking about like this. We, we here we call it like fourth and fifth generation rights, which means that it's supposed to come after you are well fed. The, the difficult things, right? Like, and in many countries you don't have that, right? Like you were talking, you don't have universal healthcare, but you have this other law. The thing is that there is a pushback in certain laws that have mainly to do with, right, like that affect poor people, especially women, especially, especially poor women, right? Like not all women. And so I, I was curious about that, right? Like not, not especially affirmative action, but if you thought that there is a pushback on the, on rights that like, for instance, Robbie Wade on rights that you already have or because that might be just a thing happening in Argentina, right? Like, that's my point. Yeah, like, I can tell you guys, like, honestly, like, yeah, like, obviously, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt, like, African-American applicants. It is going to hurt, like, Latino applicants, indigenous applicants. It is going to hurt them. And what I'm saying is some of the things that I'm going to show you tomorrow night, it's going to make some of you upset because... You know, it, 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 like like having been a part of that system for so long, it's just I know the difference between you have a, a white male student and you have a black male student and they have, say, the same test score and they have like the same GPA and it can just come down to a matter of what well, we need. Don't spoil it. Okay. I won't spoil it, um, but I think there's a difference between affirmative action overall and affirmative action when it comes to higher ed. And some people have framed this on Twitter as affirmative action overall. And those are two different things. Mm-hmm. So well, you can oh, okay. I come back. I, and anyway, it wasn't right. Like I, I mentioned affirmative action, but seriously, I don't know anything about it. I so it, my point was more. I see Bukele. I see certain people that get the the same finance. Bolsonaro, right? Like the same people are that are financing this these very right wing leaders appearing in a box, for instance, right? Uh, they are all linked to Steve Bannon. They are all linked to the United Christians for Israel, Zionist Christians, or whatever you want to call them. They are getting the money from the same people, and they are targeting the same rights, right? Like maybe affirmative action doesn't exist in Argentina, so that's not something. Just was an example, something that the journalist pointed out and say, "Oh, we are going by like it, it was happening there as well." But yeah, my point of maybe. For, for you to to so, watch it, right? To to be aware of that there is a lot of these leaders that are financed by the same groups that but that finance Trump and Pence. And I mentioned, right? Like in, in you have in Spain Vox and you have uh, in, in many countries in, in Latin America, Katz in Chile, Mila in Argentina, Bolsonaro in in Brazil, I can go on. And they are going with the same exact agenda. And that's kind of something I think we all should be looking at. It's really interesting. But see, the thing is, like, other countries are more homogenous than the United States. The U.S. is a melting pot, right? So here's the thing. If people, if all of us were treated equally, we wouldn't have had to have affirmative action in this country. All of us weren't treated equally. That's the problem. Yeah, but forget affirmative action. Forget it because really, seriously, I don't know anything, right? Like I mentioned that because it's, it's, I, 
I said, oh, there's another right. And I seriously don't know much about it. Uh, so, but the other things that they were pushing against were, for instance, abortion laws. That is, uh, they, they go against um, LGTB laws. They, they have, someday maybe I can, because so see, I know it's very late. Yeah, go ahead. So here's where, so every, sometimes things all depend on how you look and, and like your perspective of how you, how you look at things. Um, I would probably say you're saying the stripping of away of abortion or whatever. I say you're looking at the glass half empty. Okay, I'm looking at it half full because where did it go? They kicked it back to the states, and actually, they've been getting their rights back through ballot initiatives, whether it's put to them by the government or they're putting it on the ballot themselves to ratify it into their state constitution. You know, and and usually. Okay. I understand that's that's what I was asking because there might be a lot of nuances that I don't understand and that it might but I hear what you're saying Celie there is a right push a right-wing movement that's moving all across the globe and it's appearing in some of the um Eastern European countries and we're seeing it manifest everywhere. And I think what Celie was cautioning us is as we see the Supreme Court moving in this right type of way to be alert that there is not just in the United States, but it's everywhere. There is a movement towards this ultra conservative right thing and and they're seeing it in you know Germany, Sweden, everywhere. But Germany. But so we have to be. But but with Germany, that's not new. That's, no, but that's, exactly. Noel, she, Noel is right. There's a, a thing called the Letter of Madrid, La Carta de Madrid, and she she's very right. Like all these countries that she mentioned, they sign it. And but they, Madrid, yeah, but they may be no, signing no, it in reference to like legislation. But Spain, I can speak from experience. Spain has never ever been particularly nice to black people. I know that firsthand experience. So I, I just want to keep that real when it comes to. And then we move further east to those Eastern European countries. When we talk about countries like Russia, we talk about countries like Moldova, etc. Those countries, for the most part, even though they may have like these social like programs that benefit people. When it, excuse me, economic programs that benefit people, when it comes to the social aspects, those countries, as long as I was a kid, as I can remember, those countries have always been kind of conservative on the social issues, meaning that even if you went to Russia back, back when I was a kid or you went to Ukraine back when I was a kid, they were never really approving of like LGBTQ issues. That's not a new thing. You just hear about it more now. No, like Sabrina, Vox, last election in Spain a few months ago, Vox like one big time vox vox i'm talking about people that are completely insane the ones in argentina want to privatize adoption so just as as noel said yeah. just pay attention right like yeah, well, the, i can't i can't it doesn't hurt yeah, I can't speak on like I've never been to South America. I've, I mean, I know when Pasta came on my show a year ago, Pasta did say when he went to South America, he said economically they were for the social things, but he said, but when it, excuse me, for like, um, uh, like social economic programs, but he said when it came to the cultural issues, they were conservative. Like he said, they didn't approve of <laughs> no, that kind of that's thing. Wrong. Like, well, Here's he went thing. to. 
Well, he went to cover the elections in Colombia, him and uh, yeah. Fiorella, and they went to cover it in uh, Peru. And, and Fiorella, it, her family is originally from Peru. I don't know about the rest. Of, like, again, I've never been there, but I, I can speak to Eastern Europe. And I will say um, a lot of times, a lot of times when Americans travel to Europe, they don't go to Eastern Europe. They go to the Western part of Europe. They go to Germany and France and Spain and, and all that place and, and Amsterdam where people are a little bit more free. What I'm saying is even when I was a kid, as we traveled further east, culturally there was a difference so what i'm saying is that even those countries even countries like russia and moldova and back then when it was uh it wasn't czech republic it was czechoslovakia Mm -hmm. back then they were more conservative when it came to the social issues when we would come back towards like germany and france yes they were a little they were more uh liberal when it came to like the social issues but what i'm saying is that was always an issue in europe and you got to remember where germany came from because germany did have like that strong right-wing uh racist presence during hitler during the nazi movement and they learned from that and came from it now have things changed like in terms of politicians and stuff and are there more like right-wing politicians getting elected even in like those western european countries absolutely and it it can spread and it has spread but also another issue that has been raised as well is that countries like germany in particular for years they have taken in refugees and i i lived there when there were refugees there from turkey and i remember all that and i i also know that they have kind of gotten to a point where they adopted some of that rhetoric that came from people like Boris Johnson, uh, that came from people like Donald Trump, where they felt like, you know, maybe these people are the problem. So they adopted this this idea that the, the people who were coming in, they are now the scapegoat and we're going to blame them for our economic issues, which happened in Germany before under the Nazi regime when they blamed the Jewish people for the reason why the, the economy was a bust. So what I'm saying is, is that this is not something that's new. It, this type of behavior and energy can recycle over time and it just becomes a cycle that goes around. But what I want people to understand is it's not new, though. Even if you the UK and you go to Margaret Thatcher days, Margaret Thatcher was the Donald Trump who was a female in UK. So she was the female version of Donald Trump back in the day. And she also was heavily racist. She was definitely pro-war and she was for imperialism. She did not care about destroying African countries. So people, a lot of people look at Donald Trump and they're just like, oh my God, we can't have this type of energy and this, this energy out there in the world. But people overlook the fact that you had someone who was actually worse than Trump and her name was Margaret Thatcher and she was the prime minister of the UK and the UK was not good under her and she was heavily racist and heavily pro-war. So it's not new. It's just been recycled over. Okay. I couldn't agree more. And as a matter of fact, uh, UK still have colonies. Many people don't know that. UK didn't change. UK is not better. Or uh, France is, is still high. like there's a lot of countries in Africa that have the franc and depend on France to and they have their neck dry like a knife to their neck all the time. And they're very colonialist. I don't, I'm not saying that. Like one of the colonies that is full of uh, nuclear weapons is like a few hundred meters from 
our soil in Argentina and it's occupied by the British. And uh, the, so I'm very aware of that. And the other thing I want to mention is sometimes people talk about Latin America as if it was an ethnicity. And it's like saying Africa, right? Like Africa has many countries and the diversity that you will find from Argentina to Mexico with so many <laughs> dozens of countries in itself it's so different right like it, it, in in any in every country there's different ethnicities in in latin america not just the ones that came from from europe and mixed right like even different ethnicities that were there before the colonized the 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 colonizers came from europe so it's very different sabrina like peru is very different from argentina who is very different from brazil and we have laws uh, for instance right like when we are very open to, to, to immigration. And when you get to Argentina, you come from whatever country you come legally, legally, you get free healthcare, you get free university, you get free education, you get free and uh, you get subsidized if you don't have the money to, to pay. And this is a poor country, right? Yeah, so I it's mean, not I, easy. I, I, I so know. it's very like, different. It's very no, different. I, I, I totally get that. But what I'm saying is they covered all of that. Like everything that you just said, they said those things like on my show. So like, that's not no, that's what I was but, saying. But the feminist movement here, right? Like that we have LGBT laws that we can, in our ID, we can choose not only the gender, but if we don't want to be stratified in the social construction of a female or a guy, there's an X that you can choose, right? Like you can change your name, you can get free, like if you want to, right? If you really want to change your body, that the state will pay for it. So it won't get into the hands of capitals that would take advantage of you. Abortions are also made by the state for free with psychological attention. And if you don't, and if they figure out that you want the baby, but you want, but you, you can don't have the money, the state will pay for it. So the rights that we want are very dear for us, right? So the pushing back and seriously, like we are a poor country, but in, in many things, we are not very conservative and not very religious and there is we have right uh, so, yeah. you're, you're, so you're, it's very you're, different it's not the same yeah. every time and i thought we hear you you're talking about argentina they were in colombia and peru exactly exactly so it's very different right like every country is very different latin america is very big so my point is these people are what i'm seeing is Latin American countries forget Europe going to Israel in a daily basis and going to to the Zionist movement and getting money from them and getting money from something that is called the Atlas Network and let, forget about the rights. They are getting the money from the same people. It's a, as Noel said, like they are signing the same. They signed this letter of consent. All these parties, Meloni from Italy also did. And they're getting the money from the same people. So that, to me, is something to be aware of. Just mm. that. Even if I'm not right about the, the agendas that I'm seeing in, in, in all these places being pushed the same way, which I agree with Noel, just the financing comes, like, the financing come to these uh, politicians all over the world comes from the same group. Mm -hmm. And Steve Bannon visits all of them. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, he does. He does. And and that also increased that right wing, that right wing kind of um, fear mongering um, amongst people like, oh, you got to worry about like the people who are coming into your country. Um, and also, also, they no, it changed the agenda, right? Like we are having elections this year and I, there is something that never happened before. Never. There is uh, 95% of the candidates are right, center-right, right-wing. The actions, the bones from Argentina, the letters, the companies in the Wall Street and stuff like that, right, around the world are going up like crazy, right? Like we are going to be so screwed up that the markets love it. <laughs> so what they do, right, is not just that. Even if they don't win, what they do is they they move the agenda. It's m more complicated and it sounds very silly, but the remember the same way that Bernie started talking about uh, something that was never maybe discussed, that was um, like um, Medicare for all, or it was uh, not Medicare for all, but uh, healthcare for everybody, right? Like free healthcare. And you saw that that began to be talked by everybody and it shifted a little to the left. Well, seeing that, but to the right. And that's already something that is accomplished in these countries. But yeah, like I wanted to, to, to just, okay, to, to, to say that and, and okay, I, I will come back some some other time but thank you so much for listening awesome let's go ahead and bring in um i'm gonna pivot for a second because I, I know amanda i'm a i've never seen amanda so i'm gonna pivot to amanda make you the next caller eric i invited you to be a speaker um a kid amanda you're on the mic just gotta unmute Hey, Sabby, I changed my icon. We've spoken before. This is oh, Amanda. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make the point, I put it in the chat, but also that so people are kind of using ballot access and and party recognition interchangeably. And the thing is the 28 states, I'm, I'm not sure how that's counted, but um, I put the there's a link to a Google Sheets where I've been putting all the information because the presidential election is super duper complicated, as you are well aware, I'm sure. But like state the state, the lower number of states that the Green Party that people say that they have ballot access, they have ballot access in any state that allows a party to get themselves onto the ballot, usually by petition. The states where it's actually recognized, that means the state decided at some point they were going to say, okay, we now officially recognize the Green Party as a party that's happening in our state. The Libertarians, mm -hmm. the Democrats, and the Republicans have already done that in every single state. And part of that is that thing about getting the 5% or the 10% of the, of the people who vote for federal office people running for federal office under that party so really when you say ballot access there's only I think two states that actually you don't have access unless you're a recognized party and there's almost no path to getting to be a recognized party but other than that you're totally right the greens could be on almost every single ballot 
it's just a little harder if you're not already a recognized party. I also right. think the federal government doesn't recognize the Greens, but they do recognize the Libertarians. Because the Libertarians are on the ballot in every state. Yeah. So so I just wanted that it's kind of like it's really in the weeds of it, but but it's not just but the about about the ballot access. So so yeah. Zach was Zach was right, and I appreciate you making the clarification earlier too, because it's important to, for people to understand when because they're going to want to be joining the Green Party, so we have more people in the Green Party and have a better chance at you know tumbling into a movement. Yeah, yeah. I think, like I said, I think some people they're going by what Jill Stein had, and they're just applying that to the Green Party as a whole, which. That's not that's not a good thing to do because <laughs> that's not that's not the case. Yeah, I would want I I think that everybody should consider running for Congress as a Green in your if you want it. I mean, picture being yourself on the ballot with Cornell West. You get to vote for yourself and Cornell West on the same ballot. Give me a break. If you're not well, already actually, thinking about running for Congress, you should. You know what? That's actually a really good idea. What you just said there that like more people should consider running for office as a green for 2024. You're right. Yep. Thank you, Sabby. I hope you have a great night. So Amanda, now you're yes. a member of the green party or. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a member of any party right now. I haven't looked into the green party in my area yet. I mean, okay. we just found out about Cornell running, and I'm just going to say, yeah. Cornell West, oh my goodness, we have a party coming by my house. Sorry. <laughs> you guys can hear that, but it's <laughs> kind of rowdy. I mean, Amanda, has a, Amanda has a party, party, party. Do I, I, live, I, live, I live in a downtown areas that's very busy right now. So anyway, but yeah, I think I, I want to look, I think I wished for Cornell West to run for president my last several birthdays. So I feel obligated to try and do everything I can to support that. Cause I really right. am very glad that he's running. Yeah, no, definitely agreed. So you're not the person to ask them, but the next time we were talking to a green party person, like I, I'm still trying to figure out what does it really mean to quote unquote, join the green party or like we have green rainbow party in Massachusetts and I see sometimes stuff on the sites about being a, a, a dues paying member of the Green Party. Anyways, I guess I'm still just trying to figure oh, out. That's something I can ask Jill yeah. about when she comes on. But I, I did have the, you know, the privilege of talking to Justin about that when I was in Portland. And uh, the way it works with the Green Party is that locally, uh, the Green Party can have different names. So, for example... In Massachusetts, it's the Green Rainbow Party, right? But nationally, it's the Green Party. And one of the things he brought to my attention, which I was not aware of, is that when Nick Brana decided to start the People's Party, Justin brought to my attention that like the People's Party could have still been a part of the Green Party, but it was the could it be the People's Party of Massachusetts, the People's Party of Tennessee or whatever, but it's still a part of the Green Party. And I guess that was the way it was presented towards like Nick Brana, but he wasn't willing to, to do it that way. And to me, that didn't make any sense because the Green Party obviously had already had ballot access. So, 
you know, but, but that's the way it explained to me, but in reference to how you join and things like that, that's something well, I, mean, I, could, like, I could easily just text Justin about that tomorrow and he could explain. Yeah. That. Well, I mean, I'm like, I'm on the, the Massachusetts green rainbow site like right now, and they have a thing for take action and their options are volunteer with us, how to form a chapter, run for office and register to vote. But it's like, there's not an option to like join. So that would probably be fashion. on the national green party website to join them. It's, it's kind of like, it there like either. well, it's kind of yeah. like when you say join, I mean, it's kind of like, we don't, mean, join, right? we don't join the Democratic Party. We we just, when we go, when we do our voter registration, we just register as a, a Democrat or in, a independent or a Green Party. Or like, for example, there is an option on our voter registration in Massachusetts to register as a Green. That is an option. I guess what I really want to see is the option to really join the Cornell West campaign, I guess. So then that would probably be best asked by Jill. Yeah, and they have the volunteer option. I, I, I guess I'm just feeling like they, they need to tell us what to do here, what they're asking for. I, you would, know? I would guess. So one thing to keep in mind, again, I, I talked to Justin about this at length when I was in Portland. So I had like all day to talk to him about this. Remember, they just transitioned from People's Party to Green Party. Mm. So that's something to keep in mind. So you need time for that to completely take place. Then the other thing is that if you want to participate in the Cornell West campaign, then you would sign up for the volunteer part. Like, just like, um, just like I did with the Bernie campaign. So where it says volunteer, that's what you would click on. And then once you click on that to volunteer, then you'll get email correspondence about like events and things like that. That's up and coming. That's, that's at least been my experience from volunteering. I guess I've also been a little leery just because it, it, it still looks like the same way that it looked when it was people's party. So again, yeah. as I just said, yeah. I, I just spoke to Justin about this and they're still in that transition period. So you right, but what I mean is that that's why it's, it's making me a little bit leery too of like, like who's this really going to, yeah. but I know well, it's coming. I, but, again, yeah. like I, I think, I think you guys, I think we should all be a little bit more patient. This is a little bit of a different patient. situation because <laughs> no, I'm just saying this is a different situation. He signed up with one party and switched to another. So mm. it's not just, Hey, I switched to this different party. It doesn't work like that. That means even the banks, like everything has to be transferred over. So the people's party probably prop, probably had one bank. The green party has a different one. You have to switch that stuff over. Then they had to do the, the FEC. That's already been done. They had to switch that over. They have to switch. It's, it doesn't work, move that fast. So the thing is, is that I think you have to just give it a little bit of time for like those, the paperwork. I hate to say it, but like the paper pusher stuff. That's what holds things up. So you have to give it time for those things to go through. And then eventually, like, you'll see those things. But like I said, Jill should be coming on shortly and I can ask her about all those things. But this is a different, this is a different situation because he started with one party and switched to another. So there is going to be, we're in this transition period and that does take time. I was just going to jump in to say I completely agree, uh, you know, and also, Sabi, if you could, 
the question I would have for Jill Stein, which by the way, I, I have gone on record to say I would give her both of my kidneys. Um, not just if I could, like I would, I mean, for Jill Stein, she's the only person I would. And, um, but one of my question was she did, or I think it was in an interview with you or with Kim. She talked about infiltration within the green party. And she said, cause she has been there for many years. So she's sort of, she's seen all of it. And she said, some of the tactics that are being used to infiltrate parties are like Cointelpro. Like that, and it really stuck with me because like she used that word to describe what's happening in the Green Party. So I would also ask her, what is our plan to make sure they're not, the Green Party isn't infiltrated? Because if I was in the Democratic Party, I would be infiltrating that shit right now, the Cornell West. You know what I mean? I'd be signing up to volunteer. I'd be, you know what I mean? We don't want to get into that. Chris Hedges talked about this too. He said it's good to gonna have some of these people that have been running for a while are gonna have to be like pushed out of the way, I think is why Hedges. I already know that there is one infiltrator in particular, which I've already brought to Justin's attention. I'll be free to already as well. Oh my oh, god. Yeah. I, I I already know about this person. <laughs> They've infiltrated multiple spaces. Um they were in the chat. They were actually in the chat on the Vanguard stream. Um, oh my yeah. God! Yes, They're yes, really yes. doing nothing with their lives. Not the vet, not the yes, children. Yes, yes. Not the- and this person wow. apparently is on one of the committees too, and I only know that because they put that shit in the chat, and I asked Justin about it, and I was like, "Yo, I was like, this person is a problem because I know about this person. I know about what and happened have- with other networks." Well, since you mentioned, yeah. uh, they do this for a living. What I mean, it's their job. Like they infiltrate right away when no, they. No, no, and I know. No, that I mean like was. this. This person in particular is not all there in the head. Like I'm, I'm just okay. being honest. Like I'm not trying to be funny or mean. I'm just this person is not all there, and every single group that this person has been a part of, they've had problems with with this individual. And as soon as I saw that name pop up, I was like, oh my god! And I told him that this person was a part of the party and he was like yeah i know um they're part of the committee and they're not too fond of of cornell west this person was already smearing cornell west in the vanguard chat when uh renee and afini came on there and i was like oh look they're at it again this person is a known infiltrator and i'm sorry if i have to call this shit out i will they're a known infiltrator and 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 I I blocked this person it, on it Twitter. It scares me. It scares me, people from me, volunteering. Let me tell you how Sorry, bad this is. I blocked this person on Twitter two years ago. What that tell you? I and you I, see, like I, it, it's putting, it. and it's putting like it makes people like I think their goal when they go into chats and like spam and things like that is to make people sort of not want to engage. You know, sort of feel icky. And then leave and not do anything. And it's, I'm so glad we're, you know, that but our this, left this family person, is keeping an eye on it. You know, this thank person you. was complaining that they weren't invited on the show because they're part of the committee for the Green Party. That's problem number one. And again, ah. it's not the first time. Well, they want to be a star. Yeah, listen, I'm telling you, multiple groups have had problems with this individual. And that's another thing. People need to be vetted. And if someone would have just reached out and said, hey, we're thinking about making this person on our committee. What do you guys think? Reach out to people in left independent media. We would have let you know. Hell to the fucking no. This person is fucking psycho. We would have give you a big, you know, warning 
So you know not to put this person on a fucking committee. They're on a committee and you're in a stream on the Vanguard and you're smearing the fucking Green Party candidates? And you know what they're doing? They're getting in volunteers, other volunteers who show up to those meetings in good faith. They're getting their information. They're getting their names. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, what's the strategy from the committee? Like they're taking notes and we need to have a strategy to combat that because, you know, like Jill said, it happened before with the Green Party. So, and I know I trust her more than anyone. So I, I do know that she would have a plan for that, but I am guess I'm just... We have to be vigilant. I'm just going to say this. Anytime you turn around and you see when there is some type of third party run and every time people, every time. certain people come out to smear it, but you never hear them make those same complaints about the Democratic Party. Nine times out of 10, those people are fucking ops. And some of these people I know I have screenshots of from DM groups that they think are fucking private and they're not because they have moles in their DM groups. Some of these people going on all these shows talking shit about like Cornell West and they talk shit about other people and all the kind of stuff. Some of these people also were a part of other dim groups in the past, Bernie groups in the past. And those organizations also had problems with them as well. Some of these people are. I, 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 I'm scared to even say what you're talking about because it's brand new Congress, but it's, you know, it's scary. It's scary. I don't want to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, because I, they'll go after anyone. I'm just trying to tell you guys, man. The agents of chaos and confusion. And it'll be black people too. It'll Can be you black cut people out? Um, that they send. It'll be black people that they send to do it to smear other black fucking people. I'm trying to tell you guys, these motherfuckers are fucking ops. Someone has to. I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you about that, Sabrina, at some point in the chat. Um, is Afini still, um, is she still Afini? I mean, like, is she still for a third party, that kind of stuff? I know she went to work for a Democrat. Um, I mean, I know Afini likes Dr. West. Okay. I mean, I, I know she likes Dr. West. Um, yeah, she did go work for a Democrat. You know, she still believed in, you know, fighting yeah, I get that part. I I just want to know that part. Even if she goes inside, because I I don't want to. I, if she has to pay her bills, she has to go with for a Democrat. I get that push. Whatever that person to the left, that was just my point. Like she actually changed a lot. She's oh. not the person I'm talking about. Okay. No, I know that's. I know it's not her. So I'm just saying if she hasn't changed a lot, she, she was uh, part of the Democrat Party. And uh, also, you mentioned something that RFK said uh, when he was talking. That they never they never mentioned the working class, and they always uh, they they switch that for the for the middle class for some reason. I told you what did I what did I tell you guys? It's always when they, when politicians speak, it's always about we have to build a vibrant middle class. We have to focus on the middle class. You never hear them talk about poor people. You never hear them talk about work class people because those people are at the bottom and they really don't care about the people at the bottom. They need the middle class to, to build and to thrive, to help the economy. They don't feel like poor people and working class people actually contribute to the economy. This is all about money. Go ahead, um, Eric. Eric, you're in the queue. You just got to unmute a kid if, if you're still there. Oh, 
I don't know if a kid is still there, but uh, while we wait for a kid, go ahead, Roger. I know you had unmuted. Yeah, um, going back to the, um, the when Celie was talking about, I forgot to mention this when she was on, but going back to like the talk of the unions and things of that nature, I want people to not forget about uh, one of the main reasons why the unions were so strong back in the days and why and, and what started to wind them back. We got to remember that they had a lot of mob muscle behind them. You know, we, we like to just think about that. Oh, yeah, the unions and so on and so forth. But they had a lot of mob muscle behind them. I mean, they were stealing from them, of course. But at the same time, if you had an issue with the boss, you know, they'd get freaking uh, Joey Knuckles or whatever to go see the boss and be like, hey, get this guy a job, or so on and so forth. Because if you if you remember, right when Reagan came into office, I don't know whether it's a coincidence or whatever, and he started union busting, okay, that was the exact same time that they started doing those RICO laws. Uh, even though RICO was signed into law by Nixon, um, they didn't know how to apply them. And until the person who wrote it, who was a professor, actually gave a class to the to the uh, FBI and so on and so forth to show them how to how to put these guys behind bars for life for the rest of their life, and they started snitching on each other and all different types of whatever, whatever. And it was like at that same time when the mob was going down during the eighties, that's the same time that the union busting was, was going, was going on. Cause they still didn't have that, 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 that mob muscle behind them. So it's kind of like what I was saying before, I, I, I might've been saying this on JB show or whatever the case is, but I, I'm just like when I said, like, college costs started going up when civil rights legislation passed. Was that a coincidence or was that by design? You feel what I'm saying? All these things kind of like working in concert uh, with each other. So I, I just don't see a strong union movement coming back like that because that muscle that was there is no longer there. That's one of the reasons why I'm looking at, at uh, cooperatives also. You know, I didn't mean to give like a, a dark uh, tone to it or whatever, but it was just something I forgot to mention when Celie was talking about unions and stuff. But anyway, go ahead. No, that was that was a really good point. Um, Eric, are you there? No? Going once, twice, three? Okay, gonna bring in um, Edu. Edu, just gotta unmute if you're still there. Edu, going once, going twice. There you I go. I am here, sorry. I... I'm I'm both dial again, um, but uh, good thing that that I did because I wouldn't have waited if I knew that I have, I was actively on the queue. But that was it. I'm enjoying the I'm enjoying the the calling. Um, I was just gonna say hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. What's yeah, up? Yeah, yeah. No, I was just gonna say that um, it's interesting to see the new turn about Marianne's uh Williamson's campaign like with the new uh campaign manager like it just seems like things are become more and more erratic as time goes I don't even know she'll make it to November of 2023 honestly by the way she's like 
making all these decisions, executive decisions, like in terms of how she runs her campaign. Um, I think Marianne has already made some bad decisions uh, in reference to her campaign. And, you know, we've all seen the favoritism that has happened that's been on display. Um, I just saw I saw the video earlier today where Marianne was given her position about vaccines. I couldn't cover it on YouTube because YouTube, but she was given her position about vaccines where she also had criticism about the vaccines. And there wasn't that same pushback against Marianne on breaking points that was given to RFK Jr. So you see the favoritism and you see, that's why to me, I'm just like, yo, this is so obvious to me. I don't even need to entertain it. Okay. I was going to ask you that. Uh, was there a response for it? Cause it's kind of hypocritical. If she's going, Crystal Ball is going after RFK as a red flag for vaccines. Red line. Red line. She said it was a red line. She said, absolutely <laughs> not going to vote for you. nuclear war as a red line than fucking COVID. That's what happens when it's your friend. And also, and I will say this. Even if someone would have asked me, okay, even if someone would have came to me and said, hey, will you officiate my wedding as a fucking presidential candidate? And I know that you are a media personality. I would have said, I would love to do that. But because of your position and my position, I don't feel that that is ethically sound. And That's it. But here's the thing. <laughs> Marianne, listen, guys, this is my theory. Okay, this is spicy. So hold on. Marianne, as soon as 2020, she dropped out in 2020. By the way, she endorsed Andrew Yang in the Iowa caucuses. She did not endorse Bernie. Don't let her lie to you. Um, she has been making relationships with all of these journalists and independent media. She's been grooming them to cover her favorably. She's been grooming them to, to like Kyle, Crystal, all, like, only Brie and Katie have been able to actually say they disagree with Marianne on anything. Like, they say, at oh, least they say, they I disagree with Marianne on Ukraine. But, but, like, all of these other ones, have they had any criticism? Has Kyle ever criticized her? She's been grooming them. Well, they can criticize, too, unless they want access. You see, here's the thing. If Marianne wins that gives people access to other people in Congress. Now, obviously, Marianne is not going to win. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to say about Marianne, which is, it, it, it seems like she works in a different timeline. Maybe she's, it feels to me that, like, she's in a little bit in 2016. Um, she's, like, addressing the criticisms of her campaign in 2016, sorry, in 2020, and not in 2024. Be just because, like, she invited or she had this pre-recorded live chat or whatever fire chat with uh, maybe uh she was uh she's a transgender um activist in in, in california she like ran for some primaries i think some of you may know her um and basically like you know it was about like her endorsing marianne and uh you know that was part of the criticism that she got in 2020 about like um the um, you know, her support for like the LGBT community and also like with the vaccines part, like she's addressing that. that that's not a criticism she's getting now, like in 2023. She got that in 2020. And I, I mean, her positions, like the criticism she's getting for this time around are her foreign policy positions. 
and, and you know, and, and, our, and her like support for, uh, you know, the establishment and not, not trying to break away from the establishment. She's not addressing any of those criticisms. So it's like, I don't know who she's speaking to in the end because like people moved on for that critic, her anti-vaxxer, her like, you know, all these other topics that she mildly got criticized for in 2020. So it's just a bit weird that like um, this, her, her appearances and her, her talking points on that. I mean, she's obviously trying to deviate from that, but like she, she's digging a deeper hole by doing that, in my opinion. Bruh, this campaign is done. What, what's up, Notori? Go ahead and unmute. What's your, your thoughts on, on everything? Hey, y'all. My thoughts on, like, I do like Cornel West. I know a lot of people know that by now. The thing is with Marianne and um, Robert, I don't, they can say anything. I just don't give a fuck. I'm done with Democrats. I see people wanting to go up for Robert, Roberta, Robert K. I give two fucks because Marianne and Robert know the Democrats are corrupt, but yet you go and run. I like, I do love that they are running this. They can wake some other people up. It ain't kidding on. But at this point, I think people just choosing to stay in the Democrat Party. And I can't believe I'm about to admit this, but I've been watching Beach Blonde Cow just to see what's been going on. And then it just made me think the shit he been saying lately, because I stopped watching him a long time ago. But I just wanted to see if he brought the squad, especially AOC in, but the stuff he been saying just made me think that he was a fraud too all along with TYT. Because it's like you sitting there seeing how corrupt, like the last three episodes I've seen, he say how corrupt Democrats are, but yet come on in, come on, vote for him again. And I feel like anybody that's going to vote or push in uh, Marianne or Robert, you just, to me, it just shows Bernie Sanders all over again. I just have flashbacks of it. And it's like, I don't, I'm not doing shit to help Democrats. I don't, I can't stand them. I hate them. Notori, did you call, did you say Robert Roberta? Did you say Roberta? <laughs> him, Roberta. Roberta Fitzgerald. Roberta Jennings. And Bleach Blind Kyle. Roberto. Damn. All I can say is bye, Janice. Uh, uh, go ahead, Edu. And if you're finished. Oh, no. I mean, and then the, the other part is I wonder, like, um, the latest polls, um, you know, um, and it seems like RFK kind of stalled a little bit. I don't know if, you know, it's just one data point. Um, so I was wondering what, what you guys think. Do you think he's also like stalling? Because uh, it may have been Cardinal West kind of like effect, probably, like more so than Biden, you know, sort of assuring like that he's a can like, you know, he, he's the best hope, like, you know, for us at least. I, do you think, part, like, I think that's. I think that's part of it, but I think the other part of it was after he participated in that march uh, for Israel. I think 
his numbers dropped immediately after that. I, I tried to tell you guys. I was like, oh, yo. So then we see RFK Jr. doing push-ups and shit. I'm like, what is this? I will say this, though. I'm going to keep it real. Can I keep it real with you guys for just a second? Sure. Okay. Don't laugh at me. Always. I'm about to be real right now. I was shocked as hell when I saw the video of RFK Jr. doing push-ups and I saw the video of uh, the picture of him like with the shirt off and I saw when he was doing like the the bench press and stuff like that. I was like, the fuck? I didn't know RFK Jr. was ripped like that. I really did not. So that like, that did something to me. And I thought to myself like, damn, how old is RFK Jr.? And it made me feel like I kind of been like, you know, hoodwinked and bamboozled because we've always seen him in either a suit or a shirt. And I was like, I didn't know all that was under there, you know? He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. All straight guys know. I had to catch myself, neoliberal. I had to catch myself for a second because for a second, I was just like, I said, you know. You weren't the only one. I mean, millions of people. Millions of people saw that. I just didn't understand. Why was he with jeans? Like, he was working out. But listen. With the jeans and a belt? Like, who does that? If he was on Venice Beach, weird shit happens on Venice Beach. But let me tell you something, okay? When I saw that for a second, I had to, like, pause and catch my breath for a second. I was like, I've never been attracted to, like, an older dude. For a second, I caught myself getting a little bit of a something. And I said to myself, like, damn. I was like, he, he actually looked pretty good for old dude. I mean, more. He was pandering. I mean, he was pandering mostly, I think, to those who are into daddies, honestly. No, but in all honesty, I'm just kidding. But in all honesty, I think like uh, it sort of remind me that when I saw that, that reminds me of Vladimir Putin in a way. Not that I'm saying RFK is like Putin, or you know, I'm not trying to like malign him or whatever. Like that's not part. But it just the sort of like optics of like trying to demonstrate this macho or like or this masculine right didn't like, he take a uh, picture on a horse he was like, shirtless on a horse somebody did a meme putting in like in a horse you know like somebody did a meme of them side by side oh my god eric can you put that in the chat for, <laughs> for the community <laughs> I have to find it. I, you know, I didn't hang on to it because he doesn't just, do it for me. But, I'm, yeah. just, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, it made me feel some kind of way. And I had to, like, check myself for a second and just say, like, sadly, Carefully. what is happening to you? Because I've never, ever, listen, like, I used to have, like, old dudes. Like, you know, I'm married. It doesn't have to happen as much now because uh, I don't go into the city as much. But when we lived, like, in South Boston... I used to get hit on by old dudes all the time. Freaking cops, firefighters and shit. I'd walk by and be like, ooh. They're just like, well, you look very beautiful. And I was thinking to myself, there's always some old dude. But you know, I was t- I used to tell my mom about this. Me and my mom are really close. And my mom used to be like, you know, as time has gone by, older guys have gotten a lot bolder. I agree. They have. It's just like they just think like because they're older and they have money that they Things just hit anybody that they want. And like that shit used to weird me out. And I was really like, ew. Like, you know, I thought about that scene from Big Daddy where Adam Sandler said old balls. And that's what I thought about. And so like that's, that's what I would picture when I would get like catcalled by like older dudes and stuff like that. But Sadly. when I saw like those workout videos, I was like, damn. 
Okay, but hold on. What did you think? When you you saw his push-ups, though, right? Like, okay, if we're really getting into it, like they were like half reps. They weren't like a real push-up, you know. I mean, he looked great. I mean, the the abs were visible. But I also saw the video of him doing the bench press too, and I was like, "Damn, you got to remember again how old he is." I know he is old. He's seven days old. In their freaking early thirties, they can't do that. I think I think he probably trains with Arnold. I mean, come on, like they're from LA, LA, you know. I think he was really um, attempting to sling shade at Joe Biden to say you stumbling around falling and this and that and I am going to be this is the image because you know if you remember the caption was he's getting ready getting in shape for his debates mm-hmm. so you know Joe Biden and the Democrats have already sworn off debates but he's like throwing down the gauntlet saying you don't want to debate me because I'm more fit and you know, the physical thing is just a representation, but what he was suggesting is, I am fit and you are not, and that's why you don't want to debate, because I would knock you out. Yeah, because that had, um, that was definitely a direct shot at him when Joe Biden called that guy on the campaign trail, fat, you want to go outside and challenge me to a push-up contest? So that, that was, uh, that's what he was directly hitting him on. But I'm trying to tell you guys, he can't come on my show now, okay? He can't, he can't come on. Wow. Too powerful. He can't contact me. He can't, because I just be like, the whole time you're thinking like, damn, like nobody knew. I just wanted to say, I think he has a reputation. You can have integrity. You, you can do it. We, we believe in you and we need you to keep your cool and uh, ask him the hard questions. You know, you can imagine him in his underwear. Just kidding. I, uh, you know, oh, that trick they do with public appearances. Oh, um, I think also was... for a second, just one second. Okay. I think also RFK Jr. has a, a reputation, a decades-long reputation of of uh, being a real ladies' man. We'll put it that way. Look, I'm just gonna say this. I can't. Okay, but I have this rule. Dudes that I think are attracto can't come on this show. Period. They just can't. Sorry. Edu, anything um, else you want to finish up with before I bring in TJ? No, 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 that's it. Thank you very much. You guys are fun. Thank you. All right, TJ. Let me bring you in. What's up, TJ? Gotta unmute. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to see. Uh, yeah, I had a really good show tonight. I'm sorry to hear about your friend that uh, passed away. Uh, I believe I, I remember her like when you first uh, started your show. Um, the were you were you guys pretty close or? No, like uh, we we weren't necessarily close, but it's just like one thing I will say is like. For those of us that are content creators and things like that in this space, like we are very, you know, it's kind of like people go on your show, you get to know people, like that kind of thing. Like we're all very connected. And like, 
the thing with me and Brittany is like when she came on my show, like she was actually the person that kind of motivated me to keep going because mm. it's very hard in the beginning. And like, she like, like obviously my, like my channel grew a lot further than hers did. But the thing that I admired about her is like, she never gave up, you know, yeah. she told me like, you, you have to see the interview, but like, she kept saying like the whole interview, she was like, we got to keep going and we got to stay motivated. And she's like, I know I'm growing slow, but I'm just going to keep at it. And she never had a negative attitude about it. She was never like, I'm not growing fast enough. Why am I not getting as many views? She was not that person. Like she was just so positive. And then, like I said, four months ago, she decided, okay, let me join TikTok. And it was TikTok that actually pushed her over the edge the edge like she i don't say push her over edge but like made her really popular like she went viral immediately on tiktok like i'm talking her videos got millions and millions of views and she blew up and it got to the point where she got sponsorships because she she grew she went from four thousand subscribers on tiktok when she first started i i'm still at like four thousand something on tiktok when she first started right. and she ballooned into like almost 500,000 subscribers. Like she blew up very quickly with her comedy routines. So the thing is that I want to get across is like, she, she was very funny. She would do those things on YouTube too. But like I said, that just shows you the thing about the YouTube algorithm. It doesn't promote everybody. It's like, there's so many channels on YouTube and the algorithm suppresses a lot of people. That right there told me she was heavily suppressed on YouTube. But I always like every week I would watch her video because like she puts out a vlog, a video every week. She didn't take breaks. So like even when she went on vacation, she still filmed when she was on vacation. And it was just like, that was supposed to be a part of a series. I don't know if I, I didn't explain that tonight because I got a little emotional and I was hoping that wouldn't happen. That was supposed to be a part of a series. When I started that video um, with her, the interview, California Exodus, what was supposed to happen is I was trying to get other people from other states that actually were also having that mass exodus. So Illinois was my next go-to because I don't know if you guys know this, but Illinois also has had a mass exodus of people that are just leaving and fleeing Illinois. So it was supposed to be a series of all these different states that people were fleeing and the reasons why. Um, but at that point in time, because my channel was so small, people just wouldn't come on or they, they wouldn't respond. Like it was really hard, like in the beginning, but Brittany wasn't that way. And like, she came on and she was just such a positive person. Like, it just fucking kills me that like, I believe it. Like when I, you know how I found out? I didn't tell you guys how I found out. So Torn Walker, who came on my show recently, you guys saw that. So I did this thing where I was like, I was told by people, you need to bring on some of the older guests. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So I went through, I have a file and I went through my file and I said, Let's go back to the very beginning of people who came on the beginning. So I brought so, up Torn and Torn had reached out to me on Twitter um, about something else. And I was like, oh, and that reminded me, Torn, you need to come back on. So I, I brought Torn back on and I'm not kidding. This is what hurts the most. 
It was just last week. I was going through the list and I was like, oh, I need to bring Brittany back on and we can talk about the algorithm and all that shit. And then literally I was like, there was no, there was silence and I was like, that's weird. Brittany hasn't uploaded a video. That's not like her. And then I went into YouTube and I typed in her channel name. And the very first thing that came up was TikTok star, TikTok star dies in car crash. And I was like, what? I didn't believe it at first. Like I watched multiple videos. It was on Access Hollywood as well. Like this was all over the place. Like I searched Google everything to make sure it was the right person because I just couldn't believe it. And it's really sad because like she had finally gotten to that point where she could just do this full time and not have to worry about anything. Like she really had taken off and it it, it really hurts. Like it, it made me feel some kind of way. I don't know. But like those of us in this space, we interview a lot of people and she was one of those people that I felt like <clears throat> really had such a positive energy. She wasn't like negative and wasn't like, I only have such and such, such and such subscribers. She wasn't that way. Like if you guys watch the video, I know my audio was fucking terrible. Sorry. But if you watch the video, you'll hear just nothing positivity from her. And that's what killed me is like, that was someone who didn't blame the algorithm, didn't blame any of that stuff, just kept fighting and finally found her release on TikTok and blew the fuck up. And then it's like she died in a car accident because some motherfucker was driving down the street in fucking Texas, 70 miles an hour. And it wasn't just her, her and her mother died. They were in the car together. So it, it, it sucked. And like her mother was also frequently like used on her channel. So was her sister who was in the, the news video. Like it just, I don't know, man. Like it, it really fucking, it, it hurts. It made me feel some kind of way. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, like I said, I didn't know if you knew her, how well you guys, you know, if you were like you guys were clueless or anything, but uh, yeah, man, uh, I was, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I try to, you know, like uh, I know it's pretty good, you know, to be kind of close to other content creators, and uh, you know, um, like I said, I'm trying to to work on some stuff. Uh, I've, I've had bad weather here. I, I was gonna do a live stream. I just finally figured out how to set up Streamlabs to, uh, I mean, Streamyards to uh my YouTube channel, so. And I just got it, and I'm just trying to set up some interviews, and I was going to go around and interview people. But, uh, you know, I really don't have the money for, you know, good equipment or anything like that. I've, I've actually been, uh, you know, relying on the Indy and Reef and them, and they've helped me out a lot, you know, try to, you know, try to get me set up and everything. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, thankful for, you know, what all, everything that they've done. Uh, at indie indie media, um, uh, so yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to get it set up and going. I want to talk to people that uh, I I, I was going to interview a lady. Uh, she lost her husband in January. She's got five kids and she works at uh, she works at the dollar store. And I just go around and talk to people and I just wanted you know just bring them on and share their stories and you know kind of just do what you guys do, like help people out. You know, just um just kind of, you know, talk to people and, you know, share their stories and see if I can help them out, set up a little, 
you know, like a little cash app or a Venmo or, you know, whatever, you know, something to that effect. But, uh, um, you know, because uh, I've been wanting to do it. And that's, and you know, you what you said tonight, you know, kind of kind of hit hard, you know, like uh, you, you don't know how long you got left. And, you know, just go out there and do what you want to do. And I've been wanting to do this for so long, man. But, Sebby, I... I just don't really have the money, man. I, you know, I'd rather help you guys out. You know, you look at, look at CJ right now. CJ don't, is about to lose his apartment. Uh, he's got to have a place to stay. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, Rome. Rome's doing a library. I've been, I've been giving him money. I've been, uh, you know, I've, I've give him money for paint. I think it was the last thing. I know he's doing carpet. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to give CJ money. Uh, I try to give, I try to give money, uh, I think I gave 20 to, uh, uh, JP, uh, the last time. And, I, you know, cause I know he's got Dallas, his treatments. And I mean, that, that's the thing about what, what you guys have going on. You, people see who you are. You know that you guys are genuine and you know that, you know, people try to help, you know, I don't, you know, that's, that's the kind of, people that, you know, I want to be associated with because I know you guys are, you know, I know you guys are not like ops or whatever. You know, I know you guys are genuine people. You guys are working class people like me that are just trying to make it, you know. And uh, and sometimes I don't have any money in the bank. Uh, I guess, you know, I'm, my mom, uh, I got to push more. I got to cut two acres with because my mom can't afford to pay the guy anymore to cut the grass. Uh I've been I've been cutting grass like almost every day with a push mower until I get tired, uh, you know. Um, and uh, but you know I know my money's going to you know help people out, you know. But um, like I said, I get paid. I get paid uh, tomorrow, so hopefully I'll be able to give CJ a little bit of rent money, you know, or whatever to get him on his feet. And you know, um, I just wish I could do more, man. But that's the problem, you know. The people that have don't have anything is the ones that want to give, and you know we we can't even help ourselves sometimes, you know. So, and uh, you know I'm always a negative savvy. I'm used to being broke, so. Uh, but you know that's just, and uh, I mean you know I, I like I said my doc I just paid two hundred dollars to get my daughter diagnosed for autism and. They found out she just hated ADHD. So, um, and, uh, I'm, I'm, we gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna call the cake late to get a better diagnosis because I just don't, I just don't feel that, um, I just don't feel that was the right diagnosis because she's got a lot of, I mean, she's very smart. She's very intelligent. She's got, uh, she doesn't have any communication problems and a lot of autistic kids that I've seen. Uh, they got very lot of uh, communication and verbal issues, but she's mostly motor skills. She gets scared when the vacuum cleaner comes on. She puts her ears up over her head, and she's very. She doesn't like to be touched, like with tags. She can't. She's you know antsy with all that stuff, and there's just a lot going on, you know. And uh, but I I got her working. Uh, she's in summer school right now. She, she did pass kindergarten, so that was a really good thing for me. Uh, you know, and, uh, man, it's just always, it's always something. You know, I got a lot of stuff going on, but yeah, I know well, a lot know, of people. Why is six? She's, she's, this is why. She's this working. Is why. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
And I think that, and I um, think that um Oh, I'm sorry. Sure. It's okay. We all have things going on. And I mean, like, you know, we're everyday people. Like, I'm not fucking rich. And I mean, I have, <laughs> I, I have student loan debt that I still have not paid off. Like, I, it just like, people will like, post videos and shit. Like, Sabby has a house. She has wealth. Like, this is not wealth in Massachusetts. Like, you don't understand. Like, obviously, like, people are just fucking ridiculous. And, like, the only reason I even have a house is because my parents, our parents fucking helped us. And I want people to understand that. Not everybody has parents that can help them financially. I'm lucky that I can. And even me, I hate asking my parents for money. Like, you guys got to understand, like, hell, I would rather, like, pick up another job before I ask like my dad like for money and it's not because my dad is mean or anything but it's for me it's a pride issue and my dad never had to ask for help he never did granted he grew up in another time but he still kind of has that mindset that like you know people gotta you gotta if you have to pick up another job and that's what you gotta kind of do now he has been changing because he has been seeing like obviously he's been watching my show when he's been seeing like the numbers and realizing like whoa this is a totally different place now than it wasn't when I was growing up and people are really struggling so he he gets it now but I still I, I still have like this thing about me like where I do not like to ask my parents for money I don't even like to ask you guys for money like if it wasn't for the RBN Boston chapter I wouldn't be asking you that. This is the first time I did like GoFundMe and said, hey guys, can you support this event? Like da da da. But that's not for me. That's for people here who don't have the means to 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 be able to just buy, like to be able to just go to a fucking barbecue. Like barbecue is fucking expensive here because this is not the South. And in the South, barbecue is cheap as fuck because everybody does it. In the North, it's not. So people don't have the funds and stuff to just go sit down and like have like barbecue or just like just go out to eat, period. A lot of people don't have that. So it's like, but even for that, I was like, I don't want to ask people, but like this is my first time. And I had to go to Rome first and ask Rome for advice because I don't like asking people for money. I really don't. So that was hard for me. But the thing is, is that we're normal people. And I think a big part of the problem is a lot of the people that we saw and left independent media for a long time, they're not like, they're not normal people. A lot of these people, like they're well off financially and, or they have a, a a family circle that supports what they do in a sense that they are able to just do this full time and they don't have to worry about whether or not they make enough money to pay their rent. And that's, that's another thing. Whereas when you look at someone like Nick, when you look at someone like CJ that you just brought up, CJ has to find a place to live. Like this is real life shit. These are real life things that we have to deal with. Like it's not, (laughs) you know, the fact that CJ can still even stream when he has to find a place to live and he has kids and he, you know, he's married, but like this shit is real. This is real life for us. And it happens. And honestly, it's happened to me before too. There's been multiple times 
but actually before I moved to, to Boston area, there were multiple times where I thought I was at a wit's end where like, like, oh man, like my roommate, like just fucking peace the fuck out. And I was like, what am I going to do? I can't afford the rent by myself. Like that should happen to me twice. So, I mean, it's just like, like this, this is real life. And so for people who say, just figure it out or pull yourself up by the bootstraps, these motherfuckers have never had to work two jobs. I have. These motherfuckers have never had to deal with the fact of a roommate just skipping out or a roommate who uh, apparently couldn't pay the rent and lied and said they were paying the rent and they weren't paying the fucking rent. And then you get a notice from the fucking like management company saying you guys haven't paid rent in three months and I've been giving them money all this fucking time. Like I had to deal with that shit. That was real life for me. And they don't understand that. These are the things that like people like Crystal and Kyle, they don't have to deal with that shit. They're rich. Sabrina, you just reminded me of something. I I had picked up some customers last night. Uh, They was from uh, Japan. And I asked them, "Uh, what do you guys do? They said they work on like Wall Street and financing or something like that, right? And um, I was was saying to them, oh yeah, one of them was visiting from Japan and she's back in Japan today. She was there here for two weeks. And I said, you know, if you stay in America too long, you, you end up getting fat and putting on weight, you know? And she was like, what? I was like, yeah, we got a whole bunch of processed food here and so on and so forth, right? I said, look what we did to your Godzilla. We made him fat in the movies, right? But anyway, I said, um, what do you call it? Uh, he, so he was just like, oh, you know, I guess we just gotta like gotta exercise more, whatever. I said, yeah, the thing is, People's paycheck is at the South Pole and their cost of living is at the North Pole. So what ends up happening is they have to get two jobs, maybe three. Who got time to be exercising? And he was like, wow, that was like a concept he never even heard of. Like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. I said, yeah, you know, when when you got to increase your hours, that's less time to exercise, you know, because your paycheck sucks. So, you know, that that pretty much what you just said triggered that uh, memory from yesterday. Yeah, I mean, like I had like these are things that people don't know, like maybe I'll do a show about this, about like, you know, just struggling in America and make it a panel. Like there was a time like when I was I was in South Carolina at that point in time and my roommate like freaking (laughs) just she moved in her fucking boyfriend he was not helping with the rent he was not helping with the bills and i made the most money and i was paying every fucking thing and eventually i told her that you guys gonna have to start paying some shit or you gotta go like i said but this is this is not gonna work for me like i can't afford to take care of myself and two other people like i was working two fucking jobs and there the response was well, if you don't like it, then you don't have to live here. So because I couldn't afford the rent for all of us, I had to go to the fucking property management office and tell them I can't afford to live here. And here's the reason why. And I told them why that my roommates weren't paying and da, da, da. And so they came in and went to my roommates and said, 
first of all, he wasn't on the lease, so that was violation of the lease. And they said either he has to go and you have to start paying rent, da, da, da. So I came home from work one day and both of them were gone. And like, I, I was stuck with that apartment by my fucking self and my parents helped me out. Luckily, I only had like four months left on the lease, the, the lease and they helped me out to pay the rest of it and then I had to move out. But like, these are just like regular stressors that I had to deal with in my fucking life. And what kills me is that people will look at like where I am now, not realizing I'm much older. I'm not in my fucking twenties and they'll look at where I am now and they don't, they didn't see what I went through beforehand. And that's the shit that pisses me off. And I'm like, no, you know how many times I had to deal with this shit where like roommates would just skip out on the fucking rent or they would say that they paid the electric bill and then I would come home and all the fucking lights and shit was off. The times that I had to leave my job, my professional job, ask my boss if I could leave my job to go to the freaking utility company to pay the fucking bill because they didn't fucking pay it. That was my life. People don't know about that shit. And a lot of people don't have to deal with that. A lot of people that you see right now, independent media, Sam Cedar, Emma Vigilant, they don't have to deal with that shit. They never had to struggle. These people never had to struggle. They don't fucking know. Go ahead, uh, Dio Liberal. I saw you on mute. Uh, I was just um, going to say that I'm so sorry. Also, Emma Vigiland interned for uh, Kristen Gillibrand. <laughs> She's from that kind of a wealthy family. And, you know, I think anyone that listens to your show knows you're not the enemy. Like we, Like, the kind of wealth that people should be targeting their anger at it's the 1%. I mean, it is Sam Cedar. <laughs> like, it is kind of like the Sam Cedars and the Emma Vigilance. Absolutely. And the uh, Crystal Callen cringe, of course. It's not you for owning a house. And just to give people an idea who don't understand, like, you can lose your house. Like, if you don't pay taxes, and in some states, the taxes are very high every year. Like, in New York, I think it's 11000 even if you live upstate. I'm not talking about the city. $11,000 a year. So if you like miss your taxes or whatever, you get, you, you get foreclosed on, you get kicked out and vulture capital gets to eat your house. Also, I talked to someone who, you know, I was working at the gas station by my house and he was like in his sixties, you know, he was really upbeat, great guy. And he told me like, you know, one time I lost my house because, you know, I got like an, I, I forgot, like I, um, I couldn't pay the mortgage like one, one or two months consecutively. And what that means is that in the escrow, like your bill becomes so much higher. If you miss like even one payment, it spins out of control. And then you can never catch up because the, you know, it just like, there's the interest and the, all of that shit. And, and he lost his house. He lost his house because he couldn't pay one month of a mortgage. Pe like people, you know, just because you have a house doesn't mean you are wealthy and like, oh my, oh, you're so professional manager. No, you're not the enemy. And anyone who listens to, to your show and struggles to understands that. And thank you for everything you do. Thank you so much for that. Uh, TJ, anything else? And then I'm going to go to uh, Jonathan and then bring in um, Jared. You already spoke, so I'm going to go to Sue. Oh uh, yeah, just a couple of more, uh, just one more couple of things. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be a great idea if you had a panel on, uh, something like that. Work, working in, struggling in America. I think, sh I think that'd probably be your best show, one of your, or one of your best shows. 
that you've probably done. Uh, you do a lot of great work and a lot of people appreciate you. Um, because they see, like I said, they see that you guys are genuine. You know, like I said, Rome was the one that, uh, brought me to your show. Uh, I, you know, I started out on Twitter and, you know, um, I just, I just started circulating around Rome and um, he, he would have me see spaces on Twitter and I would go in and listen to what he had to say. And, you know, and it's like, because I'm like, what, this is, this is a communist? Cause, you know, I, you know, I was always thought like, oh, communists are bad, you know, I didn't know any better. Like, and then I'm like, this, this, this is a communist. I thought, I thought this, this is not what a communist was supposed to do. This guy's like, just, he sounds just like a genuine good guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, just help, just helping people out, you know? So, I mean, but I, I'm, I'm still kind of learning about it, you know? I really don't know much about Marxism and, if if I'm a socialist or a communist or, but I feel like I'm I'm leaning more towards communist, but I really don't know. Um, but uh, also too on a, on another note, uh, I just wanted to see if you would had time to look into that uh, organized change incorporated that uh that information that I sent to you uh, via um. Uh, uh, and I think I don't know if Indy got yeah, it for you. I'll 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 I have to reach out. Just, just reach out. I was busy okay, today. I'll have to reach out either no, no, no. Um, tomorrow uh, well, or yeah, Saturday. Okay. okay. Well, like I said, uh, I hope. Uh, uh, I mean, I think they would be a great group, but I don't know, man. Like, I I just think they they received a lot of bad press, and that organization just got. Uh, I don't know because they don't have a website anymore. They their Facebook page is still up, but and like I said, I I don't want to you know, um, like I say when I talked to her, you know, uh, she was really nice and everything. So I don't know, uh, but uh, maybe you could talk to her and uh, just see, uh, find out more about her organization. And and but like I said, the last time I saw that they were active was when they were cleaning up in the in Jersey. So. Um, but yeah, that's the last I heard of them. So, but I, I think that, I think they would be really good group to work with. I mean, they've done clothing drives. They've done, uh, they've done, uh, uh, clean up at cemeteries and stuff like that. And I think that cemetery was the last event they did or, or it was even better. They had a clothing drive. So, but I think it was the, the clean up at the cemetery was the last thing they did. So. But hopefully, um, you know, if you can talk to them and, you know, and, and maybe uh, just see what's going on with them and maybe they can, y'all can work together on some stuff. And But uh, when I talked to her, she said, like, she was really interested in talking to you and, uh, uh, you know, forwarding uh, uh, information back and forth, so. But yeah, that's that's it, Sammy. I appreciate you taking you know my call tonight. Now, great, All another right. great. All right, thank you so much, TJ. All right, All Jonathan, right. go ahead and and um unmute. I'll bring night. you in, and then we'll right. go to Sue. Thank you. So Have much. a great night, guys. Appreciate thank it, guys. Hey, Sammy, how you doing? Hey, what's up? What's your take on everything? Um, a few things. Well, before I get into the interview, just one question. You said you had a rule that you don't bring men on that you find attractive on your show? Uh-oh, this is going to get me in trouble. 
No, no, no. So I'm, it's just, I was just curious about something. Um, <laughs> and I was just curious. So, but you had Terrain on your show twice. I had who? Terrain. Who's that? Did I say his name wrong? Terrain Walker. You mean Torrin? Torrin, yeah. I always say, because when I see it, it's spelled like Terrain, but okay, Torrin, yeah. You had him on your show. Mm hmm. So you don't find him attractive? No, Torrin kind of reminds uh, me of. So I got I to tell you something, um, something about Torrin that's kind of funny. I had a professor that kind of looked like Torrin. I'm I'm not kidding. Like I I remember the first time I met him, I thought to myself like, "Oh my god. He looks like my freaking math professor from undergrad." <laughs> from undergrad, like that's who he reminds me of and even now like every time I see him, he reminds me of my math professor who used to who used to tell us like this is my freshman year, he used to tell us, "Now remember, what I teach you in here is all I can do." It's up to you to learn that information and do something with it. That, that that was his thing, like every class. So like the very first time I remember I brought Torn on, that's what I thought about to myself. The whole time in my head, one of the things I heard was that phrase from my math professor. That was my algebra professor in undergrad. And he was just like, what I teach you in this class. And it was just funny because it was like, it's not like algebra was like this new thing or this like phenomenon, like obviously every, we all had to do algebra. Like, so the way that he would say it is like, we were considered special to be a part of this class when all of us had to take that damn class. It was a core requirement. So it was just kind of funny the way that he would say it, but he's funny, but uh, go ahead, Jonathan, sorry. No, you're fine. I mean, I'm not going to judge your preferences, but I'm just going to side-eye you from now on. So, it, cause the first time I saw Torin, I, that wasn't my thought. Even though I did have a college professor, my actually he was my survey math teacher. He looked similar like to him, and I didn't know at the time until I was done with the course that my teacher was actually probably hitting on me. But I'm very naive, so if he was doing, that, I wasn't paying attention because the class was boring to me because I already knew the stuff. I took it for credit. I was a math major, so I was like, "This is stupid. Why am I taking this class?" So, anyway, so that is um, one thing I, I will say, I should have mentioned this, if if I see someone and they look similar to an educator that I had, I don't have, there won't be room for any type of physical attraction, just because I don't see educators in that way, if that makes sense. I mean, well, yes, it does make sense. Oh, yeah. Yes and no. For me, I am a sapiosexual, so I'm attracted to men that are really smart. Um, even though, I, okay, perfect example. Although I do not agree with him ideologically, I still watch Broken Points because I do find Sagar attractive. That's just me. Like I said, I um, for for um, <laughs> local reasons, I don't agree with him, but I look at him like, mm, yeah, he's. He's kind of cute. And when he got a C fix, I'm like, okay, now he's definitely cute. I'm sorry, no worries about I was saying, <laughs> Oh my God. I mean, okay, look, the smile can see, I can see why Jonathan might say something about 
that, but ugh. I mean, his every every position he has is so awful. I mean, they're both awful. Thank you for saying broken points. I would just say, like, so I, I guess I should be fair. There, there. This is not to say there haven't been people that have come on in the past that were uh, attractive. Um, God, I'm so uncomfortable with this, um, but I'm so awkward. But uh, you <laughs> this is not to say there. Now you got <laughs> This is not to say there have been people that haven't come on in the past that I did think were you know attractive or whatever. Um, but you won't see them again. Uh, so so go so go ahead, Jonathan. Sorry. No no no, you're fine. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, there was one more thing I was about to say, but I forgot what it was. This probably wasn't important. But anyway, um, I watched. I came in late for your um for your live stream um for um when you interviewed um Dr. Mullen, Dr. Darity, because I have the book. Unfortunately, I never started reading the book. Like I bought the book two years, three years ago. Actually, I think I bought bought it during COVID. And I was like, okay, I'm going to read this book, but I never read it. I still have the book. It's somewhere in my place. Um, now I'm actually reading The Rich and the Rest of Us by Tavis Smiley and Cornel West. Um, but the, first of all, the interview was great. You did a really good job. I really loved how your pushback, um, not your pushback, what you said about, you know, making reparations specifically for African-Americans, for descendant slaves, bringing in, well, what about reparations for those from the uh, the diaspora that are from the Caribbeans, from the um, from the South America, from African countries. Like, what about the reparations? I love how you brought that up and how they addressed it because that is a conversation that goes on and on over and over again. Um, the thing about the reparations, um, they brought up a point. They said, you know, their contingencies that hey, you have to be, you have to claim that you were. You have to claim that you're African-American within the last 12 years. You have to find a direct lineage. I believe it was in Washington State where they had a program that was giving incentives to African-American um, small business owners. And this guy, I, I might be wrong, so I correct me, correct me if, I'm, if I'm wrong. I think, it was, like I said, it was Washington State. This guy took a test, white guy, took a test, found out like his great-great-great-great-grandfather was a black man. And all of a sudden, boom, he's claiming he's black. Because people actually do that shit. Because, of course, we live in a capitalist society, so they're going to do that shit. Um, yeah, Roger? Um, the only thing I disagreed with him on is he said 12 years. I'm saying to myself, nah, fuck that. Life. <laughs> He's like, because, okay, let's say, okay, 12 years. Okay, so let's say, for instance, right now, you've been claiming on your census uh that you're white, right? But you know, you don't know you have a descendant. But what happens if 12 years from now they finally pass reparations? That person would qualify. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, make make that. You've been saying you're black all your life. I think it's. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying, but then you got to think of people who are biracial, who are who, um, who were selected in this world to be one race, selected in this world to be, or sorry, were selected to be white when they identify as black. And the only reason why they were selected to be white is because that was the race that, that they were given by society, not by themselves. And then perfect example is um, the whole issue with Ram Amber Rose. 
I would suggest you watch this this um this show, but there was an issue where Amber Rose is bi biracial. Sometimes she identifies as white, sometimes she identifies black. Well, in this episode, she wanted to identify as black. Jocelyn Hernandez is like, well, you're a black woman. And she's like, no, I'm biracial. They got into a fight. They got kicked out of college. So that's on um, College Hill Celebrity Edition. So you have people who come to this world who um, are told that, oh, you're this race because of what you, or your phenotypes. But they actually identify, they realize that, okay, I identify as black. So I guess that's why they have the 12 year rule. Other than that, um, no, no, no. He, he was, I mean, yeah, I'm assuming. About what you put down on the census. That's what I'm talking about. What you put hmm. down in the census, not just, hey, I just identify myself as this or that. No, no, no. He was talking about if you identified yourself, he was, well, he may have not said it specifically, but he has said it on other interviews. If for the past 12 years you wrote down African American, right, and, and you're a descendant of slavery or whatever, you would get it. It, it. It'd be something that's in writing. Like, well, you just, you've been putting down, you were white. For the past umpteen years, you take a test and all of a sudden you see, oh, I'm descendant of slaves or whatever. All of a sudden now, hey, I'm black. I'm going to get reparations. No, he was talking specifically. About, he might have not said it with, with Sabrina. So that's probably why he, he, like how, why well, he I took did, it like that. Cause I he, did ask about people who were biracial. I did ask about that. But I will say right. with the example of Amber Rose, though, I think one thing to keep in mind is like i remember her saying she's part cape verdean and there's a cape verdean population here in massachusetts and when i've talked to people who are from cape verde they do not consider themselves to be black to be african-american they consider themselves to be african not african-american so that in itself someone like Amber Rose, I don't think will qualify. See, that's the thing that this is where this gets tricky, right? Like, that's why I did ask them that question. What about people who are biracial? Well, you, he did say you would get it if you, if you, you know, well, I'm not trying to, um, I don't know what the word is, but if you had kids, your kids would receive reparations through you. I think the word he used was lineage because like, Cardi B yes. is biracial, but she's Trinidadian, so she wouldn't get it. So right. you say right. lineage. So lineage does matter. And and I and oh and Sabby, I was kind of embarrassed for you when you asked that question about your your um descendants. Only Yo, like what the fuck, man? <laughs> well, see, like, no, like, see, fucking no. I see, but I do, unfortunately. Like I, my great great grandfather was interviewed in the 1930s as part of a, a part of the writing project. I've got what it was called, but I have a picture of my great great grandfather who was a slave. And actually, I know both sides of both what? sides. Of so, oh yes, savvy. I know, savvy. That's why when people say shit to me, I don't. It doesn't bother me because I know who I am. I know where my people came from. My great my. My great 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 grandfather, who was the slave owner, his name was Tom Reed, and I know it's because my I said my great great grandfather was interviewed. So I, my his kid, he had nineteen kids. My great great grandmother was one of them. They all moved up. They part of the migration. My great my great grandmother moved to Philly. Um, on my, that's my father's side. My mother's side. I can actually. It's a long story, savvy. I'll just email it to you, but I went <laughs> to school with a girl whose parents benefited from 
the work that my great grandmother did. She was a mammy. She was a slave. Well, that, she was a help. So, you know, I, so thing, like, what's 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 sad is like I don't know much about my family past like. And, and I, I kind of feel embarrassed saying this, but like, I don't know much about my family past my great grandmother. And that's because like my family has moved around so much. Like I don't know anything before her and I met her like, you know, obviously I, she was alive until I was a teenager. But then after that, plus also my parents were military. So a good chunk of my life, we lived overseas. So that's another thing. But like, other than that, like, I don't know much about my family and I've tried to find information about my family, but it's really tricky when people have different last names and not everybody took up a married name and it's very hard. No, I get it. I, one question I want to ask you, does your family, what my family did, what my father's side of family did, they don't keep a family Bible because my grandmother still has well, my aunt has my grandmother deceased, but they actually, actually saw the Bible. Actually, sent me pictures of it. In black for black folks, we always kept the, everything our family lineage in the Bible, the big Bibles. My dad is not religious. My mom is very religious. My dad was has never been religious, so there's that. Um, and you know, I I think there are things that I'm finding out about my family right now, like at my age that I never knew before. There are just a lot of things like, I don't know how to explain this to uh, the, the white members of the audience, but I, I will just say it like this. There have been secrets <laughs> uh, among black families that for whatever reason, was felt they felt it necessary to keep it secret uh at that point in time and just never felt the need to clarify it like i, I hope i'm not alone on this like anybody feel free to chime in but i'm mean, not alone there's, yeah. But yeah there's people i found out that i i was raised when i was little to call like my cousin and my aunt and my uncle those people were never fucking related to me and i don't understand like what was the point of that but there are people out there who are related to me that I have never been introduced to and I will never be introduced to because some way, shape or form, the family decided that they're not acceptable and they, nobody will tell me why, no one will say what they did. It's just that they're not a part of us. And, but it's okay for me to call someone my aunt or uncle my whole life and they're not related. Does that make sense? I don't know. Noel, can you chime in? Yeah. Um, you know, we have to consider the fact that we have descended through slavery and therefore the family structures were a lot of times distorted because when you think about it, breeding was a big part of the strategy that was employed in slavery in this country. So post-emancipation, people just don't instantly have the best of you know, familial ways and this and that, and promiscuity became a problem. You know, p people did what they could to create family, but a lot of times family members were sold and, you know, they had the breeding process and 
It was just a lot of trauma and distortion going on. And so like in for me, for instance, um, my um, paternal grandmother had my father out of wedlock. So that was considered shameful. So there's a whole side of my family biologically that would be linked to that married man. But because he was married, you know, we, there was no social connectivity. So, you know, those type of things happen. But here, here's one of the important things um, that we have to consider with the ideology of reparations is that prior to the 1960 um, Naturalization Act in terms of immigrants, the vast majority of Africanized Americans in this country had descended through slavery. So, and then when you think of things in a programmatic sense, nothing is going to be perfect, but you want to get the most of it right. And so between the um, chattel records that the plantation owners maintain, the U.S. census and things of that nature, um, people can have those records tracked. But like I say, for the most part, if your grandparents or great-grandparents were here prior to the 60s, the chances are they had descended through slavery. And we may not be able to do those record searches ourselves individually, but ostensibly, if you were to put a reparations program in place, one of the features of the governance would be to put together um, an agency that would be specifically charged with helping people search through those records and verify in this, that, and third. And so it wouldn't just, I would not necessarily think it would be on each individual to one by one without some assistance because there are records that may be available that we just don't have access to and just don't know. He also said it may, it could be combined with uh, DNA testing. One of the reasons, Sabi, he might have been um, trying to pin you down about um, when what census is, I think th there's an assumption that if if a black person was in the U.S. before a certain date, they really have to be descended from slaves because that was really the only way black people got in the country. So I think that may have been part of it as well. And then when you think about it, <laughs> prior to the civil rights movement, who was trying, which black people across the diaspora were trying to run to this country when we was catching hell with Jim and Jane Crow? Now, you know, we do have record of some people coming from the Caribbean and this, that, and a third. But like I say, the vast majority of those blacks prior to the 60s were descendants of slaves catching hell. And then when you open things up, then you have this great influx of black immigrants coming from all over the world because people are coming. Not only are they fleeing oppression, but they're looking for opportunity. And for black peoples, those opportunities did not really present themselves in a substantive way until after the civil rights movement. And so now we have black immigrants coming in, you know, taking up space for affirmative action and everything else. But uh, it's really kind of funny, but it's really not. It's a serious issue. And with um, the case for the criteria for eligibility, it would be both tying uh, one of your um, ancestors back to slavery and 
having identified as black 12 years prior to the implementation of um, the program. Because what um, Darity was saying is that if you announce, you know, reparations or if reparations looks like it's going to become real, everybody would want, you know, white people from all over Cree Nation would suddenly be black. And so they're yeah. saying, if you have been identifying as something other than African-American or black on the census 12 years prior, then we know that, you know, that would be one of those type of decisions that programmatically would have to be made to say, yeah, you're not eligible for this program. And that would have some sort of controversy associated with it because, you know, people be hollering and screaming, but my people were a part of slaves and I look white, live that like Sally Hem- Hemings people. They would be saying, well, you know, we black this and that and blah, 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 because that's how the American way when it comes to money. But yeah, again, and no program is perfect, but as long as the core is getting the resources to the people who really have struggled because they have descended from slavery, then that's my major concern. I don't get all been out of shape about the fringes or the margins of the program because people are going to figure a way to get over and get around everything. But I would not want that type of reasoning to be one of the reasons people say, oh, we can't do it because you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, we can do it and we need to be doing it because it is the right and moral thing to do. But I realize that when you really think about what reparations and what it portends, it would really be an upending in a lot of ways of the American way. It would shake up the system. And, you know, that's why people are so viscerally against it on one side and so viscerally for it on the other. Yeah, uh, I didn't get it. I forgot to ask him this question about the DNA test because, like, my sister did a DNA test and uh, she brought it to my parents and she was just like, you guys have some explaining to do. Because it was, it did not make sense. Um, And my parents, you know, my parents, like, they're just like, we don't know. Like, we were just born here. Like, Like, that kind of thing, you know? Like, but I mean most like her dna test it was like 25% french and that part like 25% france most of the time the dna test that i've seen like for my 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 black friends have had this done most of the time it'll show like different countries in africa like usually uh the western part of africa so it'll show like the larger percentage from that region what was really weird with my sisters, it was like 25% like France. Uh, there was a portion from Germany, which is weird. That's not usual to what I've seen with other DNA tests from my black friends. And it, like, usually when it comes to the European stuff, like it'll show like UK or like um, Norway, Sweden, like that kind of stuff, maybe some Spain in there, but it was just different. And so what I told my sister was that I was like, well, maybe like our family at some point, maybe part of it came from Louisiana, right? Because there was a French presence in Louisiana. And even if you go to Louisiana today, like a lot of like even black people who were born there, like they speak differently. 
there's a different dialect there in New Orleans than there is in other parts of the country, right? So there's the whole Creole thing. So I was like, maybe that's where that comes from. And my sister was like, okay, what about the German part? I was like, can't speak for that. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to tell you about that. You're on your own with that. But you know, there were a lot of, first of all, you know, there was a lot of things going on that was illicit. I mean, if you ever watched the Skip Gates thing on finding your roots, when they track that stuff back, it is amazing, you know, what was really going on based on the, the records versus what the stories and narratives that people were passing along in their lives. And think about it. A, a, a large part of the enslavement and the post-enslavement period had to do with white men having their way with black women. And if something like that happened to you, you know, it's not like abortion was available. So a lot of those people had those babies and raised them. And, you know, you know, Auntie Sally Mae was very light complexion or different in this net, but you folded it into the network because you had to live and exist. And so you can get a lot of mixed, you know, things going on because we, unlike most other ethnicities that have come to this country, we didn't have the choice to marry and interrelate within ethnicity by choice for a very long time, for 200 plus, 250 plus years. And then when the shackles were released, there were still a lot of distortions and things going on. So I, you know, I just take it for what it reveals and nothing shocks me anymore, but, um, it's, it is what it is. And, and, and I just understand that, you know, the way we were socialized in this country was less than humane. And so the evidentiary matter is still in the genes and it's just there. And, you know, it is. Oh, I just want to ask something. Jonathan, are you Jonathan Cooper? Is that your yeah. Cooper? Oh, that was you that was asking me about. Uh, you said that you looked up public banks on, on the chat like a week or two ago. Oh, and no, I was listening to a podcast and he was explaining that um, nine, uh, when it comes to money um, being distributed, nine out of $10 goes to. Um, goes to private banks and only one one of one dollar goes to government and then they start connected to public banks. I was like, oh, that's what Rogers has been talking about this whole time. The uh, it was a podcast called Racism is Profitable. Um I I'm gonna send you the information, Roger and Sad, because the um the host of those two of that podcast, he's he's very interesting. I don't know if you heard of it before, Sabby. What is Send it? it to me because okay. you know I be forgetting things. I will, and I oh one thing I wanted to say was even though uh, for reparations, one thing that he said on the interview that really did not sit well with me was he was like, "Oh, have HBCUs partner with um, PWIs." I'm like, Sandy, they already do that. You're behind. You're you're like Ooh. ten years behind because he mentioned like Southern LSU. I went to Southern for a semester. They have cross registration with LSU and B, uh, um, Baton Rouge Community College. Even the school, I, my my HBCU that I went to, Chain University, the first HBCU, we had a cross registration with Westchester University. So they already do that. What they need to do is have 
when it's, thank you, somebody said FAMU and FSU, right, because they're both in Tallahassee. They already do that. What we need is equitable funding for HBCUs. Um, a good example of that is what happened in Maryland. You had um, the HBCUs, Bowie, Morgan, Compton, and UMES. They sued the state because they were, they were not getting uh, equitable funding. They, they sued and won. Now, I know Morgan is going leaps and bounds. Like, they're doing tremendous stuff. So yeah. we need to have more equitable funding. Um, one more thing. Uh, well, two more things. But two more things. But, yeah, two more things. Um, Sabby, I totally agree with you when you said, um, I, like I said, I, I had to skip over some of the um, um, stuff that you did on for your show tonight. I only watched Trump and RFK. I missed the whole thing about Epstein. I was like, oh, can't watch that later. You was totally right about Trump. This leak that was shown, um, if we don't get to the substance of what, what was said, this is only going to increase his numbers. Because he just basically said they wanted me to start a coup. Like you said, they want to start a coup. That's only going to increase his numbers even further. This is not going to hurt him. This is going to help him. And like you said, 2024 is going to be a whole shitty mess. And the last thing I want to say is, and then I'm done, because um, um, about affirmative action, I just can't wait till tomorrow. I can't wait to, get your, <laughs> to hear, you, hear your input about it as somebody who works in higher education. I've seen it on Twitter, and people were just, I mean, now people are saying, we, we told you that voting matters. We told you. And they're starting to see if, if our um, RGB didn't, it didn't just, she sat down when she was supposed to. Then I'm like, oh, God, just, that's what's coming up. And then the whole, well, Trump had, to, I'm like, oh, Jesus, Lord, I've got to bring this up again. So, like I said, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. And after the end, um, that's it. for. Oh, sorry. One more thing before I go. Um, also in my family, on my mother's side, my father, my grandfather and his brother, they were very quieted, didn't talk, you know, about their past, anything like that. However, they have two, they had two sisters. My aunt wasn't so quiet. She's the one that told all the family history, all the, like, allegedly I'm a, I'm a, not to quote Umar Johnson, but I am a descendant of President Douglas, but not by him, but by his wife. But, um, oh, yeah, but here's the thing about my aunt. She was also a liar, too. So we don't know what was true, what wasn't true. So, you know, even though I had that in my family, you know, I, like I said, I also had that in my family where people did not talk, but it was only certain people on my mother and father's side that we could go to for information. There are people who didn't know everything, but some people who did know, so... Um, that's all I want to say. Thank you. No, don't go nowhere yet, Jonathan. I got to ask you a question. Okay, go ahead. You mentioned Sagar. This is very interesting to me. <laughs> See, you put it out there, Jonathan. We're going to go there. We're going to go there. We can do this on calling. We can't do this on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, you mentioned Sagar. Who else, Jonathan? I'm curious. Okay. Um, my Figueroa. Um, say what? Yes. Yes. Why? I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know why. From the also, Humanist uh, Report, or is there another Mike Figueredo that I am completely Because that you could not mean that Mike. No, sir. I mean, I don't find him. 
I don't find him very attractive. Now, one dude that I did find attractive, I don't watch him anymore. Like, I subscribe from everything. But him, I remember there was this thing, like, between him and Mike Figueroa, I I picked I picked those two to go against each other, but my mind was going somewhere else, and someone caught that mm. was, was David Dole. Um, oh my god! Oh my David. god! Okay, you know what? I I believe in free speech, but sometimes I'm God tests me. He tests me. She tests me every Jesus? day. I used to call him Jesus because when I started watching David Dole, he had long hair and he reminded me of Jesus. Oh, he did. Oh That's blasphemy. Jesus was black. He is so plain. He is so vanilla. He like you know him and Kyle Kalinske. Just they're so mild. It's offensive. Oh, let my people go. And I do not find Kyle actually <laughs> one of the reasons why. And I heard Notoria said like he doesn't watch Kyle. Like he doesn't like watching Kyle Kalinske. I'm at the point where I'm going to stop watching him, and that has nothing to do with his politics. It's just that ever since they moved the camera up to his face and I can see that his teeth, I'm like, oh, God, I can't do that. If you can't tell, I talk a little different because I have um, Invisalign. So I'm like, dude, you make way more money than I do, and you can't afford to get your teeth fixed or at least get your teeth whitened. Like, your teeth are yellow and stained. It's like, oh, God, I can't. Maybe his mom can, can, can pay for that. But, like, Savvy, can I ask you as an interviewer, what do you make of Kyle Kalin? Like, do you think his style is as irritating as I do? Because every question he asks a guest, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, here's my take. What's your take on my take? Are you 90% with my take or are you 85% with my take? Like, as an interviewer, you kind of have to know how to ask questions of the guest, right? Like, you know, what are, you know, interesting questions that would bring insight crystal is better at this than than him for sure like he just is so self-involved right am i crazy well no you're not crazy neoliberal um crystal has experience with that i have experience with that kyle doesn't have as much experience with interviewing um i think that's the difference like i watched secular talk like back in the day and like you know Every now and then, like people would come on, but most of the time it was it was news, right? Like it was you recorded the news and you uploaded it. Um, he didn't do live streams. Like this was a totally things are so much different now. What I want to point out to people, so I think it's a little bit different for people who've been trained to do it. Like Crystal's been trained to do it. I was trained to do it. Like I majored in broadcast journalism, so. I was trained like how to interview people. Actually, that started in high school for me. Uh, I took a class called programming and broadcasting. My teacher was a freaking former producer. I, I was lucky. She was a former producer and she decided to teach because she wanted a more like nine to five lifestyle. Um, she really coached us on how to interview people. So I started interviewing people when I was in high school and I started with like just people in my school, like other students and teachers. And then eventually we had to go out into the field, but I think, and then I went to, high, to college undergrad and like, we had to do the same thing. It was a little bit different in, in undergrad, obviously, because um, we had to interview more high profile people. Um, but I think it takes practice. Like it's, it's not something that's learned overnight. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just going to be real. Like 
it does take practice interviewing people because you can come into an interview with every question that you want to ask and you may only get through three of those questions. Why does that happen? You did not uh, view interviews that your subject has already been on. That's very important. That's something I always do. If someone's coming on for the first time, I will watch other interviews that they've been on so I know how long did they talk? How long does it take them to answer one question? That's very important. Some people laugh at that. They're like, these motherfuckers talk for a long time, right? But that's why you have to study. You have to watch them beforehand. If you show up to an interview with like 10 questions and your guess takes like five minutes to answer one question, you're not going to get through half of those questions if they have a limited amount of time. So it's really important that you study that. And the other thing is that when you are interviewing someone, they're not interviewing you, you're interviewing them. So if you approach them with, this is my take, da 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 Okay, cool, but you're interviewing them to hear their take. So what I always do is hear what they have to say first, and then I give my opinion. That's the whole point of an interview. Like, they're not there to hear what you have to say. Now, every now and then, sometimes you'll interview someone, and they will say, hey, what do you think? That happens to me sometimes. Like, when I interviewed Matt Taibbi, he was like, what do you think? And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, well, I think da 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 da. But usually it doesn't happen uh, for the most part, right? So I think it takes practice. People have different interviewing styles, but also you have to tailor the interview to the guest. If you know someone's going to talk for a long time, Maybe instead of having 10 questions, maybe you should only have like five or four. If you know that someone is not going to talk for a long time, maybe you should have those 10 questions, right? You have to be careful about asking people yes or no questions. This was a big one. And I learned this when I was in high school. If you ask someone a yes or no question, make sure you have a big time follow-up. Because if you say, Do you enjoy like basketball, football? Do you enjoy basketball? Yes or no? No. Okay. Now what? You see what I mean? So what we were taught is to lead with the open-ended questions. Don't lead with closed-ended questions, which are the yes or no. I do close into questions in my interviews here and there, but trust me, I always have a a boom, something to follow up with it. And there's a reason for that, but that should never be the majority. And, but it takes time, neoliberal, to answer your question. It does take time. Well, I don't know that time is Kyle's problem. He's been doing it for two years. It's, 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 it's getting worse. Uh, I think it's such an art. I mean, and everything you're describing is like, I mean, I'm like taking mental notes because it's so helpful. It's like, it's a little bit like a dance and you have to be engaged and you're so good at it. So I think 
all of us just benefited a lot from hearing you talk about it. And you had a mentor, like you had someone who would give you honest feedback, like that producer with Kyle. I feel like no one, no one is there to tell him, yeah, like you're acting like a seven year old. Um, you're, you're offending the brains are bleeding right now from your takes. Like it's, it's awful. It's God awful. Neoliberalism. Um, um, Kyle from the beginning has been just a political commentator. He does not. And he's actually said like, he doesn't take, he doesn't do interviews. He doesn't read comments. He doesn't, if you notice, he doesn't even do live panels. He doesn't, he doesn't do live interviews. Like he even said, I don't do live interviews. He is a one-dimensional person. He doesn't. He's not interested in growing and trying to evolve and become a better, not in, I'll say interviewer. Just he just wants to give political commentary on his on his YouTube channel, call today, and leave the rest alone. That's just how he's he's been that way since he started YouTube almost more than ten years. Yeah, but like it's it's that's not really my issue. My issue is like I love. I mean, I love commentators. I love pundits. Like, it helps me sort out my own thoughts. His thoughts are, t- like, it's just, it's just dumb. I mean, like, you know, and also, I, I can't help but laugh. Like, when he was talking about Cornell West, like, he should have run the Democratic Party because he would have been an amazing Democratic Party candidate. Like, he was sort of conceding that, like, also Cornell is the best, like, is a great candidate. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, but Jonathan, I hear what you're saying. Like you know, he he started doing that you know sh- commentary stuff before TikTok really became a thing. You know, but my issue is more of the con. Like it's not the style, like or the fact that he doesn't do live streams or all of that. Like it's the content of his words that is so dumb, so self and so narcissistic. Like it just it grades on my on my soul. No, I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. What. I, in the beginning, I didn't see that until the whole Jimmy Dore and Anna Kasparian thing. And then okay. like, dude, are you reading your own comments? You're making it worse. You're you're just make like you you you. He made it like an event. He was like, down, it "I will announce my opinion on the Jimmy versus Anna uh, uh, fight tonight at seven p.m." Like he's he was trying to like also like you know do a big thing about all like you know like grift off of it for lack of a better term like he's just he's dishonest um he's uh, anyway is is colin an extrovert or an introvert um introvert Extrovert. Uh, did you say neoliberal i'm sorry what did you say he's an introvert (laughs) he said he was an introvert i don't know what do you guys think i don't know i think he's an extrovert i think he loves attention So let me me explain something. My sister is an introvert and my sister, there's a difference between liking attention and being in, uh, uh, and being an extrovert. So for example, you can be an introvert and like attention, but that doesn't mean you want to engage with people. And so like my sister, like love her to death. Like she engages with people that she's very close to and she keeps it to that and that's it i am an extrovert i like to talk to people if you guys haven't noticed so like i really like meeting new people um when i first moved here to boston i joined a group a meetup group called new to boston and like that's how i met a lot i met a lot of people here because of that group like i like going out and socializing with people if you are the type of person where you're an introvert 
where you like having conversation, but you really don't necessarily like going out and trying to meet new people and engaging with people like often, then I could see how interviews may be tough for you because when I interview someone, I'm not just interviewing them just to ask questions. I'm interviewing them to get to know them as a person and to also, I also want to like, well, not always. Most people I interview, I want to try to establish some type of relationship with. Not everybody. Some people I'm interviewing because I really am trying to get to understand where you're coming from, right? But if you're the type of person where you're just interviewing someone because you just want answers, then (laughs) for you, it's going to be a transactional exchange, And if it's a transactional exchange, then that means that it's going to come across as it's going to be more so about what you, 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 you feel and less about the person that you're interviewing. And also that means that you're not going to be as focused as much on what they have to say. And that's a problem. The key aspect of interviewing is listening, not talking. And that's very important. When I interview people, I'm trying to hear what they have to say. If you're interviewing people just to hear yourself speak, you're going in with this wrong. That that's very important for any of you that are interested in starting your, your own show. If you're interviewing somebody, the number one key factor is listening to what they have to say. And I say this because If you have all your questions written on a sheet of paper and you know this is what you want to ask, sometimes you're not going to get to all those questions. And if you're not listening to what they have to say, then you're not going to be able to follow up. For example, half the questions I had on my, my, my list tonight for Dr. Darity, I didn't ask because guess what? He already said them when he was talking. He addressed it when he was talking. So what that means is that if you're not listening, then you can't do follow-up questions. So that's very important. You can't just rely on, I have these these questions written on a sheet of paper. That's what I'm going to ask and that's it. No, because sometimes your guests may already answer your questions ahead of time. And then what do you do? That's why you got to be listening to what they're saying. If you're not listening, by the way, if you're not listening your guests can tell you're not listening to what they're saying. And that also can be a turnoff. Great notes. I agree. Great notes. Oh, Sabby. Oh, one more thing. I just want to name, name drop two more names and then I'm done. And tell me what you think. Eddie Glaw Jr. I don't know if you ever, did you ever interview him? Who? Eddie Glaw Jr. Dr. Eddie Glau, born in Mississippi, but at Princeton. Mm -hmm. Yes, he is. He is. I find him very attractive. And the last person I know, guys, I know he's a grifter. I know it. I know he's a grifter. I know he goes from one end to the other and he can't be trusted. But something about him that I don't know what it is, but mm, I would give it all up. And when I say his name, I'm out.
Wow. Oh, Jonathan. He could have said Don Lemon. He could have said Don <laughs> Lemon. Fuck Don Lemon. That is not my type. Oh, no. God, no. Hell, no. no could have been worse. Could have been worse. Um, you know what? We're going to give it to him. We're going to give it to Jonathan. We're not going to, we're not going to judge. This is, we're going to let him have it guys. Okay. Damn. I was not expecting that. I, I think I was expecting like independent people, independent commentators or journalists. I wasn't expecting that. You really threw me for a loop with the Van Jones. Who are you expecting? Big dick in hell? No. Mm-mm, nope. Nah, I ain't doing that. Mm-mm. I don't consider. Okay, so TYT is not independent technically that we know now. Oh my God, Jank. Like, would he would he fit into the, <laughs> to I the hot I used to I used to like Jank. I used to back in the day, but not anymore. Nope. I used what? to. Yes. Jank yes. sexual. That's did you like him like him? Or did you like him like for the takes? I like him like him. Him, <sighs> um, of course, you know, everyone likes Hassan. Even Affinity likes Hassan. Yes. Look, let me tell you something, okay, about Hassan. Hassan was cute back when he did not have the, I just rolled out of a truck, out of my bed, and I am a trucker, but I'm going to try to be extra gross just for clicks bullshit. He was more attractive before then. But he was, he was, he had a, you know, the, the, the face was handsome and shit, but I don't like overly, I, I, I don't like the overly muscularly, like, I'm going to clobber you in the face, like, hands. So I don't, like, like, he had that, I don't, I don't like it, I mean, don't like. So I, I, I wasn't attracted to that, but I mean, like, yeah. There's people that have been on this show that I do think are attractive, but I would never, I wouldn't say. Okay, Sabby, I'll, I'll yeah. give you one that's going to make you real, that's going to make everyone happy. You ready? I'm going to give you one that's make you really happy and I'm done. Because I was praying that when he came out, <laughs> I'll give you a hint, he came out on RBN. I was actually watching it live when he came out on RBN. Kamali, so I knew, okay, so here's the thing. I'm in Massachusetts, so is Kamali. Like, I knew he was already that way. So for me, it wasn't, I wasn't shocked. But I, I hear what you're saying. Like, most people didn't know. Most people weren't aware of that. Um, but interesting. Lucy, uh, well, let, let me go to Joe. Joe's been waiting. Joe, you got to unmute, and then we'll go to Lucy. Joe. <laughs> Joe, you want to unmute? Um, what's up? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you had it. You unmuted. There, you, there you go. Okay. Can, can you everyone hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't want to. I didn't call about the Kyle thing, but I kind of wanted to comment on that uh, real quickly. Just um, uh, I, I was a fan of Kyle, and I watched Kyle. I um, Kyle was one of the people that, like, got me, uh, sorry, I'm a little nervous, <laughs> um, uh, Kyle, Kyle was one of the people that, uh, kind of reinvigorated my faith back into politics, because I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, any, I wasn't a voter, I wasn't, anyone even paid attention, and, um, uh, I think it was one thing, it was, 
it was the fact that he kept on talking about Medicare for all, and he kind of kept driving it into the heads of all of his audience members, uh, why it was the most practical idea. And it, it got me to think that he was a serious person. And I know Nick talks, I know everyone gives cre Nick credit for, uh, the term unserious, but I think I might have been, might have been Kyle that I heard that from, uh, first. So, um, you know, it was, it was really Bernie and Kyle together that really got me, got my faith back in politics and I got into the Bernie campaign, donated more than I'm willing, that, uh, than I'm willing to admit and, uh, campaigned for him. And it was when Kyle displayed his unseriousness that was the point where I feel like his, his content really took the dive because it wasn't the fact that he is the most polished person or the most knowledgeable or, or anything like that. It was that I thought he was actually committed towards something. And there was something he said about, um, you know, when if, if they cheat Bernie the second time that, that he's going to be out in the streets. And I feel embarrassed to say this, but I actually believed him. I actually thought, you know, he, he actually, you know, he's the one that, that drove the idea in my head that Medicare for all is something that's not only more, most practical idea, but the most necessary and needed. And then when, of course, when Bernie dropped out and lost on purpose, and then when Kyle um, kind of sh kind of showed who he really was, that's what made his content like the heart. That's what made his content the hardest to watch was that like I knew he was being disingenuous the whole time. And uh, it, it's I think it's remarkable to watch it, watch the content of all these people now and how they never smile anymore. And I think it's because they know they have to defend bullshit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. If you, if you ever think about all the times you've ever spoken the truth about something that you really cared about and, and felt, you know, in your heart and how much, you know, how righteous made you feel, um, you know, it's like you can tell that's what's missing in their faces when they speak now. And maybe it's, maybe they never felt that way at all. You know, who really knows? But I think um, with all these people, it's, it's really just that, you know, if, uh, it's just that they're 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 disingenuous, and it's. I think that's the scariest thing for me is that there's people that you can talk to that don't even really mean what they say, and it's mm. it, it makes it makes it difficult to even imagine what uh what kind of what kind of progress we can make if people if there's people who are willing to act disingenuously to uh, meet their goals. But um, actually, I was really most, mostly compelled to call in because of the Britney story that you, you shared today because um, it, it really spoke to me and it made me think about, uh, you know, my ambition to, like, to like do something as a creator and how, how moved I am that there's someone that was so committed to doing what they wanted to do that they, that they never gave up and and always tried their best. And that's something that I've, I never gave up on either. I've, I've always had something in my heart, in my mind, that I wanted to do something creatively. And it, it didn't matter how long I, I, I tried, you know, I'll make it happen. Um, and I thought I had, you know, I thought I had it forever and like all the time in the world. And I realized now, after going to therapy and all that, that, you know, I don't have, all, I, I, um, there's something missing in my life that I desperately need. And, um, and uh, I heard a quote in a in an immortal technique song recently that that spoke to me. It said he said, uh, "Hell isn't a place you go when you're a Christian. Hell is a place. Hell is uh, the realization that you'll never never realize your life's ambition." And uh, I think about that all the time 
when I look at the faces of people I go to work with at the movie theater who probably are like, you know, 10 times more talented they're giving credit for, probably have, you know, billions of ideas just baked in their brain that they, they haven't put on paper and they're not given the respect or the time that they, they deserve. And, you know, it's just, it is that. I, I, just, uh, I can't help but think that um, there's more people like me out there that really need to, to hear that and to, to feel motivated to do what they need to do to, to be creative or reach their goals. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I wanted to say. I think. Yeah. I mean, um, I think you brought up really good points there, Joe. Um, I will say that, um, but Joe, you left out the most important question. We were talking about attraction here. <laughs> so, <laughs> is there any attraction for anybody out there for you, Joe? <laughs> like any uh, any media people? I, I, like, is that what you're asking me? That's what we're asking. Um, Anna, Anna Grand. Emma Vigeland. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, crystal ball at first. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit for Crystal. But, you know, I think, um, you know, also when Crystal showed her hand, it also kind of, like, uh, lost the attraction for me a little bit, you know, because that's one thing. I, I never see Crystal smile anymore. I always see, I always see Crystal, um, you know, she's like, uh, you know, before when she would defend Bernie and when she was like, when everyone was like, rah, rah, we're, we're winning. It's like, they all had smiles on their faces. Sorry, I know this isn't like the juicy shit you want. Uh, no, I'm, that's I'm such a good point. Uh, like, I think, of, I think you're so right. Like, I mean, it really resonates with me. Like, you know, I, I think we all kind of, we used to like these people. Uh, you're like, and really, I think forced to vote. I, I keep bringing it up, but like, you know, it was such a clarifying moment in terms of who actually cared about healthcare and saw it as urgently and who just was pretending the entire time. It mm -hmm. was so like people, people remember people trusted TYT up to that point. Like it took, it took people. And I still have like theories about like, you know, when David Sirota, like when he published that um, op-ed in Jacobin that said like, we don't need a, uh, a Medicare for all vote, we need like all of these other things, like, you know, and the floor vote. Like, I still have this idea that the squad reached out to certain people and said, we're not doing forced vote. Like, so forget about it, shut it down. Like it's not happening. And they had to sort of reverse engineer from there why it was a bad idea, why Jimmy Dore was the problem, why, you know, it, it became like a, like, you know, who do we blame? Who do we scapegoat? And I, I liked I liked Crystal when she was on Rising. I mean, that's why it's so heartbreaking to see. And I really, I think about what you said a lot, like, you know, how do we know? And some, maybe they were lying the entire time, but there's no way to know, is there? Um, if I could say something to that, um, I think about that all the time. Like all these, all these commentators I used to watch that I, that I learned so much from that, that put me in, in the, um, political mindset that I'm in now, um, you know, I, I can't, I can't help feel, to feel like, uh, betrayed and, and, um, and confused. And it makes, you know, it's just, um, 
but but it, it, I guess I guess it's like it makes it made me it gave me the thought like you know how do you how how, how do you tell who's acting in bad faith or not and how much does that mean towards a like a, a movement for change that you're trying to build if you don't if you can't necessarily trust the people um, uh, to say to say something they genuinely mean. If they're making millions of dollars, if they're a million fucking millionaire making millions of dollars and they keep pushing you down the wrong path, that's kind of how you can tell. Let's bring in Lucy. Lucy. That's right. Well, Lucy, I need to be with you. Yo, if I was a lesbian, totally. Shama Sawan, my girl. Lucy, what's up? Two. Um, I didn't know Shama was a lesbian. Um, no, I she's said, not. I was a lesbian. I'm not a lesbian. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I think I just, I, I called in. Um, I don't really have a anyone in independent media. Um, but, um, I just, I thought it was interesting when you were talking about being extroverted because like I've had this. Uh, tiny YouTube channel for a while which I started around the same time or maybe a little after you guys did but I, I don't I'm not extroverted enough to maintain it if that makes sense <laughs> and it's just a lot of work and I, I I know I'm not an extrovert like I can pull it off for a few hours but I immediately get worn down and I have a very short patience. That's how I no really know I'm not an extrovert because I can't, I can't take it for very long. So, so you're, Lucy, you're what we would call an introverted extrovert. <laughs> because you have those limitations. Like you're one of those people where it's just kind of like, okay, I can, I can do this for a bit, but then I got to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then people are like, come back. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, uh, this just sucked all, all of my energy. And now I can't come back for like a week, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I'm trying to figure out what to do with the channel, right? Because I just don't have it in me to, you know, to really to be that person. And it's like very, but I, I feel like, you know, at least it's a little channel on YouTube somewhere that someone could use. So I've been trying to see if I can find people in the Bronx or something that want to um, keep it up, you know, like, you know, maybe for activism or something. I don't know. But um, uh, yeah, that's where I am. <laughs> Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> I find it very hard to believe from woman to woman that there is no attraction among anyone. I find that very hard to believe, Lucy. Not even RFK Jr. with uh, yeah, I know you know with the jeans. Well, I don't like RFK Jr. Um, that much. Um, I, I, I wish I could grill him on Israel. I, I have. A no, lot we're not talking about. Listen, I know. I, I mean, I hate it. We're talking physically. We're talking pure shallowness. Does he? Uh, I don't, does maybe it, like that that guy Lee Fang, you know Lee Fang. <laughs> oh, he's oh he is he is he's handsome. He's very oh, handsome. He is right. That's yeah. a very good one. Thank you, Lucy. Fine. Like, oh, Lucy, this is it. Thank you, Lucy. Let the oh. cat out the bag. Give us another one, Lucy. Give us another one. One more, Lucy. Lucy go for it. 
seeing in the sky with diamonds. Um, I can't think of anything right now. I, uh, maybe like uh, maybe real actors. <laughs> There's like a bigger pool. <laughs> okay, we'll go to Marco. Marco. Polo. What's up, Marco? <laughs> How you doing? What's up, Marco? Marco. Who's your person? You have to tell us now. We start. Okay, yes, I'm totally here for this thirst trap. And I think Abby Martin is a very beautiful woman. Keeping it real. Especially when she was on breaking the set. Sometimes I'd have to like back up because I was like, wow, I am not listening to anything she's saying. <laughs> I also think Tulsi Gabbard's really pretty, but like she's like a military person and a Republican. So that's hard. Oh, damn. Well, she's not a Republican. She's independent. Oh, I thought she... Oh, okay, so she left the Democrat Party, but she didn't actually join the... Okay, so I got that wrong, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'll try to... I'm going to try to see if I can interview her. Um, but um, like I know... not coming on the podcast, though, so... I know a lot, of my, a lot of my guy friends liked Tulsi Gabbard. Like, they didn't like her politics, but they liked her. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so who hasn't gone yet? Wait a minute, Roger. Roger, you haven't brought up your person. This is really interesting. Thought this would come from Roger first. Roger, you got to unmute. Who's your person? Yeah, I fell asleep for a while. So, (laughs) damn. Damn, damn, damn. So when so when he started started talking about that, I was like, okay. Okay. Well we have Anthony. Anthony, who's your person? Gotta unmute. You're on the mic. Okay. Am I unmuted? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was been listening the whole time. I just got off work, but I saw the whole episode, the whole all that good stuff, so that's good. But I had to get in on this conversation. Wow, yeah, freaking <laughs> I think uh, Kim Iverson. I, I don't know how she she hasn't been mentioned. She's a little cutie, but <laughs> and oh, I like her politics too. You guys are out oh, here breaking marriages. I mean, all of these people. I think Lee is like the only one who's single. Kim is Kim has just got married, uh, but you're so right. Oh my God, Rania Kalik too. I'll just throw her name out there. Oh snap! Rania Parenteau is really pretty too. Oh snap! You guys see what happens when we all come together? Where's the, where's, um, okay, we did ask Joe. We asked Lucy. Notori. Notori. Notori left like an hour what ago. They... Oh, not Notori. Sorry. Well, no. <laughs> Noel. Well. Who do you think? <laughs> Here um, we go. I know that you are an older black woman, but please don't yes. say Obama because so many old black women are like, oh, Obama, Obama, please. Uh. Well, you know what? I'm like Tina Turner. I must admit I'm a fool for a man with a clever mind. <laughs> and so for me, <laughs> for me, I find myself given in a peculiar kind of way that's even, you know, befuddles me, Chris Hedges. What? 
Yeah. There is something about his superior ability to reason things out. And he is he has a, a certain amount of just real confidence. And I think I appreciate more that he is such a straight shooter. He just calls it like it is. It's no pretext, you know, so-and-so full of crap, this and that and blah, blah, blah. And so in terms of temperament, well, I on, would have... One second, one second, Noel. 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 Uh-huh. So you're, you're attracted to older guys? Oh, well, you know, how old is Chris Hedges? He, hell, he might not be much older than me, if older. Oh. Because you know I'm on the edge of 60. Oh, that's right. That's that's true. Yeah. You I know, I don't... Affect that because, like, when I think of Chris Hedges, I think, of, again, I think of one of my professors. Well, you know, he's not physically my cup of tea, but the men who I find myself attracted to are the ones who are, you know, intellectually stimulating with a certain amount of sophistication. You know, I do find Eddie Glaude to be attractive. Thank you. Um, He's very attractive. Yeah. But you know who I find attractive in that same kind of way? One second. One second, Noel. Neoliberal Tears, I just saw you comment in the chat. You said he'd be such a downer in bed. Stop! Who? I'm... the saying what no, everyone is no, thinking. No, I mean, no, that he would be a downer, but he's also 66 years young. So, who? you know, who am I to, to yuck no, the No, who are you talking him? about? He's, he's only 66 years old. Um, who? So, Chris Hedges. Oh, and you know, I don't, I don't... That would be a challenge for me because he is not my physical type. I can't think about Chris Hedges in this way. Me neither. But, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking about the people who, if they asked me to go out, I would be intrigued enough to go out. But wouldn't he be such a downer? I mean, like, he will just, I mean, I love him. I would, you know, I think he's a moral compass and I mean, What's the downer? The rhetoric or the physical? I'm confused. <laughs> I you know, he doesn't have... He was, he was drinking, and he seems like he'd be fun to drink with. I don't know, you know. Yeah, it seems like he would loosen up and, you know, say some crazy ass shit, and you'll be like, ooh, Chris, you a fool. But I also find Danny Haifung attractive. Um... So I haven't um, had so I haven't turned to go, turned yet. To go yet, and um, I, was I was just gonna, just gonna um, um. Oh. Well, Noel just said. It's, oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Who? You just said it, Noel. Danny. Shh. Isn't there something just so? It's something about him that's like, uh. Don't tell everybody, Noel. Girl, it, your secret's safe with me, girl. It's not. Everybody listening heard. <laughs> but it's, like I say, it's, you know, I these. I can't bring Danny back on. Yes. 
these these clever men, these bright men, these men with integrity, um, and you know that type of thing. I'm. So, I find. I'm sorry. I just took. You know. Sorry, sorry, going nowhere. Go ahead. I was gonna say I just happened to look him up because I forgot what it looked like. He looks like Sam Cedar. Who Danny Hyman? Yes. He's like a little. He's like a a, a Sam Cedar at in his twenties. Okay. Ooh. Have you not seen him on my show? Wait, think. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I am married. Okay. So there's that. But the thing is, is this. Danny's from here, man. He's from here in Ooh. Massachusetts. So he understands some of the things I talk about. Is he tall? Everyone's taller than me, Noel. I'm five five. Everyone's taller than me except for Chris Hedges. I'm taller than Chris. Oh my God. So you know I, I would tower over him. What that mean? I am five ten. <gasps> oh. I am 5'10", so height is really important to me. Oh, dear. I don't know. But but all I'm saying is, is this. I'm saying, like, dude's pretty, you know, attractive for, you know, a dude. And and that's that. But I'm just saying sure? that. But don't tell him that. Ever. None of you guys, Girl. all you guys listening, don't you say that. He gonna listen to this podcast and he gonna come ringing at your door. He's not in the no. listeners, is he? I'm married. I am married. Girl, y'all gonna be having married. a threesome. There, that is not... <laughs> Ew, my husband would knock over that. That is not gonna happen. <laughs> But yeah, but you know, it's just, you know, like I say, I'm not even, you know, as you get older, I'll say for me, that that physical type of attraction begins to subside because, you know, companionship and intellect and somebody who can keep you mentally engaged and stimulated, those are the people that I find I would like to spend time with. But then when you raise the issue of physicality, the whole thing just gets turned upside down because I'm like, oh, no. But um, I'm just saying this, like, here's the thing, right? Like, um, for real, guys, don't ever tell him that, ever. All of you guys listening, every single one of you, don't say nothing. I actually nothing. already, I, sorry, I already DM'd him and I also emailed um, the Black Agenda Report just to get that on their uh, radar. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Just kidding. Savvy, we can't post this episode. <laughs> no, this is the no space tonight. And I think we all shared and we all cared. So. But I'm Seth, saying, you understand like, that you're married, but you're not dead. It's okay. I mean, we. I mean, Friends yeah, had that episode what, about what, the hall pass. That's what my mom always says. My mom's like, I'm married, but not dead. You know, so I got that from my mom. And that's why I felt comfortable saying that, like, RFK Jr. 
was like, you know, for an old dude, it had I had to take a step back because I was not attracted to old dudes. And I was saw that and I was like, what the fuck? Like that made me feel some kind of way. Like for the past like two weeks, I've been feeling things in my body that makes me just feel different. And I'm just like, what is happening? Don't, don't be a- so those kind of things. Uh, like I felt this way about people that honestly I'm not gonna name because like their politics are so abhorrent. Like, like they just, every time they open their mouths, especially on Twitter, like, it just, it makes me like my skin crawl. But like, they can look so physically good that it just overpowers you. And that's okay. And that's like, how, it's not. That's exactly how I don't about say Ben Shapiro. Fuck, be, fuck. Okay, so I lied. Bye, bye, bitch. Like, he's, come on. We need, we can crush that midget. Like, no, no, no. That's not who I was referencing. <laughs> I mean, someone who's tall. Okay, I'll say that. But, you know, their politics can... I will say I lied when I said that, like, those people will never be back, brought back on again. Obviously, Danny, obviously, I would invite Danny on again. But again, like, Danny don't need to know this. And so that's that. But that wasn't even, like, the peeps I was considering. Like, (laughs) that's nothing. Like... Danny understands a little bit, like, again, like, Danny's from here, from Boston, so there's that connection. Um, But then there's other people that, I don't even know these peeps like that, dude. And if someone would say, like, oh, is there some type of physical attraction? Honestly, I can't lie, and I will be honest, like, yeah, but I feel, but at the same time, I feel bad saying that because I, I am married. But yeah, there is some type of physical attraction for those people. And those people will never be brought back on. Ever. Ever. Forever. But I don't think marriage precludes the honesty about physical attraction. Because obviously... Not Noel. Well... You know, I'm surprised that none of the men's is mentioned Brianna Joy Gray. They talked about an attack. Well, none of the the, the men's. Um... No, they did mention the men's. I said that she is. I said, well, like I said, I'm not a lesbian, but her nervous laughter is just annoying. Well, no, someone said she's annoying. She, when she does that, <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, please make it stop. But I mean, she's cute, but mm, no. Nah. But she was mentioning. I think. Also, also, I'm here, and people know that I know her, so there's that too, Noel. Um, I notice people mention people I don't know, <laughs> most part. But I, um, I'd say down Nina Turner. Nina Turner could get it. Who said that? Where did that come from? What's happening? Who? Yeah. Nina Turner, yeah, she got, she just got that that look in her eye, like God damn, like she just looks. Jared. Jared, you like older women, Jared? I'll take Nina Turner. Look, if she look good, it don't matter the age. I'll take Nina Turner. What? Roger. I'm bringing in Roger Meadows now. Roger, what's up? Roger, would you holler at Nina Turner? 
Roger's going to be silent now. He's silent. Roger's silent now. I, I second that age doesn't matter, right? aside from really young people, obviously. Two young people are like not comfortable, but like older people, yeah, age doesn't matter. You know who has his moments when he is dressed, impressed, and presented? Who? Biden. Biden? Hunter. Yes, I agree. When he puts on those tuxedos and have on that little tie and have it and is well groomed and you know, I'm like, oh, you know, he's not bad looking at all. You know how I know this and I agree with you. No, no, he looked like a that motherfucker looked like a criminal. No, no, no. When I see him, this is how I know that Noah's on the truth because the gray zone had a picture and I said, wait a minute, that's not Max. Why they got a big picture of Hunter Biden? Like, because I was like, whoa, he's fine. So that's not Max. It was Hunter Biden. I was like, whoa, Hunter Biden does look good. He has he his moments. <laughs> Y'all need to stop. You guys need to stop. Seriously? Seriously, yeah. Lucy, I'm going to bring Lucy. Lucy, do you think that Hunter Biden is attractive? Be honest, Lucy. No, disgusting pedophile. No way. <laughs> <laughs> What is happening? Which knows the funny, ladies and gentlemen. There's a congressman that you I started this that I actually, with your hots for RFK. Look, all I said yeah, that's how it got he started. was he looked he looked good for old dude. But you wouldn't stop talking about him. Cause I can't stop seeing it, god damn it. Every time I go on Twitter, I see like either the bench press or the damn uh push-ups. And I'm like, damn. And thank you, whoever in the chat. Sure, it's not a section. It's to my feed. I don't know what to do. I can't go on my feed without seeing RFK Jr. with the shirt off. What do you want me to do? Delete it. Delete what? Delete the feed. Delete my entire feed? Delete that section of the feed. There's, Don't it's follow not just RFK. one section, it's everybody. Everybody's hey, if you, in love with you. If you unfollow do. RFK, you're not going to see it. I don't follow. No, that's not how it works. It's everywhere. Okay, then stay off Twitter. <sighs> Damn you. I'm you sure know I... what? Melissa Harris Perry, was that her name? Back in the day, she could have got it back in the day. Who's that? Uh, she was kind of annoying. You know, I did like Melissa Harris Perry. Who? This is she. She had a show on MSNBC back was, in the MSNBC. She was actually at. She was actually at Crystal's wedding. This is so funny. They, they, God they damn! <laughs> Melissa Harris Perry yeah. was at Crystal's wedding. Yeah, they knew each other from MSNBC. No, no, um, I knew, I knew they knew each other, but I didn't know she was at wedding mm-hmm. of course roger but that was overlooked as a guest because someone else you know got all the spotlight um but she looks like a light-skinned version of you a light-skinned version of who you of me yeah nah i don't think so hell's no roger just so you know melissa harris no, perry no. got her way through um al sharpton 
she was a regular on his show. Then she got her own show. Then when her, her show got canceled, she's like, we want our show back. I'm like, this shit ain't your show. You don't own nothing. Yeah, she was on the weekends. I'm surprised you didn't mention Anthony. I'm surprised you didn't, I'm sorry. Jared, I'm surprised you didn't mention Tiffany. I'm just going to keep it real here, Roger. She don't look like me. Okay. We don't all look like Roger. We don't all look alike. (laughs) She looks like a light-skinned version of you. No, she don't, goddammit. I'm me. (laughs) But, I mean, I did, I I will say this. I did learn a lot from her show. I was was a big fan of her show. I mean, you know, there were some things, you know, they they had they had she had that whole professorial thing going on and she was big on education and stuff like that. I mean, but I think I thought that was more um, Rachel Maddow that brought her on because she used to go on a show a lot. We do not mention the name Rachel or Maddow. <laughs> this was before she she went on Russia Russia Maddow on on us when when her show was actually worth watching. You know, you reminded me, Roger, this is a good point, like her, and it goes back to the Cal Kalinske thing, like Rachel Maddow, her first book was called Drift, and it was about the military industrial complex and yes. how, we, you know, were lied into perpetual endless war uh, by, by the, yes. you know, deep state con- private contractors. She was the anti-war, like, voice. And look at her now. It's insane. Like the trajectory, the arc <laughs> is wild. But you're, but that's how she started. Like she started as like a super anti-war voice. Actually, yeah, right, right, exactly. Actually, you know who bought, bought her on? You know who bought her on, right? Oh, I guess not. Roger Rails? Oberman. Keith, Keith Oberman. That guy's like a liberal, like crazy nut job now. Yeah, all of them went, all of them went crazy. It was such a different time, right? Yeah, it was a different time. And then uh, Chris Hayes wrote a book about Twilight um, of the Elites. He became yeah, how, his book. How people get sucked into elite culture. Emoji dude. And, um, that guy is emoji yeah. dude. I'm telling you, he looks like the emoji. With the sun, with the glasses on, that is the emoji. Oh my guy. god, he totally. You does. know what's funny is, is he looks like such a little dweeb, but I hear that he's very tall. Figure that out. It's probably taller than me, like everyone else. I'm telling oh, you, guys, when I meet everyone in person, everyone is taller than me except for Chris Hedges. Did somebody say tall? <laughs> I had a Rachel Maddow t-shirt when I was in high school. I'm embarrassed to admit, I only wore it like once or twice. It was right when Obama got elected. <laughs> I thought That's funny. Noah, uh, what did you say? Did you say Ron Paul? No, I said, did somebody stay tall? Oh, pause. <laughs> well, I'm about to blow all y'all out the water. I'm going to make a confession. I never, admitted, I never confessed this before. This guy... There was a picture with his shirt off, and I, for some reason, felt a tinge of a, a little tinge of attraction. <sighs> Here it goes. Joe Biden. No. Worse. <sighs> oh, fuck no. 
What is wrong with you, Jonathan? God damn. I have no idea. I don't know. Let's not keep Jim. <laughs> if memory serves me correct, he, he has a he has a bulky body. He's also very hairy, which is not my type, but for some reason I'm like, why do I find this attractive? And I don't and of course I think he's he needs help. He needs Jesus. But I'm like, the hell? When it comes to body shapes, I'm attracted to all types of body shapes. So big, small, medium, whatever. But for some reason, I don't know. Dwayne, I don't even know why that even turned me on. But yeah. Did you rebuke the devil? Yes, I did. All of that. To cleanse myself. Yeah. Is it that you think you can save him? Is it is it is it like that? Is it a complex? I mean, what is it? The hairiness? I mean, no, you said that wasn't really your type. So what what is it? Let's interrogate. Maybe it was the the um his structure of his body. Maybe that's what it was. But other than that, that was it. Other than that, I never paid no attention to um Alex Jones. I I really don't. Other than other than when he got sued for um those people sued him from um. The parents that sued him. Other than that, mm -mm, no. It was just that one time he had his shirt off. I'm like, what the hell? Why do I think that's attractive? So here's the thing. I can't bring people that I think are um, physically attractive. They can't come back on. Except for Danny. Danny can come back on because he's Boston born. And that's a thing. And so he can come back on. But like... At this point now, and I don't think I'll ever get him on anyway, considering like they're like, you're in the queue, you're in the queue, you're in the queue. Fuck that. I don't think RFKG will ever come on this show, like just keeping it real. Um, so there's that. So I don't have to worry it's about that. to keep well, his shirt you know on. What? There, like, I just, you know how, I just thought that, I'm gonna oh, make a oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm going to make a prediction. He will come on your show when he is not in when when he loses his mojo and like it, it looks like oh man i'm losing and it, you know it's happening when you start sinking you start reaching out for for something to pull you up i think that's how it's gonna happen i'm you supposed know, to I go think... cover his oh, um his speech in roxbury here in boston Eric and I, at least I am, I don't know if Eric is going to make it, but I'm going to go and cover that in July. It's already on my calendar. I have one question to ask, and I hope I get to ask that one question, and it is about reparations. And no one has asked them about, has asked him about this yet. So I do want to ask that freaking question. So I'm going there just to ask that fucking question. And after I get the response to that question, that's it, bro. Like, I don't need anything else anything else because i already know how you feel about israel and palestine if he's not for israel and palestine he's definitely not gonna be for reparations but i'm gonna i want to get that shit on record to okay. let motherfuckers know and that that's all i need and that's it okay and and he should have kept his sure. shirt on he'll make you in your stop doing sit-ups and 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 all that shit because <laughs> i need to know about that i'm just Little old Sabrina, and I didn't even know about that. I don't know. I think he left an impression. He left an impression on millions of women around the world, and 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 some men. Um, 
So I don't think he's going away, Savvy. I think even after you ask him that question, he's going to keep showing. <laughs> I'm kidding. I got one last person. I don't know what she's doing to politics or what she's doing now, but Marilyn Mosby? Marilyn Mosby, you get it. The Attorney General out of Maryland? Yeah. I think that's the first, isn't that the first uh, black woman senator? Oh, I forgot. Yeah, she was, she was an Attorney General. I, think. I don't know what she does. I think you're talking about the Attorney General for Maryland. Yes, mm-hmm. that's her. I don't know about that. Right. Yeah, look it up. Marco, I want to finish with Marco to see what Marco. Oh, I don't have any more thirst traps. I'm trying to think of some. I don't have any more feedback. S- Sabrina. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Don't say anything else. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm blushing. You know, when that was uh, kind of like the the female version of the uh, of the RFK doing the shirt off and everything was uh, was when they did that ad with uh, Tulsi where she was surfing and she's in the wetsuit. Oh my God, I remember that. It, uh, I, I think that definitely left an impression. Hmm. <laughs> Sabrina, what are you drinking? Um, Fiddlehead Double IPA. I, I don't know what that was. I used to say, I used to say Cory Booker. I don't say Cory Booker anymore because given the right circumstances and when they find the right body type, I could get them. So it was like, why even make that even a challenge? So... I have a name for you. Um, oh, God. <laughs> only if, honestly, only, only if Savvy doesn't post this episode. Only if I get a guarantee that this will not be posted um, and no one has the chance to clip it. Oh, it's be posted. Like I'm not, I'm not paid by calling anymore. It will be posted. <laughs> oh, oh, I. Oh my God! So I have to be brave. Um, oh no, I don't think I can. I, I don't think I can. Uh, another. So, I've got someone. There's. I, I can't remember her name. Uh, I'm looking her up. Oh yeah, Mar- Mar- Mariah Parker. She when she got sworn into office, she swore herself in a Malcolm X's autobiography. And I remember when I saw that photo, I was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" And she's cute. <laughs> that's awesome, Marco. Hey, Sabby. Before um, sorry to come back, but um, a comrade or two of mine on here have been throwing around the idea of a call-in clone because Rumble might get rid of it. Its fate is up in the air, and we don't like that. We would like our um, talking about who we like uh, in politics and in public to stay. I was wondering uh, if you had any thoughts about where Colin might be going if you think a call-in clone... um, might be successful. I haven't heard anything that you just said right now. 
I haven't heard anything about that. There's been no communication in reference to um, the transition. So I have no idea. Do you know if they, are they still paying anybody anymore? No, they're not paying anybody. That's why the numbers have gone down. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what's happening. Um, I mean, I just continue to do it because I like hearing from you guys, but like, honestly, like I, I have, I have no idea what's going on. And that sucks. I, I wish I could tell you more, but I don't know. Like they haven't told me anything and I'm on uh rumble. Now they got that locals platform too. Like, has anyone checked that out? I haven't even looked at it. I have, but that's not the same. It's not the same thing as calling that you can't call in on locals. So I thought it was supposed to be interactive. Mm. Mm. Kim and I, like Kim Iverson and I talked about this. Um, so I don't know. Um, we did talk about it and it doesn't seem to be the same thing. I don't know why they would buy Colin if they weren't gonna, I wish they would just keep it or like use it, um, to make rumble better or like a podcasting platform. I don't know. It's kind of weird to buy something and then just <laughs> abandon it, uh, in the desert. Like what they might be trying to do is to, um, is to basically pull the technology into, into elsewhere. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to try to pull it into local somehow or, maybe enhance locals and, and basically fold it all into there and then, and then, um, and then shut it down. Corporations do that kind of stuff all the time, but I'm just guessing. I thought a couple more thirst traps actually. Well, I had all this time, a couple of people I want to agree with indie media. Uh, you guys know Taylor Hudak. I don't know. She's a, uh, been with the last american vagabond and other things she's she's interesting i started at a julian assange event in ohio i was like with the brother and the in the father i was like taken aback i had to go smoke a cigarette <laughs> she did gave a speech and then uh, someone i disagree with uh you remember trump's old uh, press secretary kaylee mckinney <laughs> she's on fox news i don't know there's something she has a funny vibe <laughs> Thinking of her. And then, oh, here's a politician for you. There's Trap. She's a congresswoman from Houston, Texas, uh, Jasmine Crockett. She's just really cute. I don't even. I remember Jasmine. Um, Taylor was supposed to come on like three different times, um, but couldn't make it on. So, but I remember uh, Jasmine. When you said Congresswoman from from Texas, I held my breath for a moment because the only person that came to my mind was Sheila Jackson Lee. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, no, I knew he was going to say it. Sheila Jackson Lee. <laughs> oh, she looked like that pterodactyl from one of the um, morning cartoons. 
Flintstones. Oh, we had a hip hop. Huh? Flintstones. No, this was this character was a I think a female dinosaur of some sorts. Oh, I no, can't think of who no, it is. No, I got a oh, I got a joke for you. So back in the day, like almost like twenty years ago, I lived in Houston, and me and my church group we went to um to do feed the homeless for um Thanksgiving. Of course, Sheila Jackson Lee was there for a photo op. We just happened to run into her, so we took a picture with her. And this is in the time she wore that. I don't know if she still has the same hairstyle, the crown on her head. So I, I was behind her. So I like, like me being the man, I'm about the same height as you know, well, I'm six feet. So I looked in her head. Cause I'm like, everyone wanted to know like what was in her head. When we took the picture, I was like, Oh my God, did you see what's in her head? Did you see what's in her head? Like everyone know what, what is in her head that keeps that crown looking <laughs> right so yeah so that's my that's my one old time i met her but yeah it's it's a weird hairstyle but it was just nothing but um bdb buckshots that was it. <laughs> not not I'm to be I, I use something to joke i'm sorry Savvy, i shouldn't use that term because white people are like well, what, what, what is that yeah what i was about to say you might want to explain that <laughs> basically a bunch of i don't want to use naps because I don't want to give the connotation that nappy's bad, but it was just a bunch of uh, savvy. Can you can you say with I'm because I want to a be a bunch of very girl. tight curls close to the scalp. Thank you, better. Thank you, Noel. But it, it's a hot, but it looks a hot mess. That too, and that part too. Sorry, I wasn't trying to be mean. Just keeping it real. I like to see what panel discussion with Miss Harris Perry. Well, but Noel, I wanted to hear your take on how did you feel about what um Dr. Darity and Kirsten Mueller Mullen said? I'm I'm just curious about that. I wanted to hear what you were going to say about that because I I felt like I did ask all the questions. Yeah, you know what? I have heard Dr. Darity on a number of other interviews and by and large, I think he has done the yeoman's job on making the case for reparations. But, you know, pretty much I... um, I kind of agree with his basic positioning, and I thought you did a fine job. You know, it's just one of those things that people either have to be honest with themselves about why they don't um, support reparations. And for me, because I am so clear about what reparations is and represents, when people take a position on it, it speaks volumes to me because I know that you are, if you are not a descendant of slave, you are likely subconsciously resisting what it represents in terms of the, you know, disturbing the the social order. And, and that's just that. And, and to me, there is no reasoning or way around it. You know, it's like, come on, it is what it is that you cannot tell me that anyone would say after 200 plus years of forced enslavement, no debt was owed to nobody. 
especially in a capitalist country that's all about money. I'm like, child, girl, go somewhere. Let me tell you what happened when that original um, video of when um person asked Jimmy on his show, what do you think about Barbara Lee's and Cory Bush's reparation plan? And, you know, then he got all beside of himself or whatever the case was, right? I was in the, I was in the Rockfin chat responding because I know he don't read it anyway, so I, I knew his wife was going to read it, whatever. And there were people that was responding to me with the, uh, what do you call that thing? The, um, the Rodney King uh Oh, like with a can't we all just get along type of uh, type of thing or whatever the case. They started talking about universality and all that different type of stuff. And I was just like, dude, move aside. He made a comment. I got to respond. He's a grown man. He don't need you defending him. <laughs> you know what I mean? But so that was the, that was the same reason why. When he came on Hard Lens Media, I hit him with the question. Now he could, now he could hear it, okay. And he had to face it at that time, and he had to come to grips and and humble himself and say, "Yeah, that was." I could tell he got a lot of heat from that from from his response, and he was just like, "Yeah, well, first I, it was an artful for me to say that the way I said it." And blah, 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 blah. And he came on Savvy's show. <laughs> and, and he was, boom. He was showing, like, some some humility. And, yeah, you know, uh, and I, I support it. And I did ask. Because yeah, yeah. I, I want to let everybody know that shit was flung my way, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wanted so, to know. say something so, about reparations. Yeah, um, I'm definitely for reparations. Um, I mean, it kind of saddens me that like I bring it up to people, like like black people, you know what I'm saying? And they're like, oh, that don't ever happen. This never happen. But I also realized that it was a minority of black people that was involved in the civil rights movement too. So it is what it is. Um, so I'm definitely for reparations. I'm just, I'm like, I think everybody is. I'm extremely unsatisfied with this country. And it does make me think of like relocating and stuff like, and I know Africa is definitely not perfect and it has its problems and everything like that. But I think the one thing that just strikes, um, that's just interesting to me is that I don't think that there's ever been like an African country that has truly had the opportunity um, to come up with its own like socioeconomic, well, I mean, not in like all of history, but like as of recently, like to come up with its own socioeconomic history and the country that I'm not entirely sure of this next um point, but that's like nationalized their um um their like their natural resources and stuff. Or or I mean no, I think that there has been, but they haven't. It hasn't been like a prolonged period of time, say like ten years or twenty years or something, where they've like you know been able to nationalize their resources and like profit from it. You know, and put it into whatever they want to put it into. So I think that's interesting. I'm definitely for reparations. I just feel like, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long struggle. A lot of things is gonna happen. And that's completely understandable, but you know, I'm down for it. Jared, I'm so glad that you mentioned think... that because I've just been watching videos of people who um when the president of 
of Ghana made this whole, you know, the year of the return, you know, come back and we'll give you land. People who've been there for a couple of years are now coming back to America. Um, it's not what they thought it was. It, they, they thought it was going to be much cheaper, easier, and it turns out, nope. And uh, it's also a whole different culture. I'm talking about specifically about Ghana. But it's funny that you mentioned that. I was just going to mention that to Savvy. Like, people think, well, if I go, if I go to Africa, it's going to be better. And it's like, nope. It's actually even worse. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to go to another country, be broke, because some people ended up, ended up being broke, to not even getting away back over to America. Ain't going to happen to me. And I think, you know, a lot of the countries on the continent of Africa still have a fundamental problem with tribalism. And that is just, and and when you think about it, if the um, descendants of slaves by and large repatriate to different portions of Africa, you will be the immigrants. You will be the ones, and you know, if you come with resources that you've gained or earned somehow outside, people are going to be looking at you as the, a new different layer of elite. Just like in this country, you know, there are people who have issues with some of the Indians from India and the some of the wealthy Asians who come to this country and within a fortnight, they're part of the this country's elite. And they're just, you know, in the amen corner of every bigoted thing that's going on here, like Nimrata. You know, it's like, come on, girl, you just got here, you know, and you already a governor. And, you know, come on, how does that? Now, I, I completely understand both of those points. Like, you know, like I said, I don't think it'll be perfect. But I think it is, you know, I think it is something to like when people, you know, are able to like um control like their socioeconomic um or come up with a socioeconomic like structure that's good for them. Cause I don't think I mean nah and I'm I am i am not I don't wanna speak on like or bash like any like socialism or communism, anything like that. But I feel like there hasn't been like at least on the African continent, like something that's been made by the people for the people. Um, but one thing I also wanted to say is that I think that definitely like what you were talking about, um, you hit it on the head earlier, um, Noel, when you were saying that, you know, um, getting reparations here and everything, which I said, you know, I'm completely for, um, will upend not, it will upend, um, the structure all around the world, you know what I mean? So I feel like at some point we'll definitely need to have like, you know what I'm saying, some allies, like, you know, I would re reach out to Africa, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying even like the political structure over there, but just the people, because I feel like at some point you're going to need allyship because you're going to have. Enemies Absolutely. That, you're going to have international enemies that are not interested in that at all, because that's going to flip the whole scheme of the world as we know it on its head, which I'm with it. <laughs> and that's a part of the the subtext and ideology behind the Pan-Africanist movement, because they're saying you know, black people across the diaspora have to be in community with respect to throwing off the reins of oppression wherever they exist. Um, and it has to be an international push for that type of freedom because, as you suggest, it upends not only the social order in the nation, but it will have reverberate across the, the diaspora.
And so that's why, again, why I think this country is so, you know, resistant to it. But, you know, when you think about it, America really is like a type of schizophrenic thing because they have fed the nation all these lies about home of the brave and land of the free and, you know, this and that and move out west and blah, 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 and not dealt with the price that people have paid for all of that expansion and development and this and that. So people are looking at the dream part and never dealing with the nightmare that underpins the dream. And if you go from indigenous people to enslaved people, there is a whole other history that flips the history that we're taught upside down. And you really get to see America for its lack of character, you know, and that is the portion that we would need to interrogate and come to terms with in order to have a chance at becoming some of these lovely things we've talked about all along. You can't do that without a, a real heart-to-heart -heart confrontation with how you really got to this point for some, while others are still barely getting by. And eventually, sometime down the line, there's going to have to be talk of reparations of the of those descendants who sold us into slavery, because we are the descendants of those who lost those wars in Africa in those African countries as well. Yeah, that's that's completely true. Um, I tell you what. It is 4.05 in the a.m. here, and this old chick has got to go because I got to get me some beauty rest, baby. You guys, it's past my bedtime. Yes. It's been lovely, but I have to say good morning, good morning. and goodbye. Carthic, I'll give you your, your spiel, and then I got to head out. What's up, Karthik? I'm hey, Sabi, what's up? Uh, I feel like it's been a while since I talked to you, uh, beautiful people. Um, but anyway, I had stuff to say, but since it is for uh, Eastern, I'll just say, make keep it quick. Um, I'm having a trivia night. Sorry to advertise. I'm having a trivia night on Saturday night, and um, I'd love it for whoever's interested in trivia if they wanted to join. Like, I, I buy a subscription to a trivia app, and it'll be fun to have more people just to keep it quick. That's all I'll say. Okay. Honest, wait, where are you, Karthik? I'm sorry. <laughs> like, how do people join? Oh, okay, yeah. Like, it, okay, so I, I'm, I, I'm in Pacific time, and I just meant, like, like sorry, a trivia night on Colin. That's what I meant. Like, there's this app called Kahoot, and I bought a subscription for it. And if you just go to the website, like, it's called Kahoot. The website is kahoot.it, kahoot.it, let's say. And um, what happens is, so I pick a topic, and I was planning on picking like a, you know, like a, a political topic, you know, like U.S. history, or, you know, government, you know, something like that. And then what you do is, so I give you a password, and then you know, it, uh, up to a hundred people can join. Um, that's oh, all. Cool. You know, yeah, me and like seven or people, maybe eight people, did it last week, Saturday, and it was really, really fun. We did like twelve games, and they go by pretty. It's like at most like. 20 questions. It goes by pretty quick uh, each game. I, I mean, I support it, but as a teacher who uses it as an assessment tool, 
I don't feel like doing And I'm on break right now, so I don't feel like doing anything that's closely related to what I did as a teacher. That's fine. It doesn't matter, oh. yeah. Even if a few people come, that'll be great. Marco, you you but you better come, man. I've I've been waiting to uh, to uh, compete against you. Oh, Sabrina! By the way, you can play chess against the computer, and I'll tell you how to move. <sighs> Don't want to move. <laughs> what? Sorry. <laughs> what? I don't want to play against the computer. No, I'm going to help you. I don't want to play the computer. Well, well for I my game, it, it, it's against actual people here and calling it. It's, it's not against the computer. It's just on an app. But I yeah. want to play against real people. The computer always wins, Roger. Yeah, Savvy, that's why you, sh- you should come to my uh, game night, trivia night on Saturday. It'll be fun to uh, kick your ass. Where do you live, Karthik? Well, I I live Pacific, so well it's ten p.m. Pacific. Now how um, am I get there? What? How will I get there? No, no, uh, it, it's all on an app. So we'll, all you have, to, well, you, you you can either download the app; it's free. It's called Kahoot, or you can just go to the website. It's and what happens Colin, is I give you. He's doing it on call. Yeah, yeah, it's on call. And yeah, if, oh. if 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 you look at the schedule for Saturday night, you'll you'll see it. Oh. Yeah, oh, it's. Dear. Yeah, I put it for like ten fifteen Pacific, so that's like one uh, a.m. Eastern for you. Ooh. But yeah, if if enough people request to change the time, I, I will. Okay, Saturday is usually like, you know, sappy time with the hubs. You're right. I'm but sorry. If the hubs is gaming, then I'll check it out. Well, yeah, no. If even if you just come for uh, one one or two games, that'll be cool. That's it. You can make it a date night with the hubs. Have some drinks and do trivia. Karthik, Marco, should... I've I've been waiting for you to join. Karthik, you should oh. invite uh, you should invite Jank. He loves trivia. Oh, okay, just, let, let's not get into that, man. Not 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 right now. You're you're gonna Jank get go. time to sleep. No, no, let's not do that. Because because once I talk about TYT, I can't stop. So, so let's not get get into that right now. Let's just deal with Jake. With Jake, okay. I gotta head out. It's way past my bedtime. But thank you guys so much for chilling. Um, <laughs> I'll be back live tomorrow night on YouTube. Yeah, tears. You should join too. Well, oh, you yeah. coming on at five? Huh? You said you'll be back tomorrow night on YouTube at 5. I said I'll be back tomorrow night on YouTube. Bye. Oh, got it. Yeah. Roll out. <laughs> roll Oops. out. Actually, I'm going to play roll out. Actually, I'll roll out for you for real. Um, To be fun about it. Hmm. Okay. This will make it more fun. Do we press? I don't know who that was. Trying to get it. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Oh. Go away. You know what, you guys? When I stream, there's never an ad. It's only when... It's only when I don't stream... Why is this ad one minute long? Don't understand.
Sammy don't like. One second, guys. I'm gonna really roll out, okay? <laughs> We're gonna all really roll out. But I just don't understand why. Can I do one trap or is that like inappropriate at this point? And it's a J-Lo ad too, and I don't I don't really need to know this, man. No, I'm not gonna buy See what she posted of Ben Affleck on uh Father's Day? J Lo Oh Sabby, don't need <laughs> all I remember is is them like them kissing through their masks at the Oscars last year. That's all I remember about their current relationship. That was funny. What is this? Oh, hi, my name is Bob. I'm gonna teach you how to build a house. Even though I'm not gonna teach you how to build the house, I'm gonna show you how to be like a hipster and move into a house that's already freaking built. Push all the poor people out. That's this ad I'm seeing right now. Basically, I don't care. Oh, sorry guys. Sorry. <laughs> Some of you are probably like, oh no, this is not the sappy we're used to. Okay. It's not even like, what the fuck? By the way, this is not even on my phone. This is on the computer. Oh, but I think because it's. Okay, there's a couple seconds, basically. Anyway, again, it's some dude that looks like uh, a, a Josh who's trying to tell people about, like, starting a business. Only it's basically Josh just moving into someone else's community and starting the business. Sabi don't know Josh like that. Here we go.
can't stop that. Roll out. Roll out. <laughs> oh, God. Roll out. Anywho, roll out for real, this guy's. Um, adios. See you guys tomorrow night. Bye. Bye, everyone.